Welcome again uh, for a next meeting of the Corona Committee. It's the 93rd meeting, which is called Concentric Circles. In our investigation, we're performing here where we deal with the so-called Corona crisis. Uh, we are approaching the actual uh, systemic problems in ever um, tighter circles, and we are dealing with other issues that will bring more light uh, to the issue. We'll start um, immediately today with any um, pre-preliminary um, comments, because we have a guest here who has time constraints and um, will have to leave uh, soon enough. It's Jason Miller, the CEO of Getter, a competitor to Twitter which is picking up speed right now and uh, which we use for streaming as well. Hello, Jason. This is going to be really interesting for most of our viewers because most people have heard of Getter, but they don't really know how this came into existence. They probably don't even know that you were the uh, chief spoke spokesman for the Donald Trump uh, 2016 presidential campaign and transition team of uh, Donald Trump. Is that correct? Uh, it is. And I also worked for President Trump in 2020 on his campaign, where I was a senior advisor. And then I led the defense efforts uh, as far as I was quarterbacked his second impeachment defense effort. He was impeached twice, yeah. uh, which we were successful. And I worked for President Trump in his post-presidency up until I went to go launch Getter. Mm -hmm. So what prompted you to launch Getter? Is it because it, maybe it's uh, the fact that uh, Trump was uh, lost his uh, Twitter account? So that was a big part of it, but I'll tell you, and this is where everything starts to dovetail together. I initially, at the end of 2019 and beginning of 2020, I was co-hosting Steve Bannon's podcast, and then it was War Room Impeachment from the first impeachment. But as we got into the beginning of 2020, then Steve launched War Room Pandemic. And so I've been talking about COVID and Corona since, if you look back to my uh, Twitter feed, even before um, it was something that was big in the United States. So going back to January of 2020. But what I noticed then when COVID initially started to come on the scene or people talk about it, if you dared to say something such as the virus came from a lab in Wuhan, which I guess you, people probably found out prior to episode 93 that the virus did come from a lab in Wuhan, might not know if it was man-made or if it was uh, the, a lazy worker, sloppy worker brought it out, but it came from a lab in Wuhan. But as we went into the, the spring and summer, if you dared to criticize Anthony Fauci, uh, or as many in the media in the United States call him our Lord and Savior, Anthony Fauci. Uh, but then even as we saw with the Hunter Biden laptop scandal, mm -hmm. where for people who are watching who might not know this detail about two weeks before the presidential election in 2020 uh, it was uh, somebody found a hunter biden laptop that had details of the family business dealings why is that important as we see what's happening right now a lot of money with regard to ukraine china so there are all these things and then of course president trump himself was deplatformed in early 2021 over this, the course of this year, realized that it was the worst year in American history for political discrimination and political censorship. And so for myself, somebody who'd worked in American political campaigns and communications efforts, realized that we had to do something different, that big tech 
was run amok with what they're trampling on our rights. And as I started to do more research, I found out this wasn't uniquely an American problem. This was happening all over the world. And the, why this ties in is because all these governments, we see it with Justin Trudeau in Canada right now, are using the excuse of COVID to take away our free speech rights and to go further to seize bank accounts and to go into essentially creating two different societies. And so that's really the the, the impetus for creating Getter. Okay, I, I think what they're trying to do is create one society that is under complete control. We're the ones who are trying to create our own parallel society, and I think you're part of this because you're um, you created Getter um, with probably that purpose in mind to give people an alternative platform on which they can um, exercise their right to um, free speech. Exactly. And our goal, sort of our ideological North Star, so to speak, mm -hmm. is when we get up every day, we try to make sure that we're protecting people's free speech and we're opposing cancel culture. And so if those are your principles, if you share those, then we think you'd be perfect to join Getter. And what we do is we ensure that there's never any aspect of political discrimination saying this group gets free speech if we agree with them, but this group doesn't. The most recent change by uh, Google and YouTube to put warning labels on anyone who talks about climate change is the perfect example. Last time I checked, climate change had nothing to do with insurrection or sedition or violent attacks or conspiracy theories, and, uh, but yet they put warning labels because that's their politics. Are you getting a lot of um, feedback, positive feedback for your efforts in the U.S. and maybe worldwide in the meantime? We are. What's really exciting, and by the way, for folks who are watching who don't know this, uh, the Corona Committee, your show, usually is either number one or number two for biggest uh, live streaming shows on Getter outside the United States every week. And the numbers of people who are watching your show around the world, and that's, I think, obviously, you know this. People are watching you, what's happening right here in Berlin, not just in Germany, not just in Europe everywhere in the world because what we find out is that we're all connected here because our governments are trying to do the exact same thing uh, and they might their excuses might be slightly different but when we launched in july we were uh, pleasantly shocked to get to a million users in only three days and then we were the fastest ever social media platform we get to two three four and now we're right at about five million users globally um, when i set out with getter i had two main goals one to make sure that the product this free speech platform was just as good as anything that silicon valley could put together because it, yes we might be well-meaning and have kind of this ideological compass but if the user interface isn't very good, then people will visit, then they'll leave. They won't stay. So make sure it's as good as everything else. But number two, it had to be global. Because what I didn't want, <clears throat> excuse me, was an American echo chamber. Uh, that uh, If it was just an American echo chamber, it would never scale to be able to truly challenge big tech. And as we find out, we are more interconnected than I think we ever realized before with the way these governments are trying to take away all of our rights. And I think this is one of the good things that came out of Corona. Uh, nothing else is good, probably, but uh, people who are beginning to understand what is really happening, as you, you briefly alluded to this, this is not about healthcare. This is about gaining total control over the people. You talked about uh, Justin Trudeau. And in the meantime, I would say that even here in Germany, which is a very conservative, very authority-minded people, uh, even here we have between 20 and 30 percent uh, 
in the opposition, in the resistance, so to speak. It's probably much better in the U.S. I, I would I would think that there's maybe 50, maybe more percent of the people who don't agree with the measures. So that is your potential right there. And it's it's growing. Uh, I will tell you that in the United States, we have our midterm elections, which are the the uh, the two years between every um, uh, presidential elections, which are every four years. Uh, but that's where all the all the members of Congress are on the ballot. Even the Democrats, the ones who are supporting all of the face masks and the mandatory vaccinations and uh, all their all those different policies, are backing away from a number of them, such as masks or the mandates, because they see how politically unpopular it is, and they have to go up for re-election. A lot of them know they're going to lose. So what is it you can do on Getter? So Getter being a free speech platform, our two closest competitors right now would be Twitter and Facebook. Mm -hmm. When we talk about essentially the the microblogging feature, mm -hmm. so the, the short notes. Um, but we also just launched Vision, which is our short video clip format, which will be a direct competitor to TikTok mm -hmm. and Instagram Reels. But the difference is, we have it all together in one. It's the all-in-one free speech app. And so you don't have to open and close and go to different apps. You just go to a different tab on it. So we have the, the microblogging. We have the um, vision, the short video clips. We also have live streaming, which many people are on Getter or watching this right now as, we, as we're watching. I know you're available in other, uh, a number of other places also, but with the live streaming. Um, and then as we move into the summer, we're going to be launching Getter Pay. Uh, which will be a payment platform similar to an Apple Pay or an Alipay, but we're going to have a two-coin crypto ecosystem with mm -hmm. both a stable coin and a fluctuating coin, and also with some of the peer-to-peer the -peer lending and things like that. So it's what we're trying to do is really return decentralized things and return power back to people, your power of speech, your power of expression, your power of financial destiny. And this seems like a, a giant endeavor. Like, how do you finance all this? Uh, great question. So I have two international investment funds who have provided the initial capital, and they're very, very generous. They put in a, a big investment, uh, but they also know that this is something that could potentially one day either go public or uh, merge as part of maybe a SPAC deal, in which case we'd use that money to be able to expand to even more places. And so we have not yet gone public. We have not done a formal uh, round of investing, but I have met with a couple of folks. Uh, the, the interest level is quite high. Uh, because people are seeing, wait a minute, these guys have gotten to five million and they're doing it smartly and it's a good product. Uh, maybe they actually can go and challenge Twitter and others. Mm -hmm. And is this, uh, so it's basically, it's like for them, you're, you're a startup basically. And Correct. so they invested in your company and um, so it's a for profit. But yes. It, yes. at the moment, like I guess intended, if you make any profit that you'd reinvest into the company in order to let it grow even bigger. Uh, yes, and, and just to be clear on this, uh, that um, there are a lot, a lot of people who are a lot smarter than me that are the engineers who actually started building it. Launching a social media platform is very, very difficult. Uh, we have some very bright people. Uh, in fact, our CTO has five degrees from MIT, uh, which uh, I did the background check because I didn't believe him. I was like, who has, who has five degrees from MIT? And that's someone who really likes school uh, and, and who likes student loans. But he uh, he's a very smart guy and the entire team. We have someone on the, the, the engineering team that went to Xinhua uh, in Beijing, that essentially the Harvard of China, so to speak. Uh, and what really 
really unites us and brings us together is this this passion for freedom, this passion of giving people back their rights, fighting authoritarianism and communism and socialism. Uh, so that's I think that's really kind of the uniting spirit. But uh, so these engineers started it before I joined the team and, and took the lead as CEO. Uh, but it's exciting. So it's the it's the conviction that this is about freedom. We have to fight for our freedom. That is really the foundation of this, right? You want to support free speech, but as you as you just said, um, there's also the um, financial liberty that you're worried about because, as we can see in in uh, Canada right now, uh, what Trudeau, who we believe is one of their puppets, of course, uh, he comes from the uh, young global leader system. Uh, what Trudeau is trying to do is um, gain even now before everyone else is doing this. So that may be a testing ground, ground uh, gaining complete control over the financial resources of the people. This may be the first step into this, what they uh, envision um, uh, digitalized one world currency. And you're uh, trying to create an alternative to that peer to peer, meaning completely private with no government being able to check what what you're doing right uh, yes well we do comply with laws and countries that we're operating in and so mm -hmm. for example that's that's one of the things that um, uh, I know in Germany for example the um, their the speech laws are different than in the United States uh, and obviously people Not uh, much, though. Uh, it's, uh, um, except for one thing we still have uh, something that you don't have in the US and that is uh, if um, if you call someone a four-letter word that can be a criminal offense that is not true in the u.s and this is this is just a relic of i don't know ancient times we should have gotten rid of this but other than that free speech is pretty much the same as it is in the u.s and it's i think it's very important though that we look at where the trend is going we look at what these governments are trying to do and to your point about canada that's this is the sign. It's that's why we started talking about get or pay yeah. and having a, a crypto ecosystem because it's not just the speech. They're gonna want to control the money. We already see what's happening in places where they go with the near permanent lockdown, and then you're essentially uh, you're uh, nursing off of the government for the rest of your life. They have complete control over over everything. Yeah. But like for instance, like with t uh, Telegram, we saw that you know they're based in Dubai, I think. Mm -hmm. But now the German government they uh, managed to get like a um, an address, so they can actually like I think uh, you know go after them in in German courts, and have seem to have reached some sort of agreement so that they give access to this uh, you know the like a backdoor or like at least they have to give some information. How would you, um, uh, what's, what do you envision uh, to, uh, to, to protect Getter from getting also under these, into the grab of the, the governments? Yeah. Because there and might be some, you know, legal obstructions to, to being really go for just free speech in the current system uh, that's a that's a good question because again we we do want to comply with uh, rules that governments put down their respective countries but also as we've seen from a number of countries including the united states sometimes the inquiries that come in aren't necessarily the letter of the law for that respective country. Mm -hmm. uh, when I went to Brazil, for example, and I was detained at the airport by a, a member of the Supreme Court in Brazil, it was nothing more than a, a political uh, play to try mm -hmm. to, uh, I was viewed as a an ally of President Bolsonaro, who's on Getter, by the way. Mm -hmm. uh, he's one of our, our top users, and so very appreciative that President Bolsonaro is on the platform. And they told me that they wanted to talk to me about two secret investigations. And I asked them, well, what are the investigations? 
investigations about. They said, well, they're secret. And I'm like, well, you can't, well, what is this about? But in the course of their questioning, they start asking questions such as, who are your users in Brazil? I'm like, no, I'm not giving you a list of users. Uh, just a blanket thing. That's not something that, uh, that is fair for a government to ask. And we would certainly never do that. They said, who, who are all of your meetings with while you're here? here in Brazil. I said, no, I'm not going to tell you that because then they would show up and harass them. Now, if there's a specific, say, a, a legal request or something where they say that this person is um, uh, being investigated for plotting a terror attack or something, we need to find out, uh, uh, say, the, the IP address or the, the information mm -hmm. they provided to you, then, of course, we would comply or with child abuse uh, or... uh, if, yeah, something mm -hmm. of, of like a, a criminal nature like that, yeah. then, then we would work with them. But I'll tell you one thing that sometimes letters that we get from governments ask questions or say you should remove this certain post but we work with attorneys in uh, all of our key countries to make sure that the requests that are coming in are actually legal uh, because sometimes they're what we call in the united states a fishing expedition mm -hmm. where course. they just want to collect information mm -hmm. and that's why we have our lawyers look and say hold on this is not something uh, that we're going to comply with uh, because uh, it has no legal basis in standing. Uh, but this is uh, but this is something when it comes to, again, uh, criminal type matters or, or some formal uh, inquiry, uh, then it, yes, so we're, we'll work with law enforcement of that nature. I mean, the problem is that we see a lot of like redefinitions, for instance, like a terrorist where like in former times you would have imagined someone with a bomb, you know, or like doing something really nasty. And now we see that, it, you know, it's been like can also be like a, what you have in the US, like a, a domestic terrorist who does like whatever, you know, or, like, or like who is a um, animal rights defender sometimes mm -hmm. can also be labeled terrorist or like under under observation by the government. It's kind of wild. I mean, I mean, these things would need to be watched, I guess, by you yes. also closely. And, and one of the things to keep in mind is that we collect very minimal information on platform users. So there's a name, there's an email address, uh, and then obviously we'd have the history of what you've posted <clears throat> on the platform. If there's maybe a subpoena that says, have they sent in like a customer uh, support request or something of that nature? Uh, and if that's still in existence, sometimes you need to provide something like that. But we don't, uh, for example, we don't go and collect your address. Uh, we don't go and collect any personal identifying information such as uh, a driver's license or a passport mm -hmm. number. Mm -hmm. Those those are not things mm -hmm. that, that we collect at all. But it's uh, there's in fact a team of, I believe, three lawyers who look through any uh, government type request to make sure that A, that it's inbounds. And obviously we look through posts. I mean, if there's something that somebody posts publicly, we're a platform. So it's something that the entire world has already seen. There's not so much any identifying information. Um, but it's something we take very seriously and we're aware that there are these fishing expeditions where they're trying to uh, get information on people but that's part of the reason why we don't collect a lot of information because it's not our business to go and be some kind of information uh, recruiting effort yeah, I mean, we see that there's a lot of data mining going on. And like, if you maybe have set up a, a company, say like Twitter, I mean, now might be actually like turn out to be like a data mining entity. So I mean, they're maybe even eager to give the information to the government or even have deal or backdoor uh, possibility, you know, so. So exactly. So we've have made a different attitude. Yes, much different attitude. We've made the commitment to never sell or share any user data. Uh, at a certain point, we will have advertising, but what we'll do is we're building out our own internal advertising 
So say we're working with someone uh, and we would say, okay, give us the creative, the, the ad or the message that you want and we'll target it to this. But you give it to us, we'll give you the counts of how many people fit the category you want, but then we'll communicate it with them. It's not anything that ever goes to you, but we'll also never say, for example, give out any information such as emails or text uh, numbers or something like that. So nobody will ever get a, an unwanted solicitation uh, from a third party. So if we're gonna do anything, then that's gonna be purely managed internally. So no data actually leaves and, and goes out to someone for their marketing or backdoor access mm -hmm. or things of that nature. But, uh, but one thing I just wanna say on this is that, I think this is really important for people to know that uh, I think it's probably a matter of when, not if, we do actually become the tip of the spear with regard to some of these legal challenges ourselves. Because say, for example, if we received uh, a letter from a, um, uh, a government entity that said, we want a list of all your users. Of course, we say, no, that's uh, that's ridiculous. So there's something like, here's, we're concerned this person might be a specific terrorist type thing or, or child trafficker, something of that. Of course, we uh, participate and make sure that we're saving people's lives or protecting them. But these broad-based type requests of, we want your entire list, or we want everyone who's ever commented on this topic or something of that nature. I imagine at a certain point, we probably end up in court in probably in various countries to go and defend those rights of people. Uh, because if it's uh, a fishing expedition, if it's merely an effort to try to collect data on people from the government, and it doesn't serve any specific law enforcement type purpose, then we're gonna go and fight that. Then we're gonna defend that with everything we have. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, free speech is the foundation of any democracy. If there's no free speech, there cannot be, there will not be a, a democracy. The right to vote existed even in the German Democratic Republic, and that was not a democracy. So the right, the free speech is the basis for a democracy. It used to be that everyone more or less trusted the mainstream media. That changed with the ascent of the alternative media, also the ascent of the social media in the media in the meantime many people are beginning to think hmm, you can't trust the social media anymore because they're under control of the government they're in cahoots with them now it's the alternative media and their only way to protect or to or to grow is by guaranteeing the right to free speech by guaranteeing people's right to privacy um, Deutsche Bank, which I used to work for them, it's one of the most criminal organizations in this world. They had this great slogan uh, 20 years ago, trust is the beginning of everything. And that's true. Once you lose the trust of the people, that's the end because you can close your business. And if, if that is what you're going to do, protect the right to privacy, fight it out in court, I think you're going to get many more viewers because and, and users, of course, uh, because that is what everyone is looking for. They're looking for information. No one looks for information on the mainstream media anymore. Uh, they're dying. Everyone knows this. We learned this uh, the other day by talking to um, Johnny Vetmore, I think. He explained to us how um, a large um, consulting agency, is it that, or uh, uh, Edelman? Edelman, yeah. Yeah. How they, how they conducted a poll a few years ago and they found out that 80% of the people do not trust the mainstream media anymore. And then. I'm surprised that 20% uh, actually still does. Who are these 20%? Yeah, it might be the, the reporters themselves. I, I, I agree. So there's a huge potential for people like you and uh, the products that you um, invent. I, may, I There's probably a lot of other people who are trying to do the same thing, but you seem to be 
well, the tip of the spear right now. It is, and it's uh, the fun part of it is uh, that we're right at the intersection of what people are talking about politically, but then at the intersection of where the economy is going. Mm -hmm. And I think especially with the shutdowns uh, and the uh, with COVID over the last two years, there's been an acceleration towards this digital economy and how that's going to impact our lives going forward. I mean, two years ago, none of us knew what Zoom was, or uh, you guys may have known, I, I had no idea what Zoom no was. Idea. Now, how often do we go through a day without using Zoom or without using some kind of communication? Um, but I also think that uh, this might be a little bit of a, a teary-eyed optimist. As frustrated as I am with big tech, with Facebook, Twitter, the political discrimination, they're picking winners and losers in the free speech debate, I genuinely believe that social media can be a force for good. So for example, when we talk about China and one of our main missions in, in life is to take down the CCP. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure that we, we are able to free China. We want to make sure that we get a free Cuba. We want to make sure we have a free Venezuela. I think we're going to have far more success at doing it with social media and giving people their freedoms and the ability to communicate and interact with each other rather than some sort of kinetic military conflict. Absolutely. And so the, literally our logo of the torch is about bringing freedom and democracy to places where they don't have it. And so I do believe that we can put social media to, to work in a good positive way. And we can also make it fun. I think particularly Twitter and Facebook are just so negative and so nasty now that you put one post up, you can say, hey, it's a sunny day out and you'll get attacked by the bots and the trolls and um it's and immediately and it just it becomes a, a miserable experience so they're like you know you don't really like the sun you're evil so or maybe that's just me but i know i, I can't read comments anymore no. no, I think it's very important. I mean, obviously, you know, also what we learned from uh, Professor Desmet, mm -hmm. you know, in these sort he's of... A, he's a professor of psychology. You may have heard of him. He's in close touch with Robert Malone. Okay. And he explained to us, uh, how is it that so many people seem to be go going along, seem to be in line with the government? And he explained to us his theory of mass formation. And this is like, no, it's not like, it is hypnosis. This is a huge psychological operation, quite obviously. Uh, this has been uh, confirmed to us by many, other, um, by many other psychologists and psychiatrists. And he says that 30% of the population react to this in such a way that they really are hypnotized. You cannot reach them anymore. No way. Uh, there's another 40% who are still approachable. They're sort of sitting on the fence, fence don't know which side to get off. And then there's us, 30%. In the US, it's probably 50%. But, but the important thing is that, or like, I mean, this for us practical thing is that he said, you know, in such a totalitarian development, it's so important that the critical voice, you know, becomes uh, is, is still uh, alive because then if he, if that is uh, shut down, then the the this uh, situation, the state really goes goes crazy so and attacks point, its even and, its and fans. I'll tell you one place where uh, I'm particularly frustrated is the fact that uh, with our um, uh, with Anthony Fauci and with uh, the vaccine, the boosters and such, when people first started getting the uh, the vaccine um, in the U.S., they were given a card that had four lines on it. And first one said the date of the first injection and the date of the second injection. And then there were two other spaces that just said other. Now, when the vaccine first came out, there was no talk. I was working for President Trump during the presidential race. There was no talk of boosters continuing or let alone any boosters, let alone one, two, three, four. I think if Fauci had his way, you'd have a booster every week for the rest of your life. And you'd have to show up to one place, show them a card, get your stamp, uh, take your test, whatever control that they might have. When they printed those cards, 
hundreds of millions of cards. They knew then by putting four lines that they were going to continue to push this going forward. But what they told everyone, and this was very clear, you get the vaccine, then you're done. And But they put those four lines on there because they knew. They knew that they were going to have something that they wanted to continue going forward. And now we saw with the, the pausing of the most recent round for the uh, children five and under that uh, they're raising the red flag and say, wait a minute, the science doesn't back this up. But here's the, here's the thing that uh, where I think some of the work that you're doing is so critical. Nobody's actually asking the tough questions. And if you ask the tough questions, then you get canceled. They say that you're some kind of skeptic. You're some kind of anti-government conspiracy person or something of that. Well, as we saw, they literally have just paused the testing saying that uh, or paused the, um, the, the, the progress uh, program, for the, yeah. the program for five and under because the science didn't back it up. And it's uh, so it's it's the fact that they silence any debate by using the media and by using uh, essentially the, the mass formation to make people think that, well, you can't question anything. It just kind of reminds me of uh, sheep heading into uh, lambs heading into the slaughter or yeah, the, the, the proverbial lemmings run, running off the mm -hmm. hill. Everyone is just so programmed that you have to think exactly like everyone else. You have to be mindless drones. Otherwise, you're going to get canceled. Yeah, I think but that's that is, scary. That's the opposite of democracy, and it's also the opposite of science, because science is all about asking questions. Democracy is all about asking questions, uh, engaging in a debate, in a scientific debate. And if that is uh, stifled um, by, well, the mainstream media and uh, our politicians, who, as we have learned, are not our politicians, but they're puppets, um, if that is stifled, then those people who don't want this to happen are looking for a new, a different platform. And that's what everyone is hoping uh, Getter is going to be. Well, uh, as do I, and that's why we're really honored that we have someone like Dr. Malone uh, yeah. and yourself who are on the platform. So, for example, when it comes to the science, I'd probably listen to Dr. Malone before I would listen to 99.9% .9 of politicians yeah. in the United States. Rand Paul, who's also a doctor, and, and there are some other doctors. But again, it's uh, I look at a lot of the people making the key decisions. And uh, wait a minute, you're not a virologist. Uh, you're not an epidemiologist. You don't. You're not even a doctor of anything, but we have these people who are making the decisions. But again, for them, uh, it's about control. Yeah. And it's not about the science because they're not the scientists. And what I wish is that someone like Dr. Anthony Fauci had sat down and gotten real questions from the American media at the beginning of this process, uh, asked tough questions about how do we know about where the science is rather than sitting down and say, okay, uh, Dr. Fauci, uh, Donald Trump is bad. Uh, tell us why you're good, which is pretty much every question that he got for the first year of COVID. Mm -hmm. I have a question like with regards to the uh, your investment the investment uh, background here because um you know now you seem to be driven by the wish to um you know ensure democracy in like free speech and all that and I'm, I I assume or would assume that the board of directors that you're working with and your investors are also sharing the same attitude but if there are you know my background is also in venture capitalism so oh, I've, I've been an in, in investment manager like an in-house lawyer for a uh, in company of that sign. banks <laughs> not a bad bank it was like a, a private 
kind of a not venture as capitalist, bad as Deutsche Bank. not <laughs> like more like a business angel. But like I was wondering, um, how do you ensure that you know, say it goes public at some point, how do you ensure that you have um, this this attitude carried forward? You know that not for financial reasons or because like other people gain a lot of interest who might then be, uh, you know, intertwined with like government entities or like business, uh, you know, have a different approach that you cannot be squeezed out or this attitude cannot be squeezed out of your company, you know, that it sort of continues because this is what people are looking for, you know, something. So I can I can tell you how I answer that or how mm -hmm. I got to that that answer myself. When I was going through the, uh, I guess we're saying it, the, uh, the business dating uh, period of where uh, I was chatting with the investors and, and the engineers about possibly uh, coming on board to, to run this. And I had a similar question. In fact, I put it to the, uh, the shareholders and I said, very simply, uh, because it, we're watching what's happening with Twitter and Facebook, and I'm very familiar with uh, what it takes to get into, say, certain markets or certain countries. I said, we're going to have a point where push gets to shove, and a government's going come to come to us, um, and they're going to say, you can be here, you can operate and have success, but you're going to have to change up your philosophy. You're going to have to do things completely different. And I put the question to them very specifically, because I'm very someone who's very opposed to the CCP, um, because I, I do think that that's the existential threat to Western civilization. Uh, they want everyone in the world to be under their control in the factories and we'll all be speaking Mandarin and ask uh, our shareholders a very specific question. If this was about, let's say it's a hundred million dollars, if we go down this path, but we have to kowtow to the CCP or some CCP controlled country, would the decision be to kowtow because that's going to be a great business opportunity or to stand our ground and support free speech and not do business with them? And they said 100 times out of 100, stand our ground, support free speech. We're never going to go down that road where we have to kowtow to the CCP or some other interest that's going to go and manipulate how we're doing. Ultimately, though, as we grow as a company, the only thing we can do is show from our behavior how people consider the trust level and be transparent and tell people, and this is part of the reason why uh, I do a lot of interviews. I sit down with a lot of people. Not all of them are positive. Uh, there are some people who very much look and, and do not like free speech or who think that it's only, say, right of center people who believe in, uh, in uh, free speech or they try to uh, use different terminology to try to, uh, or slang or negative words to do that. But I think it's important as the leader of the company to actually sit down and answer the tough questions so people have the confidence uh, to, to be on the platform. And would you then also like, if you're speaking of like phishing um, requests, like by the government, would you then be so transparent that you uh, publish this? I mean, this could also be an option that you come out and say, see, they are trying to, um, to, you know, grab this kind of information from us. This is what we don't want. This is why we fight. I mean, so that people can be involved in what's going on. Uh, yes. So short answer to that is uh, we haven't done it yet because there's um, uh, it hasn't been, in my opinion, something that has risen to the level of being uh, very serious. Or say, for example, the fishing expedition, the effort in Brazil, that was a verbal request, which I'll tell you right now. Yes, yeah. the Supreme Court of Brazil said, can we have a list of all your users? And I told them to uh, go pound sand, which is a uh, American terminology saying, um, uh, you know, no, uh, that's basically no. Um, but we have requests. Some of the fishing expeditions are so small uh, or if 
it might if it takes longer to explain what it's about than is then uh, there hasn't really been another one besides that one example um, that are kind of easily conveyed uh, but if there was say an existential threat to free speech this is this government is trying to get a list of everybody who's on the platform or they've if somebody came and put it in writing a very detailed specific request like that as opposed to a suggestion a lot of times the wording on these things are you might want to remove or you might want to consider removing some of these postings in which case we run everything by the lawyers like no that's phishing they're trying to see if they can trick you essentially into removing certain content when it's perfectly permitted in our country and you see the efforts going direction of like corona related uh, content at the moment is that or like health or like uh, criticizing the uh, WHO or so is that when they come out and want to want to want you to or suggest that you might want to remove something or is uh, it like no. just whatever they come up with not not as much in that uh, many of it will be when people use uh, I know we're in Germany and there's sensitivities with certain words uh, when people will use words that you're not supposed to use in Germany to refer to authoritarian grabs mm -hmm. um, that uh, there and also there's a very fine line in certain places between parody uh, or uh, intentional humor versus something that's uh, viewed as a, a very damaging and very uh, uh, a very hurtful word uh, here in Germany and so sometimes it's uh, there are fine lines or things that are pointed out but uh, but to your broader question about is does there seem to be a targeting effort about people around COVID? Surprisingly, no. And the reason why I say surprisingly, we defend free speech. There are people who come on. I mean, again, there's a reason why Dr. Malone is on our platform where he views this as a, like this is his safe space. He knows that he's never going to get deplatformed or censored. But uh, there's also a difference between people saying, here's either my medical expertise or here's my viewpoint or here's what I used to recover from COVID uh, or here's what drugs were successful for me or my family versus if someone were to say something that's obviously self-harm. So say, for example, if someone went and posted on Getter, if you chop off your left hand, uh, then you'll be cured of COVID. Okay, that's obviously a self-harm. That's something that, but if somebody said, uh, here's what I think about this regulation, here's what drugs work for me, my family, that's obviously that's either your opinion as an individual or as a medical professional and people can make their own decision that's we should be asking the questions um, but we have not uh, but I'd say most people are actually uh, uh, pretty informative and, and pretty intuitive about what's going on so we don't see a lot of nonsense that's on there but I haven't there hasn't been a lot of prying from governments um, uh, specific to COVID which uh, I, I just assumed they would but it's probably a matter of time well, you just mentioned that there. I forgot about that when we first started to talk about the difference between free speech in the U.S. and here. You're right. There's another big difference, and that is any reference in this country to the Third Reich and Hitler is always dangerous. I think this is stupid. I think we should get rid of this because it uh, chills free speech. But for the time being, that is something you have to take into account, I suppose. Uh, but I'm uh, much more concerned currently with uh, just as Viviane is with uh, uh, anything connected with Corona. So I'm really relieved that you're saying anyone who publishes something about alternative methods of treatment or uh, the real numbers of the people who died from and not just with COVID, those people, you just let them do their thing, right? You're not going to go after them. And even if the government wants to go after them, you're going to protect them. Correct. 
Uh, so we, we have yet to receive <clears throat> a legal notice from any country uh, mm -hmm. about a COVID-specific uh, matter. Now, I probably just jinxed myself. I'll probably, um, <laughs> you know, uh, somewhere, you know, Angela or somebody's oh, probably writing an inquiry letter as we speak. Uh, <laughs> She's uh, out or, of office. Uh, oh, is she really, though? She, uh, that's, well, uh, good question. So, right? Good question. Okay. I'm, Okay, so that's I, I, I pay to pay a little attention to yeah. German politics. Uh, obviously, that's a joke, but um, uh, but no, yeah, but there's you've got uh, a point there. The, uh, uh, yeah, probably just jinx myself, but um, no, but we have not received a single um, uh, letter on that. And I, I will say that with regard to the United States, which is obviously half of our um, the United States inquiry has been been very buttoned up in detail. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is uh, when they're asking a question or we see some of the the content and look. Uh, our moderators work very hard to make sure that we're not interfering and necessarily take things down, but obviously keep people safe from things that are clearly harmful content. There are some things that are going to get through. Uh, mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just uh, with the scale and the volume. I think we're now at 40, is it 45 million posts? 45 or 46 million posts on the platform since last July, which is a lot. There'll be a couple of things we miss, and usually when we're sent something, uh, we can notice right away when we pull up the history of what they posted, like, we should have caught that. Like, that's that's something that, that, that should have come down. Uh, something that's very clearly, uh, uh, you know, a bad actor. Mm -hmm. um, but but I, so far, the, the U.S. has actually been very professional uh, in our interaction with them, which is good. That's encouraging, yes. I mean, this whole corona narrative, I think it's so important that we continue talking critically about it because it's it, you know it's the point where a lot of people have woken up because the other mm -hmm. things because it's so close to your skin you know what's going on like with the mask mandates and like even like vaccination mandates that are still here on the table in in germany you know that might come for everyone so it's it's um and uh, you know if you have a whatever like a war going on in some other country you know it's not so close to your skin so i think it this has really been like a catalyst for a lot of people to wake up yes. like to what's really going on in the deep state situation or whatever we have or like lobbyism like uh, you know revolving door kind of situation so i think it's this is really crucial and that's good that you you know uh, opened up this opportunity the thing that's really been frustrating for me is that covid is now um, uh, the most severe level of cancel culture that we have yes. in the united states if you dare to speak out on something then you find yourself uh, we see people getting sacked from jobs. Uh, for example, um, British footballer uh, Matt Letizia, who's um, uh, was voted as the most important or most influential footballer in British history. He was a presenter, I believe, on Sky Sports, and then magically his contract doesn't get renewed. Uh, is he someone who became very outspoken on some of the um, the football players who were uh, falling dead on the pitch and what was going on with the hearts and, and just raising questions? Again, he's not a doctor. He's not someone traditionally involved in politics. He's a pretty smart guy that knows, hey, I've been playing football for 30 years and I've never seen footballers drop dead until now. Shouldn't we be doing some studies or find out what's going on? He's someone who then people start saying, oh, you're, uh, you're a heretic or, you know, we need to cancel you or remove you from this. And I think that's so dangerous as a society. The other thing is our offices are in New York City for now. Um, <laughs> probably not much longer, but, uh, you know, it's in, we have the federal, we have a, a stronger form of federalism. I know Germany has uh, federalism, but we have uh, even stronger form yeah. where uh, New York City right now is just completely out of control with the uh, the mandate. So, for example, um, uh, whether it be the, the mandatory vaccination or the cards and uh, other states have different levels. And so uh, we're looking at some some different options. I think we probably end up leaving New York City, uh, but it's, it's or, or Texas. Yeah, but the way they're creating, the way they're creating 
We're not South Dakota. I love South Dakota. It's great. It's big. Um, Lots but, of uh, animals. Very few people there. Uh, correct. Uh, Eastern time zone. Maybe yeah. Eastern time zone. But I think the way they're creating two different societies, uh, I think, is just wrong. And regardless, uh, uh, for this point, you know, literally just two years in uh, to COVID or, well, the Chinese knew about it long before uh, uh, they told the rest of us. Um, but I think to create two different societies, uh, I think this is dangerous for us. I do, too. At the same time, you know, these harsh reactions are also waking people up because yes. you think it's so weird. I always loved, for instance, this this uh, TV host or what you know, the, the football commentator that you mentioned. So then all of a sudden, you know, why why shouldn't he say something like that? And then you think, well, what's going on? You know, this is I mean, America is about free speech, you know, so it should should be. I mean, that's that's also causing people to say. I, am I in the wrong film or what's going on? You know, it's a well, Truman show and it becomes visible. Funny you say that because I had lunch with uh, the football player I just mentioned on Sunday and hopefully we're going to start doing a show with him on Getter. And so um, that's that's where we want to bring voices of people who um, uh, have their passions, have their beliefs, but maybe aren't coming from a position of politics. They're just people in regular uh, everyday life who are seeing this authoritarian grab that's happening. And people, I, I can't speak to the German experience. Uh, obviously, you have uh, your own history with half the country formerly being the, uh, the Eastern Bloc and such. But the United States, we take our free speech rights for granted. And we, we too, and, until COVID came. And take it for granted. And as I travel the world and see countries that don't have the same free mm -hmm. speech rights, or Brazil is, a, is an example, they don't have a free speech provision in their constitution. Mm -hmm. Doesn't exist. In the United States is what we call the First Amendment. Literally, the most important one. Uh, because when you lose free speech, then you're you're not a democracy if you lose your free speech. And I see what happens in countries when you lose that. And uh, so I, I tell my American friends, guys, don't take this for granted. Trust me, this is it is literally life or death in these other countries. And it's definitely worth fighting for. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think these are perfect closing remarks. I know because you're, I think you're you've under, got uh, under time constraints. Uh, go, I, I think uh, this is probably the best time to get uh, uh, going with your other business. But I'm. This is a, a real pleasure. We support you 100. Thank you. Um, this is that. this is excellent, really. Well, thank you, and I really appreciate the work that you're doing. I know that in Germany, sometimes it's not always the easiest. Uh, and also, too, the, the fact that you guys withstand uh, and, and stand so strong in the breach with regard to uh, public criticism or people raising issues, but to continually, week after week, come up with good, hard-hitting, fact-finding information with top-notch guests, people who actually are doctors, people who are scientists, people who actually do know what they're talking about. And this is critical, because if we want to be a free society, then we have to maintain these types of conversations. Absolutely. Well, we Thank you very much. Yeah, we couldn't do it with guests <laughs> like you. Jason, it's a real pleasure. Thank you. It's an honor. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you so much. So enjoy your further trip in Europe. Will do. Thank you. Are you staying? Are you staying in Germany? Uh, so in Germany until tomorrow, and then back to Washington D.C. Back to the back to the family. So it's a much safer place <laughs> at this time. <laughs> well, sometimes <laughs> we'll see. But thank you so much. Okay, take care. Thank you. Um, ja, und gehen wir gleich über. Ja, wir gehen jetzt. Um, wir haben jetzt noch mal ein paar eigene Bemerkungen. Okay, gut. So on our own behalf, I think we have two videos. 
Yes, we were uh, going to speak about a letter by a health insurance company, BKK, and we have a comment by Beata Bana. But first of all, we'll have to see the letter, which speaks for itself, I believe, and we'll take a look at the video after that. Um, sent by Ms. Bonner. Can we please see the letter? I'll read it out. That's a letter dated uh, um, 21st of February to Paul Ehrlich Institute by the BKK Health Insurance. Hefty warning signal uh, with uh, coded um, vaccination side effects after corona vaccination. Dear Professor Chituek, um, Paul Ehrlich Institute has uh, indicated via a press conference that there were numerous uh, cases um, of vaccine-related um, um, cases that were uh, posted. Our um, uh, company believes that there is insufficient um, reporting of such uh, cases. We base our data on an anonymized data. Our um, uh, data encompasses uh, 937,000 uh, insured. We have uh, data uh, for the first half of the third quarter of 2021. Our inquiry um, has looked into vaccination side effects. Our evaluation has shown that we are already talking of um, 216,000 cases of uh, side effects after corona vaccination. If we extrapolate this to the full, uh, full year and the population in Germany, an estimated 2.5 to 3 million people in Germany uh, were treated for um, vaccination side effects. We see that as a significant alarming signal that needs to be uh, considered in a further use of vaccinations. The figures can be uh, validated at short notice by contacting other health insurances to use the data available to them. Extrapolating to um, vaccinated people in Germany, uh, this means that about 45% of people vaccinated uh, had to see a doctor because of the vaccination. Well, I don't know if we can uh, still need to read the second page, but that, I believe, gives us uh, a reason for um, concern. I'll read out the second page. We believe that the number of vaccination side effects are uh, severely underreported. Uh, it is a important um, need to see what are the causes. We believe that um, reports are not made to Paul Ehrlich Institute because it's a lot of work and there's no payment for it. Um, doctors have told us that it takes about a half an hour to report such a case of um, um, expected vaccination damage. That means that this would have expected 1.5 million working hours of doctors. That would be the annual working time of about a thousand doctors. It should also be clarified, and this is why we send a copy to the uh, Federal Chamber of uh, uh, Physicians and the, uh, annual, uh, the uh, National um, uh, Association of um, Health Insurances. As the risk of life uh, for uh, people cannot be excluded. We believe uh, we expect you to uh, respond to this uh, letter ASAP. So here's somebody 
who is a health insurance with a direct database, uh, their own database of vaccination side effects, and they uh, say that uh, what is reported by Paul Ehrlich Institute uh, is not at all representative that respects uh, reflects what we've seen internationally, uh, the data that have been captured via VAERS, uh, the American register that uh, seems to indicate that only 1% of the actual side effects are shown. We would have liked to have had the colleague here, that's uh, Ms. Bana, but we have Dr. Wolfgang Wodak with us, but I would like to. We would like to uh, allow her to take the floor uh, by video. Can we please see the video? Good evening. This is Beate Bana on Wednesday night, on the 23rd of February 2022, with one of the most. Uh, threatening letters that had been published this year. It is a letter from the BKK, a um, health insurance, um, two days old, from the 21st of February to the Paul Ehrlich Institute, which is the monitoring authority for vaccinations. And it says, a clear warning signal in uh, for adverse actions in uh, vaccinations. I think this is so um, outcalling uh, that I read it out and uh, um, also reported here. Dear Professor Sijutek, the Paul Ehrlich Institute has uh, noted that for the year 2021, uh, cases of adverse effects after the vaccinations have been reported. That is also part of the early, latest safety report um, two, three weeks ago. And it carries on the existing data give us rise to assume that this is a considerable underreporting of adverse effects after corona vaccinations. Uh, for this, I add a data analysis to my letter. The basis of the analysis were the invoicing data of the treating doctors. Our sample was taken from the anonymized data set of the uh, members of our insurance. This covers 10,937,677 um, nearly 11 million people who are insured with us. And we have the data for the first semester 2021 and about half for the third quarter 2021 so far. Our request covers the valid ICD codes for um, adverse reactions to vaccinations. And although the data is not complete for 2021 yet, that based on the data that we do have available, already now we assume 216,695 uh, cases of adverse effects after corona vaccinations from the sample data taken. If these factors, if these figures are applied to the whole set of the population, we expect 2.5 to 3.5 million people being affected by adverse effects on the um, corona vaccinations. 
This is what we see as a red flag and that needs to be considered in the further use of the vaccines. In our view, these figures are easy to be validated at short notice by other insurances, the general uh, health insurances, the replacement insurances, are asked to provide respective data evaluation of their data. Calculated on the number of people vaccinated in Germany, this means that four to five percent of the vaccinated people in Germany have been treated by doctors due to adverse effects from the vaccinations. In our view, there is a substantial underreporting of the adverse effects. It is an important issue to show and find the reasons for this at short notice. Our first assumption is as there is no payment for reporting adverse effects, adverse effects due to the large amount of work concerned with this the reporting is not done by the doctors many doctors have reported to us that it takes about half an hour to write a report and i think that is realistic that means that three million cases of suspected adverse effect um, about would need about 1.5 million hours of work by the doctors. That would be nearly the yearly work amount of 1,000 doctors. This should also be clarified at short notice. And this is why we send a copy of this letter to the Federal Doctors' Chamber and the uh, Association of Health Insurances, the uh, top association um, of insurances also receives a respective information. As a risk for the life of people cannot be excluded, we ask you for a response on the measures taken until the 22nd of February 22 at 6 o'clock. Sincerely yours, Andreas Schiffbeck, Chair of the BKK. The Chair has set a uh, um, period of one day, and that means it is of utmost urgency and uh, serious decision that the Paul Ehrlich Institute has to take. And the Paul Ehrlich Institute had, at latest now, but long ago actually, to take and stop the vaccinations with immediate effect, the General Commissions immediately has to revoke their recommendations of, for a vaccinations, especially for children and predisposed people. And I will take action on this and um, do file a respective uh, uh, suit uh, against the STIKO in Berlin next week. Everybody with, has to react with immediate effect. The health minister, Lauterbach, has to react and the vaccinations need to be stopped with immediate effect. Um, I uh, don't know if there is an answer to that letter from Paul Ehrlich Institute. The uh, period was over last night. And on the answer, I myself can only concern that I see 
see this on my desk that the people who are treated in clinics and hospitals are not reported from the doctors. An example, a young 20-year-old uh, crane driver uh, had a Guillain-Barré syndrome after the vaccinations. This is a paralyzation of the nerves, and that will probably uh, do away with his rest of his professional and private life. And he was treated in October and November in a clinic in Stuttgart. And in February, I asked the boss of that uh, clinic if there was a reporting of a suspected um, adverse effect. And I get um, that five days after I have written to the clinic. That means um, it had been treated a very severe adverse effect effect, but it wasn't reported in October at the time of the treatment. And this is only one of many, many cases. I myself here in my book, Corona Vaccinations, have reported on the disaster, on the um, uh, reporting on page 200. I assume that if the reports were uh, fine, were feed with uh, 50 euros there would be reports, but it is no uh, payment for this, and it is uh, not enforced by any um, any of the government um, uh, regulations, which we have been having endlessly for two years. There is no surveillance, no obligation, at least not in the specific coronavirus uh, regulations for the doctors, which are existent and mentioned. Um, there is a general requirement to report and there is a report by the Infection Act. I do not know a single case where a doctor, uh, due to trespassing of this obligation, has been sanctioned. Um, that is fineable up to 50,000 euros uh, for um, 25,000 euros um, according to the infection protection rate. Um, this is not possible. Only the doctors who uh, do certificates to not wear masks or not get vaccinations, they are persecuted in terror-like processes. Also, the doctors that warn against the vaccinations uh, do uh, get prosecuted and not the others. This letter says and proves that all the warning people are right for two years. This is a massive red flag and Germany immediately needs to react and whoever does not react now, including the STIKO, including everybody else, will be personally liable and have to be taken to court for every each and every single um, uh, adverse effects. I uh, thank you for listening to this video so far. This is of massive importance. Please share it wherever you can. Thank you for your patience and listening. Well, what we have to say as well is um, that's only the cases that have been appropriately co coded already by the uh, doctors uh, who had already assumed that there might be a connection um, in uh, having uh, performing our 
uh, investigations uh, concerning vaccination victims, uh, we have to find that um, any potential connections are often hushed up by um, uh, doctors' practices. So um, if we extrapolate on the codes, um, we um, actually probably have a large number of uh, cases that um, aren't captured. We might not look at only 4 to 5 percent of um, vaccination victims, but possibly many more. It's a very hot iron we're talking about. Um, and I wonder uh, what will be the uh, reaction of Paul Ehrlich Institute or if there has been a, a reaction already. As far as I have heard, Paul Ehrlich Institute did respond and uh, has uh, or issued uh, doubts on the usability of this data. And uh, uh, this insurance, who is the only one who finally dared to open their mouth and looked at this, uh, were defamed and say this is just a certain clientele of uh, people uh, who think it's uh, interesting in that. And uh, I think this is something that has not on the matter of fact, they just generally said this data is not usable, uh, not really even reasoning it. And the second point is that this uh, um, health insurance is defamed. Uh, that's really bad. This should be done for the others, that the others do not prepare this data and become aware that their uh, insured members are really protected. So there's a lot of material there with the health insurances. And and uh, all the laboratory tests that are done in order to, for example, uh, measure the blood clotting values or look for symptoms, how often um, the transfers were made to neurologists and all the hospital data, just imagine all the emergency data. There were reports on the database of the emergency data. Um, I had presented this here, I think, that the number of emergency cases to hospitals with respect to um, cardiac vessel, vessel um, diseases has massively increased. Of course, the uh, health insurances do have these data. They have all the diagnoses that uh, can't be kept under the rug. So they could be very nicely analyzed and much more information on adverse effects could be provided the Paul Ehrlich Institute should be the driver asking the health insurance to provide this data and to provide any evidence that is available, but they don't do that. They cover it up and that, of course, uh, shows that um, um, they are doing a common thing with uh, the Paul Ehrlich Institute. Well, uh, particularly hot irons such as abortions or um, premature uh, births or special treatments um, that uh, become necessary for um, uh, newborns or um, cancer cases, etc. It's unbelievable that the Paul Ehrlich Institute sh should, of course, require all health insurances to uh, give details on these things uh, to get an overview of uh, the situation. Also, with the um, 
people who are responsible for protecting the um, population in the ministries, there are some people, and in the fall of 2020, I spoke to one of these people and I asked him, what um, do you see uh, could be done in order to protect the population from any potential um, adverse effects from these uh, untested vaccination uh, vaccines? And he said, well, we'll see uh, whether it, we hope it uh, goes well. So if you imagine, or if you consider what uh, efforts they uh, went to in order to avoid this uh, wave of corona uh, victims that never materialized, then uh, you really would have to prepare for um, combating this kind of uh, disaster developing. So I'll, uh, maybe I'll contact the same person again on Monday to see what his opinion is now. What you said before, also, that the doctors uh, scare away from thinking of uh, possible adverse effects. The patients often tell us this, that people from themselves go to the doctor and say, ask whether it can be because of the jab. The doctors say, no, it can't be. And the doctor doesn't even, they just discard it and they don't even look into it and of course then they don't report it and uh, those doctors who seem to be the top uh, vaccination doctors seem to have developed certain defense mechanisms leading to a high dark figure in this but it's becoming even more scandalous we'll listen to dr judy mikovitz um, and it's important for you to um, stay on um, uh, Wolfgang, uh, Dr. Um, Peterson Institute, Mikovitz is um, uh, an der Universität von Reno. Um, sie hat einige Bücher veröffentlicht. Plague of Corruption in 2020 and Ending the Plague, a Scholar's Obligation in an Age of Corruption in 2021. Um, she will tell us a few secrets that I think are really disturbing about the manufacture of viral vaccines. Cell lines are contaminated with viruses grown in them for decades. Um, and it's, it's um, especially interesting to hear her explain about these, well, I think scandalous uh, developments um, that have been going on for probably decades. Um, it's especially interesting to hear her because she's one of the ultimate foes of Dr. Fauci in the United States. Um, welcome, uh, Judy. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well, Reiner. Good to be here. Great. Um, so I was going to show a map. Uh, I'm going to do that after your presentation. Uh, a map that shows, I think, 19 or so uh, bio labs in in the Ukraine um, uh, that um, were planted there uh, by the American uh, Department of Defense, DARPA. But I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go first, and then I'm gonna show you that map and our viewers that map because one scandal comes after another. Here, go ahead. Right. Would you like me to share my screen? Yes, please. Okay, you got it. See how busy I was yesterday. Okay, I'm just gonna pop that. So um, actually these these slides that I'm showing today, um, I've shown um, over the last uh, two years. And in fact, our first book, Plague, came out in 2014, first in hardback. And um, 
what plague was basically about was this slide right here. And, and this slide is what I call 21st century AIDS um, acquired endocannabinoid immune dysfunction. And, and it is COVID. So at the beginning of this thing, um, you know, our, our book Plague of Corruption was written between 2014 and 2019, because what we realized after I finished Plague, which was all science, essentially, and every disease that you see on this slide, every neuroinflammatory, autoinflammatory, um, autoimmune di disease and cancer, um, can actually be traced to um, contaminants, not only viruses, but mycoplasma, mold, Borrelia, Babesia, um, but the red asterisks are everywhere where a retrovirus, the aberrant expression of a retrovirus, or, um, you know, actually SARS-CoV-2, which we now appreciate, is a pararetrovirus. And what I mean by that is um, it's a tripartite type three-part chimera um, mixing of the HIV envelope toxin GP120, the XMRV um, xenotropic murine mouse leukemia virus, um, retrovirus, related retrovirus that was first identified in prostate cancer as sequences, but not isolated as a full infectious transmissible virus until we did that and published it in the journal Science in 2009. And we, we isolated that virus not only from people with um, myalgic encephalomyelitis, which um, was marginalized by Tony Fauci, the Wellcome Trust, the CDC, as, as chronic fatigue syndrome back in the 80s when it first appeared um, during HIV, when, when it was clear that HIV didn't cause AIDS, meaning everybody with evidence of HIV infection did not have the disease. Um, in fact, most did not. So this new family of viruses, which we isolated in 2009, was strongly associated um, with, um, very strongly associated. And when we published it in science, I think there were 13 zeros in front of the P for the significance. It was like one in 10 million in the journal science would not allow us to even say highly significant in the, in the paper. So, um, that, that science paper published first, um, uh, October 8, 2009, and it, we had only isolated the virus at that time and from people with um, ME-CFS, from people with lupus, from people with uh, hairy cell leukemia, mantle cell lymphoma, um, but every one of the diseases with the asterisks on it have had evidence of infection by more than one test, by more than nucleic acids, by either protein, immunoblot express protein, primarily the envelope protein, which in COVID is being called the spike protein. Um, and so they just changed the name, as you know, this, this spike protein in, in all envelope viruses, coronaviruses or retroviruses, is that little piece that sticks out, whether it be a mushroom, 
depicted or whatever. That's the piece that is not host cell membrane, budded out of the host cell. The envelope is the lipid um, bilayer that, that protects the nucleic acid from degradation. So here we see, I said, unintended consequences of liability um, free vaccines because every one of these diseases um, including um, have exploded in the 30 years since the United States eliminated um, eliminated uh, the liability for vaccine injury and um, in the national vaccine injury compensation program which um, is called Vaccine Court, where Dr. Rossetti, Dr. Frank Rossetti, and I, my co-author on our latest book, Ending Plague, um, my co-author um, and colleague for more than 40 years. I co-founded that Neuroimmune Institute in 2007, um, and we used a systems biology approach from as similar to the one that I first started working with Dr. Rossetti in 1983. It was called the Biological Response Modifiers Program at Fort Detrick um, in Frederick, Maryland. And, and this is the same Fort Detrick um, where the Vero um, monkey kidney cells, I'll move to the next slide, the same um, Fort Detrick um, you see at the inset there is um, the picture of Tony Fauci. Um, this slide I first showed May 22nd um, of 2021 um, at a meeting uh, in Yuba City, uh, California, where David Martin, uh, Dr. David Martin, also showed the patents and, and proved the fact that these cell lines, particularly the Vero cell line, there is a monkey cell lines. It, it's important to appreciate in all um, viral vaccines, and in fact, in all the vaccines that are on the liability-free schedule. So when all liability um, was taken away, um, then we went from um, eight shots of three antigens or so before uh, an infant was 18 years old to 72 shots um, uh, of 18 or 19. 19 antigen before a child was three years old um, and some starting within hours of life completely dysregulating um, our, our gene responses. So in fact, these gain of function studies um, have been done and, and I did many of these studies all of the time. I'm, I isolated Ebola viruses. I isolated HIV viruses. And the, the point of this is, is you to in order to study a virus, in order to manufacture a vaccine, you must grow the virus. You must grow the antigen. And, and this, so you have to have a living, dividing proliferating cell line. That's not most human tissues. That's not, if I took my blood right now and put it in the incubator, um, it would not grow. So what we do is we transform um, these cell lines or immortalize these cell lines by crippling various parts of the immune response that allow them to grow. And this is, we've been doing this and, and Dr. Rossetti in Ending Plague, which I believe we have a picture of later on in the talk, but Dr. Rossetti goes into great detail because he was one of the world's experts um, at, at, 
at creating cell lines in order to study disease. In fact, he and Bernie Poise, Dr. Bernie Poise, isolated the first disease-causing human retrovirus um, in 1980 um, from, and, and they had to find a tumor cell line in a person with adult T-cell leukemia. So that virus, the human T-cell leukemia lymphoma virus, was isolated from people with disease. And when you took their blood out of the body, they have growing cell lines. And we name these cell lines, for instance, it's like the human cell lines, WI38, MRC5, and PERS-C6 shown on this slide. These are all from aborted fetal tissue cell lines, various female and male um, fetuses. And you use, um, fetuses, or uh, we used to use umbilical cords, because these have the most proliferation capacity. They, they grow and continue to grow, and um, you can immortalize these by infecting them with viruses. And, and this was what the cancer program, um, when it started at Fort Detrick, which used to be where the bioweapons were, the cancer program was started um, in, in 1975, and the entire I, the entire focus was identifying viruses that, that cause cancer, viruses from animals. And, and, and what we realized by 2011, going back to that slide, two years after our publication of the science paper, what we realized was all of these diseases is said, you know, exploded and were associated with animal um, or human retroviruses um, that had been transmitted and grown in those cell lines. I, I highlight here um, ALS, which in the, is known as Lou Gehrig's disease in the United States or Parkinson's disease. And these diseases have exploded. We only, we called it Lou Gehrig's disease because that's the only one anybody knew that had it. And now in the United States, we have fundraisers and bucket challenges and everybody has it. And it's long been associated with a, a human retroviral infection with a retrovirus. We just don't know which one. And the XMRVs are a key, are a key to that. So all of these things um, we've know in 2011, it was clear that the blood supply had been contaminated um, for more than 30 years because Tony Fauci denied that women could get AIDS. They said HIV could only infect, and they said HIV caused AIDS, which clearly wasn't true. There were millions of people worldwide who had evidence of HIV infection and would never get AIDS, and it has to do with the immune system, um, which was the heart of my PhD thesis, which I defended November 14th of, sorry, I'm old, <laughs> 1991. So I worked in that program with Dr. Rossetti from 1983 to 1991, but I started at the National Cancer Institute right out of the University of Virginia with a degree in chemistry, um, isolating um, 
biological response modifiers, isolating um, chemokines, cytokines, um, and, 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 and understanding how those um, chemokines, cytokines, growth factors, natural products from plants, how we could modulate and heal um, with natural products. I made, basically, I made immune therapies and drugs from plants. The single thesis of my entire 40-year uh, career is um, that we can prevent disease, infectious disease, um, if we understand the mechanisms, the, the molecular biology, the pathways that are dysregulated. It's not the virus, it's the immune system. And so I, I show this slide in particular, this is our fourth book, not in the series, um, but we published this last year. Um, in, I'm sorry, in 2020, in the fall of 2020, um, and it's been heavily censored. I heard the talks earlier, as, as have all of our books, so you won't hear any of this. Um, when, when Kent Heck and Lively, attorney Kent Heck and Lively, um, started writing books with me, it was right after I got out of jail um, for refusing to renounce that I had isolated not only one strain, not only one variant of human, of, of human, um, human xenotropic, it's foreign, it's not in a mouse, XMRV, murine leukemia, mouse cancer-causing virus. And we know in that mouse cancer-causing virus, which Dr. Rossetti, um, uh, Frank's wife, Dr. Rossetti, um, had studied the mouse families of viruses her whole life. And she showed, had all of the reagents that we used in these studies. There were many, many variants of these things. And so what, what um, uh, we had actually patents for the detections of the variants. Um, and, and there was an XMRV2 that was isolated by a CARDI, uh, uh, I'll call him a cardiologist, an expert in cardiology um, at the University of Virginia. He published that a month after our paper was published in 2009. And, and there was a cardiotropic strain, um, which he called XMRV2. It was a variant. And now we see Omicron. Oh, it's a variant. Um, and, and that is a mouse virus that we were lied to and told and told that um, that the Omicron somehow jumped from human to mouse and back to human. And, and the display I show is I put, and I said, no, you left a few words out, which is what people do. They change, they say monkey cells as if they just put them in fresh monkeys all the time. No, these are cell lines. These are manufacturing plants for viruses that are are products. They're products, they can be patented, they're valuable because they grow these, these viruses and, and, and you cannot make a vaccine without one. So here you have the variants that actually drive are more cardiotropic and affect different parts. So the human to mouse, was the cell lines in the incubator. And so I, I use the analogy of a salt and pepper shaker. So you put a human cell line, which is let's just say salt, it's white, and you and you uh, lay it in on its side in a, in a flask with a 0.2 micron, 200 nanometer filter. 
that a virus, these viruses are usually between um, a, right around 100 nanometers. So when you put that in a humidified um, incubator in a laboratory and you have a mouse cell line we'll call pepper in the same flask with the same with the same filter if you leave that cell line in there for for two days and you come back to culture the cells again you haven't opened either flask you will see pepper in salt you will see straight transmitted through the air through a 200 nanometer filter the viruses which um and, and that's why i put the mask in this place in the presentation because now you have these are electron micrographs of particles and this was a paper from 2016 well before um covid so you see uh, you see these particles here these nanoparticles remember 200 nanometers so a virus you you know going through you know and embedded in all of these masks every there isn't a mask where these viruses won't go through it um, uh, that that's being used today and so the personal protective equipment that you use here this looks to your immune system to your lungs like asbestos so when you hear me i have a i have pleurisy i was born with a um, obstructive airway disease i'm a identical twin so your lungs develop first I, I last i was born early so we we have we always have fluid in our lungs my I, my twin and i so this mask to wear it at any time and i never wore a mask in a laboratory we use hepa filters in and out of those biosafety labs we have those filters that um the uh, cabinets, biosafety cabinets that have special filters where everything goes in. The airflow stays in the room. It doesn't go out, which we all now appreciate. The labs in Wuhan were, were faulty and the labs at Fort Detrick in that biosafety level four where I isolated and mixed bat tissues. And I'm talking in the 90s in the Vero monkey kidney cell line. This is the cell line we that is the SARS-CoV-2 was weaponized in. So now here you're taking the most vulnerable in the society and you're forcing everyone into a mask with asbestos-like fibers that look to your lungs that will drive the expression. So you will activate dormant viruses or latent viruses and literally cripple the very immune system that is necessary to respond to any of the influenza, coronaviruses, retroviruses, and mountain effective immune response, which is really simple if we're just allowed to do that, showing how um, all of the things that were implemented in 2019, our book, Plague of Corruption, we started writing it August 31st of 2014, when I first learned of the cover-up at the Centers for Disease Control, um, the cover-up that if um, people of color, boys particularly under three years old, Black, Hispanic, Native American, were given MMR before they were three years old, three RNA viruses, you know, grown in these contaminated cell lines using bovine serum, using various things, even insect cell lines. If they were given those, the, that vaccine before they were three, before their 
RNases, the, the enzymes that degrade um, RNA-DNA hybrids in the body. It's, it's all detailed science in our first book, Plague of Corruption. I mean, plague. But, but when I heard that they covered this up, that black boys given MMR before the age of three had two to four times the likelihood of being getting an autism diagnosis, those, you know, I thought um, all you had to do was was change the way you gave the schedule to different people. That is one size doesn't fit all according to their immune system. And of course, um, what the government and the CDC did was cover that knowledge up when they learned that approximately 2001 or 2002, the data were very clear and the CDC covered it up, had a data burning party, threatened um, scientists with their careers. Um, and, and this is why I was jailed because the data that I show that I showed in our paper and over the two years with all the variants between 2009 and 2011, all the variants, all the variants, all the different types of diseases that I showed there. That's that's when I learned it was a plague of corruption, that they had no intention of doing anything about this other than covering it up. And so what COVID is, and what I said in the beginning to, to the Epoch Times um, in, in late February of 2020, in late February, I talked with the Epoch Times Park Times with Ted Fogarty in New York City, and we talked for almost an entire day. And this was this was aired this Joshua Phillips on April eighth of twenty twenty, and 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 of course, pandemic, which was supposed to be a promotional video of Plague of Corruption, which was also filmed well before twenty twenty or there was ever a COVID. Here we had, um, and you, you can find that at pandemic series and that published first May 4th of, of 2020. So here now we see the the, the um, vaccines. So what I, what I say is, are these vaccines? And this is what David Martin discussed in great detail in, plan, in Plandemic Indoctrination, which first published August 18th of 2020. And, and this is their own review paper. Um, and all of the data that I'm showing in all of these slides is at least one publication, as every one of those asterisks that I showed on the diseases had at least one and, and many had dozens of publications showing the presence of a pathogen, a, a virus, a mycoplasma, a Borrelia berbesia, along with a retrovirus um, associated with the disease. So this paper was published, um, and there were several um, in the inset that table came from the New York Times. The review paper was called COVID-19 Vaccine Frontrunners in Their Nanotechnology Design. So remember, um, viruses are nanoparticles, about 100 nanoparticles, and they essentially look um, just like the particle on the left. So the RNA is what you see with the little step ladders. Um, um, and this kind of RNA doesn't exist in our bodies like this with these kinds of hybrids because that makes it more difficult to degrade and, and other things. It, it's there, but only, you know, this was 
this was created this way in this vaccine so that it would not break down and it actually interacts with our immune systems in a very different way than natural immunity, uh, avoiding our immunity. And so what you see in the inset is in this review paper, um, it said that the um, that the vaccines prevented transmission that and and so i i went to the to the references in the material and methods and all the references in this paper and they pulled up this on the right side this table comes from a, a new england journal of medicine paper which every doctor will read and in the inset you see there um um, that what these vaccines actually cause, all you're doing is taking the receptor binding domain, that's the spike protein, the receptor binding domain of HIV, GP120, XMRV, um, syncytin, um, and, and SARS, uh, SARS, the um, receptor binding domain, the ACE2 receptor. So here you've got the entire SARS-CoV-2 receptor binding domain, which is not just uh, the ACE receptor. It's all three of those things. And what you see in this table is it causes disease. That's not immunity, pain, headache, chills, fever, and then when you look at the next, I cut this table off for the purpose of this talk, just to explain to the general public, these are not vaccines. They don't meet the legal definition and they don't meet any um, biological definition. They don't stimulate any kind of immunity as we clearly see the vaccinated um, getting disease. And, and not just the diseases, COVID, um, this, this symptomology package. COVID is not a disease either because SARS-CoV-2 would have to be isolated from every single human with disease or have evidence of infection with every single person and they must have disease. And we know 99.97% of anybody with any evidence, I don't care if it's the faulty criminal PCR evidence or, or isolating a virus particle, it simply hasn't been done. The virus particle was only isolated from monkey cell lines. And you can find this evidence going all the way back to 2001 with the original SARS. So as we know from David Martin's work, so, you know, and, and explanation, brilliant explanations to everyone, so, um, SARS-CoV-2 is not a novel virus. It was weaponized using no steam technology in that Vero monkey kidney cell. You don't have to cut and paste and make an infectious molecular clone. All you have to do is transfect those cell lines with all of those viruses, simian immune deficiency virus, um, XMRV, several strains of the mouse viruses that we isolated and associated with disease are in those cell lines, in those labs, and they've been there since 1992. All of these variants, whether it be HIV, and now we see the now we see that HIV is um 
<laughs> oh, it's it's now evolving. Of course, it's evolving because you are accelerating its evolution in in the viral monkey kidney cells, and then you're injecting those sequences, those viral proteins, those pieces, those parts directly into the most compromised humans and spreading the disease. And if you put those viruses in an HIV positive person in 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 uh, and call it a vaccine, these are viruses. They're synthetic viruses, but they're virus-like particles. They look to your immune system like a virus, and they're intended to. And the synthetic lipid nanoparticle doesn't break down like your immune system, so it causes pain, fever, chill, and that's why they're calling it COVID pneumonia, because this doesn't break down at 99 like a normal virus. It breaks down at much greater um, temperature. So they're calling it COVID pneumonia. And what you'll also actually see in those people um, are um, bacteria, um, opportunistic infections because you've crippled their immune system. So let me just see if I can go further here. So this is what vaccine injury looks like. And, and what we do in this inset, this was Jessica. So I worked with Dr. Rossetti as an expert witness in the United States Vaccine Injury Compensation Program from 2015 to 19. And that's memorialized um, in that in, um, in, in the book, Plague of Corruption. There's a whole chapter about the corruption of the, that court system. Liability free, these special masters, eight people um, who aren't judges um, and who aren't scientists um, sit in this program and at all costs make sure the vaccine has nothing to do with the disease as we've seen at all costs in the United States with COVID. The unvaccinated, this beautiful, healthy athlete is not spreading disease. This is a teenager. You don't inject any teenager who's growing with anything because you will take their immune system from growth and development towards disease. And, and, and my, one of my friends, um, when I showed him this picture, he said, boy, does she have HIV? I said, no, she got a Gardasil shot. That's a virus-like particle where the particle itself is, is very similar to the, the COVID particle. And of course, I can't see the IP in the patent, but it's a synthetic. That's what Robert Malone got the patent for, the particle, not, not the contents, not mRNA, um, not, not the sequences. And so here's, here, is it Gardasil injury or is it, is it AIDS? You know, is it in, here on the right-hand side, another little girl from Gardasil, um, you know, uh, hair loss. This is what we're seeing in the vaccinated. This is what we're seeing, and it's called COVID. It has nothing to do with SARS-CoV-2. That never was a human infection. It was infection by injection. And we know, we've know we known that now for the entire 40 years from Dr. Rossetti's work, um, I'll just put a plural on the end of it, that the, in fact, what happens shown here, that right-hand picture would be a diagnosis of lupus, which is an auto-inflammatory disease where the body produces antibodies causing the immune system um, to affect the, you know, to overreact and affect the um, skin, joints, blood, kidneys. Oh, that's COVID. 
Um, or is it? And, and so if you look at the dendritic cell on the inset, this is showing your innate immune response. And all of these toxins, aluminum salts, MF59, various adjuvants, the aluminum salts, the beta-glucans, the, the other synthetic particles, the contaminants, not only of viruses, but vaccine, but, but um, lipopolysaccharide, pneumonia, mycoplasma, mold. We culture these cell lines in antibiotics, antifungal, anti everything. And we just take that entire gamish um, from each cell line and we don't purify them individually. We just combine them together and call it a new vaccine and keep the patent going. Well, they were crippling the innate immune response. Your plasma cytoid dendritic cell makes 90%, 7% of your type one interferon. The key interferon in your innate immune response at your mucosal surfaces, your skin, your mouth, your eyes, your gut, your, your brain um, um, with the microglia. So here's your type one interferon alpha, and it tells the B regulatory cell, regulatory cell, what kind of antibody to make, what kind of antibody to make for the pathogen, the innate immune response is processed in those plasmacytoid dendritic cells. So it's not the data that the scientists have produced over the last 30 years. It's the lie of the interpretation, it's propaganda. So they won't show you any of these data. And in all of our books, I've shown you every, there isn't one word I've said publicly or any other way in my 40 year career that isn't based on at least one paper where you can, where you can draw the conclusion I've drawn. And this is what was clear in pandemic, 100% censored and 0% debunked. Because people would say, well, is Judy Mikovits wrong when I said um, there's no RNA vaccine ever? And I mean MMR, I mean polio, I mean there is no RNA vaccine that has ever worked and that is provide lifelong natural immunity, God-given the way if your innate immune system saw that um, pathogen, it would develop a healthy, lasting, robust response. Um, there isn't one. Why do I say that? Because, oh, you have to have boosters. Oh, and you're allergic. Oh, and in my natural measles infection, I'm 63 years old. I got measles, a very severe case. I was out of school for a week. Oh, that was horrible. It's great fun. Um, but I was in a dark room. It's a, I had encephalitis. I, I, my entire family had evidence of infection, but I'm the only one that got re really sick. You, know, you never really know why. And I'm saying all of these things because we see the exact same thing and it's just all being called COVID. And it's, it's everything. It's the crime. It's all of the cumulative um, of, of the toxins introduced into our bodies, not just introduced, injected in vaccines. Remember, how do you get tetanus? You know, they also laughed at me because I said, you walk on the sand and see the sequences and that's a booster. It's a booster when grandparents um, babysit kids at a chicken pox party or with measles because they're seeing it as a surface in their mucosal surfaces. And it's actually a booster and they'll never even know they were exposed because they have lifelong lasting immunity because these plasma cytoidendritic cells and monocyte macrophages have been able to educate the immune system to the the pathogen to the non-self thing as God. When you inject 
animal viruses before an immune system is developed or educated, then it doesn't know this difference between self and non-self. And that's autoimmunity. Your body doesn't just forget what it never knew. Back in 2015, the measles outbreaks at Disneyland. That's because the inoculated are anergic. They can't make an antibody to save their lives. It's the vaccinated causing the outbreaks. And it's the vaccine strains that are crippling people. And I just keep saying it because this is what they've done for the last two decades is tell us this. And they just weaponize the whole thing um, to call everything COVID and then inject everybody with the mRNA vaccines because everybody already has um, in those disease categories evidence of infection. They will get pathogenic priming and they will die. And that is what we're seeing. They have AIDS. They cannot possibly mount an immune response. Those people with the measles, the MMR vaccines are allergic. They don't make an antibody. And what did our FDA do? Because there's a product called IVIG, intravenous immunoglobulin. And that product is for antibody deficiencies. There's one called common variable immune deficiency. It's common. Uh, 20% of America has it now. We didn't hear about it 20, 40 years ago. And what it's, it is is subclass deficiencies. They don't make IgA. They don't make certain IgGs. They don't make, so you would give them intravenous of a pooled human um, IVIG. And the FDA used to have the quality that you have antibodies, um, the, the standard, um, you had to have measles antibodies. And so just to subtly around 2015, they, re, they dropped that requirement in the manufacture process because nobody was making any antibodies because everybody under 60 is vaccinated. I, I was too young and I got the disease and I would never get the vaccine because I'd have pathogenic priming that would destroy my own lungs. And, and so this, I'm showing you another justice denied in that vaccine court. This is a little boy. He's one, I think he has six sisters. And um, this, this is what we're seeing with, um, oh, COVID vaccines. You know, SARS-CoV-2, does this little boy have SARS-CoV-2? Uh-uh. He got a HPV, hepatitis B vaccine, which is also um, a, a synthetic virus-like particle, and they got it at birth. Well, he had, you know, what the vaccine court said was he was just this dirty little Vietnamese boy living um, in a very wealthy neighborhood outside of Washington, D.C. Um, and, um, and he had six sisters who were fully vaccinated and had nothing. Well, certain immune systems, little boys, you don't give this on the day of birth. But what, what did we show by I showed everything I just told you in that vaccine court and said it's a cytokine storm, it's a dysregulation of immune system. Um, and, and they said, oh, it has nothing to do with that. You're insane. They said the vaccine didn't cause it and, and left these people to the, left this poor little boy. This, this is what we're seeing with COVID vaccine injuries. But the doctor, thank God, the MD who was with us opining in that court heard what we said. And this is that little boy a few years later, because he didn't care, um, you know, if, if he got $250,000, they cared to have their brother back, they cared to have their son back. 
And so he simply used treatment strategies, natural products, which we suggested that were that made sense according to the injury. And you can restore the faith and the promise of science if scholars honor their obligation. There's an awful lot we can do to fix this. And we never have to think about their corruption again. So how do you just detoxify the synthetic lipid nanoparticle? Therapies we know about and are discussed in great detail. And these are this is just food. All our fat is synthetic. All our fat is, is toxic. It's rancid. It's fake, it, starting with margarine. So our cells don't have healthy membranes and we're more likely to get sick. Um, food is medicine. So I, we just showed the disease engine, the microbial. The, it's a trigger. It's a switch. It's not everything doesn't matter how in God's immune system, how much you've been injected with. You can't have oxidative stress. You can't have inflammation unchecked. That causes cancer. That causes every disease in that first line. It's not the pathogen. It's not the infection. It's, it's the dysregulation. It's all the toxins in our world. Our food is contaminated. Everything is sick. You know, you know this is type one interferon. My first job, my first job at the National Cancer Institute was purify interferon and, and cure cancer. And we, we would have, um, and, and Joe Cummins is highlighted in our book, Ending Plague, because he is a veterinarian and uh, vet PhD um, who was making the bovine interferon that is called Paximmune, and that drug alone stops COVID. That's the type one interferon you make. It's a nasal spray. It costs 10 cents. You Now it costs hundreds of dollars because of course we can't have it anymore. So the FDA stopped the sale of the product that he was using in animals to stop animal viruses from jumping into humans. So, um, and he quotes in the book, um, I did an entire chapter on this and, and Ken Tech and Lively wrote an entire book on Dr. Joseph Cummins' story because he's really a hero. He's, he's at this time dying of advanced Parkinsonian ALS-like disease caused by the continuous dysregulation of the immune system because he's exposed to the animals and the FDA took the interferon away from everybody. So just like they, 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 when you get a cure, they take it away from everybody. This would have changed everything. And that's what the journal or that Time magazine said on March 31st, 1980, as the day before my birthday and on June 10th, I started at the National Cancer Institute to do this. I said, I'm going to cure cancer and go back to medical school. Who knew we did? And, and that medical school was the problem. Well, all vaccines are GMO, as I just explained in excruciating, painful detail. All vaccines are genetically modified organisms. None are none. And, and just like all the viruses, um, there and, and look at this table from 2014, all the environmental change on zoonosis, that's animal viruses jumping into humans. You know, it didn't happen that way with SARS-CoV-2, but if we don't stop the pollution of our environment, you know, if we don't stop the manufacture of all and destroy all of these cell lines and stop their shipment across the countries, look at your customs forms, your customs forms on the back said, are you bringing in any food? to the country and now they have cell lines well in the 90s we put these cell lines in our pockets when we were working with hiv 
And it was perfectly legal. And we carried them and we gave them to our investigators. It wasn't released from a Wuhan yacht lab. It was shipped in little 1 million vials with 10 million of these little continuously growing cells that all you have to do is pop in a fermenter and inject directly into people. And, and so I, I know we'll get close to my time, but and, and I don't have too much more, but to expand on all of this. So glyphosate, glycine, as you know, is one of the three amino acids necessary to build glutathione. Glutathione is all you need in your mouth, your nasal pharyngeal cavity um, um, to stop RNA viruses along with that type one interferon, those secretions at mucosal surfaces by immune cells. Um, and so here, because of glyphosate, which is glycine with a phosphate group on it, it can't carry out the chemical reaction. So our, our soils are depleted of minerals. Our soils are heavily loaded with Roundup and toxins such that it gets into the the plant. Plants have retroviruses too. Plants have viruses in regulation and, and we've destroyed the micronutrients by this toxin in our soil. So here we see in the inset of publication, now everything's COVID 2020, endogenous deficiency of glutathione. No, God doesn't make mistakes. We didn't just one day not make enough glutathione. Our food is contaminated. We don't have enough glycine. So, you know, we need to get glutathione. We need to make our own. We simply can't put vitamin D and glutathione back. We need to have our bodies run with vitamin D made as it is by our own body with NO, with, um, with glutathione. And on the inset here, all I did for this particular talk is show everyone that these products exist. This is food. So immune formulation 200 is just simply clean glycine, glutamine, and L-cysteine. And what is the FDA going to do just like the interferon. Oh, they took N-acetylcysteine away. They're taking food away from us, healthy food away from us the, and, and causing us to get sick. So is, is toxic food COVID? Well, it's clearly not SARS-CoV-2 because as we know, there aren't little sequences in the soil or that's what I was told. I was crazy for saying that. Um, so, hey, you know, you decide, look how healthy I am. And I was exposed to everything. I'm immune to Ebola. I did all of this work and I never wore a mask because I never compromised my own immune system and we can get well and we can stay well, even though I have hard evidence of XMRV infection. Of the, I have, if you did tests on me, you'd find that viral protein, but not when I'm well, only when I'm sick, only when I'm not eating healthy food. So the loss of taste and smell, it's not SARS-CoV-2 or any other virus. It's G protein couple dysfunction. G proteins, GTP, that's our, that's our minerals. That's pure energetic. That's, I mean, sorry, that's our base pairs in our DNA. A, C, T, and G. ATP and GTP are purines. They're ATP energy. GTP run all of these things. G protein coupled receptors run every organ system in our body. They transmit. They're, they're part cannabinoid and minerals, TRPV1, that's hot and cold pain, cannabinoid. So you need, you need cannabinoids to regulate the minerals and the plants, the, the, the hemp, which make fibers and ropes strong. The hemp, they've all been removed from our environment since 1938 here in, in the U.S. So here are all of these channels. 
These, these are mineral transports and, the, and we're destroying the electron flow in our cells. So we're not getting the signaling we need to mount the appropriate immune response. And Mike Leonardo is one of our colleagues um, there at the NIH in HIV AIDS. And again, we've known all of these mechanisms by which you can prevent the development of disease for my entire career for 40 years, since June 10th, 1980. And what have we done? everything we could to steer away from it. That's the crimes of Tony Fauci and colleagues. And he's been in control since then. No, it's not that. No, they, they took the LAV, the lymphadenopathy virus that Luke Montagnier isolated and we isolated. I isolated it from saliva, from the same people with the disease. And at the time he isolated LAV, a very slow growing virus. And Luke's, Luke is also... Um, highlighted in, in the second part of Ending Plague, where we did a very long interview. I'm just blessed that before he passed away, we were able to spend a lot of time and talk to him as his, he used his brilliance to explain to me and Kentech and Lively um, and, and had a good conversation with Dr. Rossetti, so they were longtime colleagues, as to what was really going on, because we've been prevented as scientists from seeing the real data. We've only been told the interpretation, which is criminal fraud for 40 years. So the human endocannabinoid system, when you're endogenous, is dysregulated. It's not your fault. It's because your food is toxic. Everybody's like, it's autoimmune. It's autoimmune as if it's your fault. Oh, you're endogenous gamma retroviruses. Yes, 10% of our genome is a retrovirus that is expressed to teach our immune system the difference between self and non-self. And it uses this God-given regulator of stem cells, the endocannabinoid, G proteins, G coupled transmembrane proteins, and those channels I showed you in those last slide. It's everything. And our cells are sick because our lipid bilayers are fake fat or those synthetic virus-like particles are not interacting with this and we lose the flow. So these are key pathways that, that simple food, which we've been denied, um, and, and simple clean food um, has been removed from our environment. And that's, that's why they're not only in, in antiviral, they re, they turn off the neuroinflammation. They're the dimmer switch on the flame. It, it's not a drug. It's food. And our plants, it's the world's best heavy metal and detox um, in that soil. You could all just, as a Native America, all you do is look at the rows in the middle and the weeds on the outside are pulling the toxins and restoring the balance and the minerals that need to, to um, grow healthy food. So it's a God-given lipid fat signaling system in every cell membrane. And those G proteins, are your are your your DNA base pairs G proteins A G C and T? So here you turn off the switch of that inflammatory initiator. It's an on-off switch, a transcription factor, net nuclear factor kappa beta, and it controls bone development, growth, um, fat formation versus versus inflammation. If you're putting out a fire because you've injected all these toxins, you can't have growth. We see failure to thrive. That's that AIDS patient. That's that little girl who was a prime athlete and now can't metabolize food, now can't do anything because of the dysregulation, the toxins, all of them in those shots she was given in puberty, which should never be done. 
Never, ever, ever. Poly-IC mimics an RNA virus. LPS, lipopolysaccharide, is the bacterial cell wall of bacteria. These, these shots, DTP, tons of endotoxin. This is endotoxin. So you're driving that in the wrong way. And we've known all of this. This is, you know, published papers. You don't need THC. That's toxic. You don't smoke it. You, you use other terpenes, use beta carophyllin to modulate that CB2 receptor. That CB2 receptor is on the blood stem cell. As we showed, as, as I showed back here, the, the, the blue one uh, this mostly located in the brains, the dark blue CB2 versus CB1. CB1 is mostly in nervous system tissue, where CB2 is in immune tissues. So there are different cannabinols when we make all of these, but it's been robbed of our food. So most times uh, anybody sees them is, is um, breastfeeding is the last time you see you're endogenous. So we have to replace the food with the phyto, with the plant nutrients, which is again, my whole career. And you can do that very easily, which having any kind of psychoactive. Now we've taken it and made a product. Um, we've got Zelenko Z-Stack here. I call it Z-Stack Plus because we've added cannabinoids so that we can not only regulate, use vitamin C, vitamin D, which, which are also healing and restoring the balance in the immune system, quercetin, which we know is antiviral, which will keep your immune system and your liver functioning. And this was true in HIV AIDS. All of these things, this is no different. We've known it all along. So now we can add CBD and, and modulate and restore homeostasis. On the left-hand side, I simply show the patent that I held um, with a company I co-authored here on the bottom um, as an inventor of taking advantage of combination therapies for prostate cancer, again, associated with XMRV, a virus. So it's not the virus. All you have to do is take natural products listed in this patent, use very, very, very low dose, formulate them such that the virus is never expressed and active. And we are being denied all of this as it's called COVID. This was my 1998 paper. This was work we described about epigenetics, the expression of the genes. And on the, on the right-hand side is the figure from a paper um, on human endogenous viruses published about 2018. And, and this paper is fraud because it tells you that we were human beings standing up walking and we got these ancient viruses and they integrated into our genomes and, and they can transmit vertically and you get a germline infection and they get fixed there and there are human endogenous viruses. No, that's not how what happened. We didn't evolve from monkeys. There wasn't a standing human being without this endogenous virus system that regulates your genome. It's at the interface, your surfaces, your mucosal surfaces of self and non-self. So what we've done is we've we've injected and, and caused so much evolution. And this is that transhumanism you're talking about. So we're disrupting the expression of our genes, the DNA methylation, and we're disrupting the expression of our endogenous virome. So we will, with the those mRNA vaccines reverse transcribe, that's RT, retroviruses have reverse transcriptase and integrase. It's a pair of scissors that opens up your DNA here when it's expressed and cuts down. When it's methylated, it's not expressed. It's that ropes on a string we learned on an electron micrograph. Only these, in, these pieces inside the introns are expressed. We have CPG islands, CPG, CPG, CPG. 
so the, the base pairs. Um, and when the phosphate is five prime, that's the C that gets methylated. When the methyl group is put on there, this is a paper that um, it took six years. I started this work within days of finishing, of defending my PhD thesis with the expert, um, Dr. Stephen B. Balin at Johns Hopkins University. So Johns Hopkins University knows all of this. And yet there and, and how we could treat and how we can cause cancer and yet nothing's happening. So but this is described in again in ending plague in excruciating painful detail. But all we have to know is that when you methylate, when you methylate the gamma interferon, it's not expressed. The on off switch of, in, of interleukin and, and gamma interferon is one base pair different, a CPG a regulatable, regulate the expression, make it inner, inner uh, IL-2, interleukin, T-cell growth factor, or make it interferon. Do you get a type 1 immune response, which fights viruses, or are you allergic? Well, that's what my work was in HIV. It's not that it, 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 it didn't infect T-cells. It made T-cells allergic because they didn't get the right, the right signals. That's why the cells died. There was another shooter in the immune system. And, and of all you have to do is food. Dimethylglycine is an amino acid. Food, uh, an amino acid. It, it, it falls apart, so you don't have to. It starts the entire process where we can metabolize and methylate and change expression. It, it, it improves everything, verbal communication. This, this can change uh, you know, autistic kids, and it has. If we silence the pathways, knowing the crosstalk, knowing that the glutathione, everything I just told you, give a methyl donor, and you can biosynthesize vitamins, hormones, neurotransmitters. We shouldn't be taking all this vitamin D. We have to make our own as our body did by feeding it clean food. And, and these products alone, milk thistle, saved AIDS. And we know this in the movie, The Dallas Buyers Club, cannabis, milk thistle, clean your liver. Doesn't matter how much HIV is there. And I was giving these people toxic, toxic AZT. I mean, that's what we're doing. Clinical trials. One guy, they get the exact same drug. You're watching them. They have the exact same immune system. One guy's just fine. The other guy looks like that inset picture of that little girl. And here, and, and the only difference was they were taking, they were taking natural products and supplements with um, milk thistle and, and they were taking cannabis products. And, and that's the Dallas Flyers Club peptide tea. Peptide tea was developed in, in Frank Rossetti's lab with um, um, Candace Pert and peptide T would block the interaction of the macrophage and the T cell and prevent disease. So we know lactic acid, you know, what are we told in COVID? I'm just going, everything I'm saying, just replace COVID and you see it's AIDS, just as I define. So how we metabolize our food, how we, why we change the pH of cells. So uh, dimethylglycine, just giving people food, clean glycine instead of glyphosate. And you can heal all of this. Rapamycin, mammalian target of rapamycin, your key metabolic pathways, turning on and off cells. It does everything. And, and, and all you need is to regulate that. So you're not starving and you're actually metabolizing your food. Here's CBD prevents coronavirus from any entering cells, promotes the host innate immune response, which I said was curative. There's your vaccine. There's your vaccine right there, CBD. And I proposed that five years ago, 
I can, we can take beta-carophylline, we can just transiently block the CB2 receptor and get heightened, balanced immune responses. Add a little type 1 interferon like Paximmune, and, and you will have an oral vaccine that, that um, is better than anything. And, and this is all you want in Suramin and Ivermectin. They're pure energetic modulators, A and G. ATP and GTP. There's a whole family of drugs for acute chronic. They're not um, horse pills. You know, it's not, it's, it's a pure energic modulator. We've used them. It's successfully in virus associated cancers like HTLV1, as I talked about. They inhibit the binding of TGF beta. TGF beta is a bifunctional regulator of hematopoiesis, the, hematopo the blood stem cell. Um, and, and it goes both ways. Too much of a good thing is too much. So it calms it down and restores the balance. And both inhibit this particular parasite that inhibits that affects oxygen capacity of red blood cells. These are red blood cells diseases. These cure cancer and we're denied using, we're denied from using them in, in an appropriate way. And I just show you the evidence of that all the way back to 1987. We knew Suramin would work to stop reverse transcriptase, but it didn't work on lentiviruses, HIV, LAV, worked on gamma retroviruses, stop cold, murine leukemia virus related virus expression, cure prostate cancer, low dose. Here, standard vaccines, 2016, we never inoculated an HIV infected person because we did not want to dysregulate everything I showed you in, these, in, these, in the last hour. And so you, here you see standard vaccines increase HIV-1 transcription during antiretroviral therapy. So your copy number is zero. You're on antiretroviral drugs that we see on TV here in America every night advertised so you don't transmit it. And then any immune activation, any vaccines in the presence of the drug spreads HIV. So we know exactly why they're telling us, oh, yeah, HIV is out there because you just inoculated and forced the inoculation of asymptomatic carriers of these retroviruses. There's no such thing as an asymptomatic carrier of a coronavirus, you clear it. But we now know that, that SARS-CoV-2 is a pararetrovirus. It contains XMRV envelope and HIV envelope. It contains gamma retrovirus envelopes and GP120, as Luc Montagnier clearly showed in many of the variants, in every one of them. And it is definitely not new, right? It is definitely not new. But they are. There are many strains and clades. And, you know, we've been weaponizing this to grow faster. That's what Tony Fauci and Bob Gallo did. They, in, with the very first time, Tony Fauci um, uh, attacked me verbally and, and tried to get me to do something unethical in 1983 as a 24-year-old. And um, I, I should have not said what I said. And I said, go F yourself. Now I say, go Fauci yourself. Um, but the, the whole point, the, po the whole point of, of this, you know, curative strategies using agents to perturb HIV reservoir. No, you don't perturb the reservoir. You leave it silent. You leave it methylated. You keep it from being transcribed. 
with dimethylglycine, with a healthy immune system, with your type 1 interferons, with the constant expression. We have a polymerase that was just published last year, polymerase theta. And polymerase theta does reverse transcription better than HIV. We don't know which tissues and which systems and when polymerase theta is off and on, but those mRNA vaccines are going to be reverse transcribed and integrated directly into your DNA. And you're going to add a little HIV where you can recombine. You're going to express in situ where you recombine. We're going to get the more and more and more weaponized viruses. They clearly know because they've been in these cell lines for 30 years. I, I gave you, I sent you a PowerPoint for your um, data mm -hmm. called exotic biology of XMRVs. And it's not exotic at all, but that was 2013. Um, we didn't appreciate the plague of corruption. We were thinking it was all science and not politics. Well, if you, if you use any vaccine, when you're on retroviral therapy, when you're HIV or XMRV infected, that's 13% of our country. And these are the people that are going to get pathogenic. That's me. Yeah. You know, what am I going to do? What do you want? Do you want me to wear that mask? That's what I said in a store very early on. Okay, fine. You can have HIV. You decide. Do you want the common cold coronavirus or do you want my HIV to activate? And then I'll spread that through my mask, which all of these viruses, this is what we're doing. We're, we're, we're killing people. I hate to, I hate to interrupt you, um, but um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to connect you with uh, Professor um, uh, Ulrika Kamara. She is probably uh, or will be, I, I, I mean she is already a uh, brother or sister in arms because she believes in ketogenic diets and um, she ex I think she pretty much explains what you are explaining only maybe not quite in as much detail. So we're going to connect you and there's going to be a follow-up to this. Uh, okay. Just let me and just clarify uh, one thing. Mm -hmm. You said it's not the virus, it's the immune system. And the immune system has been compromised for decades or even destroyed by uh, toxic food and by uh, so-called vaccines. Is that correct? Yes. And, and so animal viruses, yeah. because there's not just the antigen in the cell line, mm -hmm. viral monkey kidney cells in every polio shot we've injected SARS-CoV-2, at least since 2000s when it was made, we've injected SARS. And that's so, because, yes, we've injected and that's because, HIV. And that's because all the cell lines have been polluted ever since. Absolutely. So They're no matter what vaccine you get, you always get the pollution with it. Perfect, you got it. All right. Well, Judy, uh, this is uh, shocking, <laughs> but it's uh, important to know this. We have to know who we're up against and we have to know what we're really fighting. I understand much better now that it's not the virus. It's the vaccines and it's the toxic, uh, the polluted uh, food that we're eating. And, and, and those monkey viruses. SARS-CoV-2 yes. is a monkey yes. virus. Yes. We're going to respond in a very bad way to a monkey virus. Mm -hmm. And we all are because we've all been pathogenically primed with polio vaccines, mm -hmm. or at least most people in the room, uh, including me, but they weren't dirty when I got them. Yeah. We didn't have these cell lines. That's critical. You have to look at the dates, 1980. And an ending plague will show you most of that. We see, I mean, our labs, these cell lines. I have a freezer full 
of these cell lines. Mm -hmm. I have all the evidence for everything. That is the last chapter of Plague of Corruption. That's the big gotcha. That's the dead man's trigger. Oh, they thought they cremated it all. They thought they they um they thought that they um, that they had us autoclave burn out all the samples when when Dr. Rossetti was forced to leave the NCI in 2013. He had a year to get out of there for his bad behavior after all he discovered. Father of human retrovirology, everything I showed you in that talk is his discoveries in, in part with other people and collaborators. We didn't have to ever see this. Luke Montagnier and Frank Rossetti could have saved the world if not for Fauci. And um, we would have never seen COVID. We would have never seen this explosion of disease if those two men and their work hadn't been censored. I'm just a really good technician. Um, that's what I do is I translate Frank's brain into a, an experiment. He's, he's left-handed. If you know him, you'll know that he, <laughs> he has two left hands, but in this book, <laughs> you, you can you can see all of, I'm right handed. And um, and so the you know, the books tell you and I show in the inset my husband and his grandson and um, that little boy has no mother and no grandfather. As of last year, they were killed, literally murdered, denied ivermectin, denied my husband had ivermectin hydroxychloroquine for his COPD. He was he was fully immune. He had proof of immunity. He had proof, you know, he and I zero converted to Omicron and everything else in, in 2010. After our discovery, we realized it was transmitting to the healthcare workers, to the lab workers. It was contagious cancer. It was contagious AIDS. It was contagious, contagious spreading. And that's the Ebola of 2014. Oh, so um, I could prove immunity. So I've walked in with a proof of God-given immunity, proof of antibodies from all those samples that we saved, all those reagents that'll show you exactly the strain, that'll show you whether there's a particle or just a sequence that never was an infectious particle. I could prove immunity for David and me. And, and he was, he got COPD, the Santa Ana winds here that you probably know very well, Reiner, um, you know, the dust. You can't, a man with COBT, their alveolar macrophagia has to clear dust. He simply couldn't, me, got to the point. Excuse me, Judy, I think this is such a big new topic. Maybe we should like save this for like an ad hoc or something that we sure. could yeah. do because you know, like we've, it's, um, we have, I mean, one thing is that There's we have an, oh, sure. an, another group of guests. Waiting. And plus I think it's okay. so interesting. It has so many details, details, but I right. think people cannot appreciate it if we kind of have to now maybe rush through it, you know, with the other oh, guests. Sorry. waiting so i think it would be better to maybe yeah. like ex explore this in a, a follow-up because i just connected okay. you while you were speaking i connected you with professor camera i think there's something really Perfect. good coming out of this connection yeah yeah the conclusion is just simply we can't call it covid and, and murder people who actually have immunity or force those who are going to be pathogenically primed to be killed and that's that's the whole point of inoculating susceptible populations you can't do it ever and your husband is a case in point. Correct. He was fine, mm. but they killed him and called it COVID. Literally murdered him for his his refusal to get the shot and trust his God-given immunity. Judy, I'm sorry to hear that, but thank you very much for this presentation. I think there's uh, there's going to be a follow-up. We're going to need that. Thank you. Thank you very much and take so good much. care. <laughs>
Thank you. Thanks yeah. for connecting us. Yes. <coughs> Uh, okay, um, jetzt musst du bitte die Einführung in die nächste um, Gruppe machen. To the next group. Okay, that'll be in German again. Uh, now we have, let's take a look at the constellation that we um, have. It's a uh, very sudden uh, change of topic now. We are looking at the situation again in Ukraine and Russia, this situation, because it is important to see that possibly next to and instead of the corona narrative, as we call it, um, there might be a different uh, um, thing developing, maybe a supply uh, shortage based on this um, um, risk of war, that's whatever is happening there. Uh, and we invited again, uh, we had them for another, um, uh, at another uh, session, a group of um, Polish soldiers uh, of a group called uh, We Defend the Uniform for Future Generations, that's uh, Jakob Juspit. Somebody's uh, microphone is still open there, uh, somewhere in the Zoom. Can we please switch it off? Thanks. Then we have Agnieszka uh, Jupinska and Alexander Sergei. Beate Markovic is going to translate. And we've got Dr. Alexander Kumpkin, who we've heard uh, already, an independent historian and uh, political scientist. And we will try to approximate of what may be going on in the Ukraine, but actually we were to have a live stream to see what's going on in Kiev. There should be war now, after all what we've heard, and if that live stream, if we can have that on the screen, would be helpful. If not, I'll just uh, check with the producers. Alexander, I think um, that needs to be muted. You need to mute your channels. There's something still interfering here. Thank you.
Let's carry on. It doesn't look as if uh, this was raging a war, which doesn't mean that it may be going on elsewhere in the country, but currently the situation is very unclear. On one hand, we hear from the Western media, it's all super dangerous. You have to leave immediately. It is an aggressive attack on Ukraine. On the other side, we hear, no, there's no attack at all. Uh, we are not attacking and uh, taking over Ukraine. We um, have been marching into the autonomous regions where we where our help is needed. Um, well, what we do know is that the side that has given us Corona needs as much chaos as possible. The Corona narrative is fading away, so now they seem to be starting the war machine to keep up the panic to the, deliver the goals that they want to deliver, which is to not complete control, introduction of a global government and a digital global digital currency um, that we don't note that we have been robbed for decades. We have a group of Polish soldiers with us and a historian and political scientist with us to maybe give us some background information. One of the theories, uh, Alexander, is that possibly Putin has done a deal with Joe Biden, and the deal is I get Ukraine and you get a little bit of uh, noise and have chaos uh, so that you can carry on your panic line. This panic line is supported by the breakdown of the energy supply or cutting off the energy supplies and the breakdown of the uh, fertilizer supply. Is that completely implausible or is it possible? Well, I expect that uh, the, this uh, would be uh, possible. Um, uh, that there's a war because the response of the West is quite modest because in 1913 or 1939 it would have meant a declaration of war or at least a recalling of ambassadors and a stoppage of um, diplomatic relations and now um, the UK is cutting uh, flight connections a very uh, severe uh, reaction or the limitation of um, banking contacts or uh, Sweden or Belgium don't want to give uh, visas, grant visas to uh, representatives of the Russian regime, but that will really uh, have a huge impact on the situation. So I would share the view that it actually some sort of deal to uh, what extent and what the final objective of this deal uh, is uh, um, would be if there is a deal because we can't prove it uh, is um, open um, certainly Russia wants to, or Putin wants to have uh, uh, control of U Ukraine maybe not directly but maybe through a puppet regime we will see more clearly soon enough but at the same time Uh, he says uh, all the time that Vladimir Zelensky is the uh, president of Ukraine um, and he wants to get them to the negotiation table, but first the army will speak. 
Uh, first of all, uh, the eastern regions have been occupied by the uh, Russian um, army, um, uh, but further west in Lviv or um, uh, others, the Russian uh, soldiers don't go there. Um, there might be a virtual border such as the river Dnieper or the uh, former Western Ukrainian um, area. So the Russian troops might go as far to the uh, borders of Ukraine as of 1939, um, the then borders. What else will happen is difficult to say. The main uh, objective uh, announced by the Kremlin is denazification. And so the um, Soldiers are advancing on Kiev in order to arrest the architects of the 2014 movement, Yakorov and Dubchin, etc., those who had started the civil war in Ukraine at the time. So it looks like it's not a war against Ukrainian people, which is the most important thing in this context. And whether the Russian troops will stay for the long haul or not um, is difficult to say. If Putin and his government really want to change the political course of the country, then the troops will stay for a prolonged period of time. But this would mean uh, that the transit uh, pathways uh, through Ukraine would be closed uh, for um, the time being. That would affect gas deliveries, of course. The attitude of China is very important. The foreign ministry of China refuses to consider this intervention an attack. And it has even been ordered that all media, social or otherwise, uh, state media, um, the term attack um, be not used. So in Germany, uh, there's talk about the um, release of Nord Stream 2. So we have already bottlenecks in gas supplies. And the winners, of course, are above all the Americans and Saudi Arabia, which has agreed to significantly increase its gas supplies to Europe. It's a question of logistics, of course, whether there are enough uh, tankers available. But that is what it looks like today. From my point of view, we can probably talk of a deal. If it isn't a deal, and if it is actually If all this, uh, the whole operation, which was, of course, planned a long time ago, but the trigger was a uh, declaration by Zelensky um, that they are working on nuclear bombs, uh, nuclear weapons, this might mean that the pressure of the West will consolidate over the next few days. But anyway, it is a fact that the east of the Ukraine is being occupied by the Russian army, and there's certainly no um, 
order to retreat anytime soon. That's the situation now. If we look at what's going on in Ukraine, trying to put it into the geopolitical uh, context that we have no, become of known so far. We know that the First and Second World War have been staged by the same people who are now staging this corona pandemic. If we put that into this context, then it could be another trial trial to get the world into panic node to uh, get control over it. Of course, that's a very, very abbreviated um, presentation. I know that, but it could be another trial of these overarching uh, powers to panic the world. And behind that panic, there is still the trial to get control over the people by saying, look, national governments can't do this. We need a global government and one that we control and a digital world currency. That could be the case. Or don't you see it that way? That's the way it looks, I'd say, because if you want to establish a worldwide dictatorship, you need the images and you need uh, certain sources of frustration. And uh, then Russia could be used as such a source of frustration. It's like in the Cold War. We uh, just see the um, Cold War uh, 2.0, less civilized. In the past, we used to think, well, the Soviet Union um, wants to attack the whole Western world. And in the 19th, we had Al-Qaeda, Haddam Hussein, Muammar Gaddafi as uh, enemies of the Western world. And now um, this no longer works. And you need a, a bigger threat, a larger frustration, so that people uh, will allow the military build-up, that they will uh, accept uh, limitation of civil rights. And uh, such images have been used throughout history, and it still seems to continue today. If we address it the way that we just have, which looks like a plausible explanation, but the, which you only arrive at if you look at history and geopolitics of the past decades in more detail. Fact is that uh, it would mean the following. The wars that took place were staged. People, soldiers were made to fight each other who would have sat on the table together and have a beer. And only because a couple of psychopaths uh, chased these people up against each other. That's how we can get the war. This concrete example is not about religion. Emotion cannot play a role here. And I do not see where we look at oil here. It's just power interests. I would like to ask the Polish soldiers on how you see this, how you see this as soldiers. Do you believe that uh, there has to be a war here with uh, Polish and Ukrainian and soldiers, so, um, uh, uh, Russian soldiers or possibly even American soldiers? Uh, 
Wy jesteście za tym, żeby prowadzić tę wojnę. Chodziło o to, że właściwie mówi się o tym, że wykorzystuje się żołnierzy, że ten na przykład poprzednie wojny, może nie druga wojna były instynktowane, żeby prowadzić panikę, żeby prowadzić kontrolę nad ludźmi. Jakby to widzicie, czy wy chcecie walczyć z rosyjskimi żołnierzami i z ukraińskimi żołnierzami? Który z was się wypowie? Witam, dzień dobry. Ja mogę zacząć. No, my jesteśmy żołnierzami, nie wiemy jakie rozkazy padną, natomiast dociera do nas bardzo dużo informacji i od naszych rodzin i od narodu. Tu nie chodzi tylko o żołnierzy, tylko w ogóle o społeczeństwa, całe narody. Nikt tego nie chce poza... Jakub, Jakub poczekaj. Um... Our soldiers, we don't know what orders we're going to get, but we get information from other soldiers and our friends. Tak, już mogę dalej? No więc dostajemy tych informacji mnóstwo i widać, że formuła straszenia wirusem już się wyczerpała. Więc po prostu trzeba przejść. I co dziwne, myślę, że jest to chwilowe. Ludzie, na, ludzie w tym początkowym etapie faktycznie złapali się na to i ulegli tej presji mediów, bo w Polsce właśnie udało się wykreować panikę. Wczoraj na stacjach benzynowych zabrakło paliwa. And we're getting to the next level now. Um, that is repeating and... No i oczywiście wygląda to w ten sposób, że Politycy, którzy są skompromitowani totalnie u, i którzy, którym sypie się system finansowy i którzy użyli broni biologicznej na swoim własnym narodzie, po prostu szukają sposobu, jak wyjść z tego bez, bez, bez kary, czy bez, bez poniesienia odpowiedzialności tak naprawdę. And the politicians are completely corrupt. The financial system is not working. Uh, biological weapons are used against uh, the own people. Uh, we have to see how to get out of this now. And um, probably they are looking for an exit strategy. Your sound, Beate, is very bad. It's very difficult to understand. Does that... Is it Better if I speak more louder? Yes. Okay. So the, the politicians uh, have to uh, see how to handle the financial system and now they are threatened to be held responsible and they are looking for ways how to get out. No i sytuacja no, jest Natomiast no, my tutaj pracujemy jako i stowarzyszenie i w ogóle grupy wszystkie wolnościowe, te świadome, 
żeby bardzo szybko też nawet wyprowadziliśmy taką kontrakcję przeciwną. Tutaj za mną są takie plakaty, która, która ma za zadanie zdeeskalować ten cały, bo, bo wszystko, polega, wszystko jest skoncentrowane teraz wokół ludzkich myśli i wokół tego, co ludzie mają w głowach. Cały czas się nakręca tą teraz wojnę i cały czas i nawet ci, co protestują przeciw wojnie, mówią stop wojnie, cały czas mają w głowie tą wojnę. My wyprowadziliśmy akcję, która oscyluje wokół pozytywnych wyrazów, czyli takich jak pokój, braterstwo, wolność. I chcemy, żeby ten przekaz szeroko się przebił wśród ludzi, bo tak naprawdę jedynym sposobem dla polityków, w jakim oni mogą to wciągnąć na tą wojnę, to tylko wtedy, jeżeli będzie przyzwolenie ludzi tak naprawdę, bo wiemy, że woli nie ma tak naprawdę w narodach, w żadnych narodach, bo my się kontaktowaliśmy też z innymi narodami. Dlatego jest to bardzo istotne, żeby ludziom zakodować zupełnie przeciwne myślenie niż, w ten, niż, niż to, co próbują zaszczepić media. To jest wojna informacyjna, także jeżeli oni działają informacją, to my również. The association which has been presented already is the Polish Association and they are now cooperating with other associations very intensively in order to show the population that nobody wants a war and that this uh, war is uh, taking place in the heads of the people rather um, than in real life. So people are forced into a war, although they are uh, rallying against uh, war, and this is why they have started a counteraction. Um, they are doing uh, posters which are hung up all over posters saying we want peace and freedom and fraternity and they know the same nations do the others the people from russia the people from ukraine and poland and the people see that this is an information war we're at and uh, <clears throat> Um, even uh, especially if this is not allowed in the heads of the people, this war won't take place. That is good to hear, and we have um, discussed before that we want to set up a bigger conference with geopoliticians and historians like Alexander on one side, uh, two or three, and soldiers from Poland, Ukraine, Russia, Germany, US, and Canada um, in order to find out how do the soldiers think? How do the people think? How do the soldiers think? Do they have what may be staged here? Did they see through this? Did they see that what we see as a corona crisis here is staged? And can it be that they also understand what is staged as a war here is actually staged as well? Oh, well, at least tricked into it. Uh, maybe just not only staged, but, uh, well, kind of put up.
tutaj było też wymienione, że w najbliższym czasie odbędzie się spotkanie też tutaj w Corona Ausschuss żołnierzy z Ukrainy, żołnierzy z Rosji, żołnierzy z Polski, ze Stanów Zjednoczonych i z Kanady. A teraz jak wy oceniacie tą sytuację, jak, jak to waszym zdaniem wygląda? Czy ludzie przejrzeli w tej chwili, że to jest jakby równoległa sytuacja do Korony? Może ja, może ja się zacznę. Oczywiście my jesteśmy żołnierzami, czyli nie jesteśmy żołnierzami zawodowymi, ale jak było wspomniane, my zrzeszamy wszystkie służby mundurowe. Mamy rodziny, mamy sąsiadów, którzy do nas, jako że od rządu nie mogą dostać informacji, to zwracają się do nas. I wszyscy sobie zadają pytanie, raczej wszyscy sobie zdają sprawę, że te siły, jeśli chodzi o COVID, czy, czy teraz o wywołanie konfliktu, to są dokładnie te same siły. Tu chodzi tylko, żeby i wyłącznie, żeby trzymać ludzi w panice i wprowadzać dalsze plany. Nikt sobie teraz nie zdaje sprawy, że równocześnie, gdy wszyscy koncentrują się na konflikcie, a wirus zginął nagle, to gdzieś tam nam za plecami szykuje się już dalsze plany, które mają wprowadzić jeszcze gorsze, gorsze szaleństwo na świecie. My jako żołnierze ciężko nam to rozgraniczyć, już składaliśmy przysięgę, przede wszystkim jesteśmy żołnierzami, przede wszystkim ja jestem zobowiązany do, do bronienia kraju i będę żołnierzem, który ma doświadczenie międzynarodowe, i byłem na różnych ćwiczeniach wojskowych. Wolałbym z tymi panami, z tymi żołnierzami iść na piwo, jak to było do tej pory, a nie walczyć przeciwko nim. Niemniej jednak wiem, że to jest szaleństwo, ale jako żołnierz Wojska Polskiego, jeśli ten konflikt przyjdzie do nas, to my mamy w rękach los naszego narodu i ja oddam, i moi koledzy, koleżanki oddamy za niego życie. Mimo, że wiemy, że tak naprawdę ta cała sytuacja ma drugie dno. Nie chcemy walczyć. My jesteśmy po to, aby pokój utrzymać, jak się mówi u nas. E, szykujcie się do wojny, módlcie się od pokój. My chcemy tego pokoju. Pokój zaczęło na się, jest w każdym z nas. I nie chcemy tej sytuacji. Wiemy, że to jest wszystko, e, że ta sytuacja ma drugie dno i z takimi właśnie stwierdzeniami, z takimi zapytaniami do naszego stowarzyszenia zgłasza się całe społeczeństwo jako do służb mundurowych, które akurat w tym przypadku potrafią myśleć. Aleksander said that he is a soldier just like Jakob. So on last time they said that they are former soldiers now and Alexander said that they do see this and more and more people come in and uh, say that they see what is going on in the situation. More and more soldiers come in, families, friends, asking soldiers on their opinion and they say what they see as people, but they see this second area where all of this is taking place. This is difficult to misuse and this is why the war situation is now being used between Ukraine and Russia. So they see it the same. They would rather have um, 
stay in contact with soldiers from other regions and rather have a beer with them than fight them. And uh, we have to say no, that they have sworn an oath in order to fight for their country as soldiers if there is war and uh, they will uh, defend the Polish people and that is what they will do. Alexandra said that they don't want war either and there is a saying that we prepare for war but we pray for peace and uh, that is uh, that they have been trained for and they have this opinion now that they want to uh, prevent the war but uh, they still are going to defend the country. That's a very good intersection. Um, what we can do, maybe we'll be able to do that next week to uh, get a bigger group of soldiers in. We are in contact with American soldiers, Canadian soldiers and German soldiers who will then maybe able to discuss in a bigger group on how much do they know. Uh, do they see things as uh, we do? Well, we have no more. We have talked to 150 experts. But I have the impression, after all what I've heard, that at least the Polish Polish soldiers think the same um, as if I listen to Alexander from Russia. I do assume that the Russians also have understood that this is possibly about staged uh, wars, and that is really what we want to discuss in a larger group. Do you want to translate that, Beata? You are muted now. Okay, thank you, Beata and Alexandra, Agnieszka and Jacob and uh, the other Alexandra as well. We'll probably meet next week. It good, looks good. Uh, our contacts uh, with the soldiers in US, Canada and Germany are very promising. So thank you very much for giving us that little overview for the time being. Thank you very much. Thank you, Alexandra. One question. I have contacted Mr. Roboff and he um, would be ready to speak to us. That means we can ask him and I would uh, translate his answers. Should we do that next week in a bigger group? Yes, that would be better because we've got more guests in and we are not yet prepared. But if you have him here, it's great. Uh, so um, let's do that in a larger group uh, with more detail next time. Okay, so I'll call him back and tell him that we are planning a bigger session next week. And maybe you can give him the questions in advance and I could uh, forward them to him so that he can prepare to that. 
We'll send them over, yes. Okay, again, thank you, all of you, and have a nice weekend. Okay, thank you, Reiner. Jakob wanted to finish off with a word. W Polsce wprowadzono bardzo dużo niebezpiecznych praw. Dzisiaj, dzisiaj to jest informacja z teraz. Dostałem, że wpłynął projekt ustawy o powszechnym obowiązku szczepień oraz weryfikacji paszportów covidowych. Prezydent... So during this difficult situation with the war, um, the, we want, amongst others, um, uh, talk about uh, or cover up that this COVID pass is now mandatory and the vaccination is mandatory. Uh, so that's currently only a project, but um, that is that's important to know, and it's important that everybody sees what's going on. A couple of days ago, the Polish president passed an act that was take that took immediate effect. That the American soldiers, I think, six thousand five hundred troops, and uh, English soldiers. Uh, 700 and North Irish soldiers, which was made explicit, and Canadian, um, 300 Canadian troops are allowed on Polish territory by the end of May, and they are allowed to use weapons there. And this has shocked the people who have heard about that. So, yeah, foreign soldiers are allowed to use arms on Polish territorium, and that uh, allowance came from the Polish president. Well, so the, it, go, it all goes in the direction that it's in, put in scene by the Polish president to make it bigger. We want to stage something as well, on a table with a couple of beers. I think that's uh, more promising. Well, starts with us. And one more thing. People do not want peace. We demand it. Free people demand free uh, peace. 
and only a small group wants war. Thank you for making that clear. Many people are listening to this, hearing this, and understanding it now. So thank you again. Next week we're going to have a bigger time, a bigger uh, meeting. Thank you. Thank you very thank you. much. Have a nice weekend. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, and now let's move on to something completely different. Yes, was ganz. Um, next guest here. Um, I don't know if he's with us already, but let's check it out. Um, Ed Dowd, Edward Dowd, are you? Can you hear us? I can see you. Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, perfect. Thank you for joining us. I know it's real early. You're um, on one of the islands, on one of the Hawaiian islands, right? Yes, I'm on the island of Maui. Wow, perfect place for windsurfing and surfing of all different types. <laughs> I remember that because you know what? I'm uh, in order to um, in order to keep my um, bar admission to the California bar. You have to do some 36 or 38 hours every th three years of um, what they call continuing minimum legal education. I always <laughs> used to do that on the island of Maui. <laughs> Not a bad place to do it, I think. Not really. But I also used to be a banker, um, and that's what you are or were, an investment banker, right? I've, um, I'll do, let me just give a, a brief background yes. of where I've been in the, in the capital markets. Um, I went to the University of Notre Dame in the Midwest. I studied finance and anthropology, and I went to uh, HSBC, Hong Kong Shanghai Bank in Chicago as an institutional fixed income salesperson. Uh, normally that's a job that's given to people with MBAs, but I was able to get it. And uh, I spent five years there and uh, I learned a lot in those five years. I learned about the interest rate cycle, the credit markets, the how the, uh, economics works, currencies, um, and I saw, you know, my my first introduction to the fraud that that I'll explain that the credit system fraud is inherently built into the credit system. Um, and so that I, I cut my teeth there. I wanted to become an equity portfolio manager. So I went back to business school, Indiana University. And from there, I went to an investment bank known as Donaldson, Lufkin and Genret. I was a uh, electric, electric utility research associate for two years between 1997 and 99. And uh, now electric utilities during that time were not very exciting, but I you know, sat in the research department and down the hall from me were all the dot-com people. And I saw what went on there. Um, and I saw how Wall Street really operated. Um, I left there to go up to Boston uh, and I went to a firm called Independence Investments as a uh, technology, software, and telecom equipment analyst. And uh, during the uh, popping of the bubble, um, I'm just a, a person who's very cynical and uh, studies history. So I knew it was a bubble. I knew we were in a bubble. And that's when I fought, saw my first mass formation psychosis. Everybody thought there was a new paradigm and things were going to be different. Well, you know, uh, I uh, steered my firm out of the way of a lot of the wreckage, uh, not completely, but enough as a young analyst to then um, parlay that reputation in town into a job at BlackRock as a young portfolio manager in 2002. Uh, at the time, I was a co-portfolio manager, and I still had analytical responsibilities for technology and energy. And we grew the product over 10 years from $2 billion to $14 billion. 
And then I saw the great financial crisis fraud. Um, so I saw fraud in the, uh, in the early 90s. I saw fraud in the dot-com bubble, and I saw fraud in the housing bubble. And I left BlackRock in 2012 to come to Maui with my now ex-wife for her to start a business. I tried to start a couple of businesses, and I'm currently tr trying to start another business now. But um, I guess that's my background. And, and uh, I guess if you have any questions on that, I can take them. But I could really start to go into you know the you know the money system and how it works. Whatever you would like. Yes, please do that because I saw you in one of the interviews you gave. Uh, I think it was with Maria Z from Australia. Um, you explained mm -hmm. how fraud always uh, needed a home. The first one in, during the dot com crisis uh, was, of course, corporations. Then uh, Lehman crisis, the housing and financial crisis. It was the banks, and now uh, there's no not much room uh, to wiggle themselves out of now it's with the central banks right correct so let me explain the credit system so um the monetary system that we currently have is a, is a debt-based monetary system um, what that means is for every dollar printed uh, corresponding debts are printed and then multiplied um can you still see me no uh we can hear you but we can't see you right now okay you're yeah, back somebody tried to call. all right I had to cancel a call. Sorry about that. Okay, no problem. Um, uh, uh, so, so credit. So the, the the money system works via credit creation, and central banks, when they print dollars, don't necessarily have well before recently, but before quantitative easing and all the meddling by the central banks. Traditionally, they would print dollars. It would go into the banking system, and uh, usually there was cycles to it. There was easy money cycles and then tightening money monetary cycles. During an easy monitoring uh, cycle, usually at the bottom of a recession or an economic downturn, um, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it begins anew. Credit is created. It goes into the economy. Lending begins. It finds uh, useful areas to invest in. But eventually, that credit punch bowl is left on the table too long. The credit uh, punch bowl leads to excess and excess leads to fraud. And then inevitably the central banks um, who are not part of this fraud, at, you know, the historical fraud would um, have to tighten the monetary credit because of inflation or other reasons. And then the frauds would be exposed because the frauds, you know, relied on easy money to cover up things. Um, you know, so let's go back to the 90s. We had the SNL banking crisis um we had then we rolled into then the fed did a monetary easing cycle and we rolled into corporate fraud during the dot-com boom um then the fed removed the punch bowl and we had the recession in the uh in the beginning of the 2000s and they then had to you know introduce uh more monetary easing that flowed into uh the housing real estate bubble and again the Federal Reserve has no control or, or central banks around the world have no control where the credit flows, but they just know that if they create credit, something will happen. So the credit flowed into the housing market and the investment banks on Wall Street uh, got involved and uh, made a ton of money. And um, one of the hallowed institutions were the, uh, the credit agencies, the rating agencies, and they made a ton of money uh, from the volume of these bonds. So they became corrupted and started to rubber stamp um, garbage bonds 
uh, for money. And it became what I call the institutional imperative, which is a uh, term coined by Warren Buffett that describes how an institution over time acts on the benefit of itself rather than their stakeholders or shareholders. So in the case of the rating agencies, <clears throat> they were giving up their credibility to make money. And it eventually came back to bite them. Um, we know what happened in the great financial crisis. It ended and uh, there was a scramble. But the problem with the great financial crisis was that it was a systemic threat. A lot of these other frauds I talked about weren't systemic. Um, due to the systemic nature of the banking fraud, central banks had to step in and governments had to step in. And um, if you remember what happened, uh, the banks were bailed out, okay? Where did that debt go? It didn't disappear. It went on the balance sheet of the central banks. And governments fund, uh, the central banks fund governments, so the government was involved as well. Um, if you remember, not one senior banker went to jail due to the great financial crisis. Not one. So I don't believe the fraud. So the, I call it a series of rolling frauds. So from, the, from uh, 2009 onwards, it, the system has been inherently corrupt, and it's only gotten worse. And again, I would say that the institutional imperative has shifted uh, to the banks and the central banks where they used to act on the behalf of stakeholders. Now they're acting on their own interests. And central banks did things we had never seen before in the great financial crisis. They became buyers of debt. They'd always been involved in the debt markets, but that was on the, on the, on the edges. They started to wholesale buy debt. Um, now, it was only government debt at the time. And um, fast forward to COVID, um, the Federal Reserve did something very different in this latest downturn. They started to buy corporate debt, private debt. Now, the European Central Bank had already been doing that, but this is the first time the Federal Reserve started to do this. So, you know, uh, the system has um, gotten to the point where um, the credit creation is at, at, at near its end because the Federal Reserve was created in 1913 to be the lender of last resort. So, you know, credit cycles um, uh, have a rhythm and, a, and, and, and uh, they go up, they go down. Well, over the last 100 years or so, 100 plus years, we're at the end of this system's credit cycle. And why do I say that? Because um, the central banks uh, are up to their eyeballs in debt. The governments are up to their eyeballs in debt. Um, uh, individuals are up to their eyeballs in debt. And when this thing, and, and, and it's inevitable, they cannot, this is, the system will collapse at some point. And they, and they know that um, because here's a little known secret about um, central bankers. They don't control um, the debt markets. The debt markets usually lead the central bankers, okay? It's the market forces that lead. So you'll see the markets move first and the central bankers react. They, are not, they don't have the power that we all give them. Now, they've been able to kick this can down the road for a long time because of the unprecedented global coordination between central banks. They used to act independently with some loose partnerships and affiliations, but um, you know, the actions I've seen over the last 10 years um, uh, show me that it's been massive global coordination on the monetary policy. 
um, to keep this whole thing afloat. So um, the, the credit system is inherently unstable. It's an inherently unstable um, system um, that usually, uh, and, and the, this instability leads to volatility, which leads to recessions, uh, credit markets and stock markets wobbling. So it's built into the system. Um, and, and, the, and the people who run the show know this. And um, for friends of mine in financial circles, you know, in 2017, uh, 18 and 19, we're trying to figure out when this will end, how it will end, and what would they do when it ends? Because we would speculate, well, they'll cover it up with war, this or that. Because, you know, look, if, if the system is going to implode, you can't take uh, responsibility for that. You need something else to be blamed. And so when COVID, now I'll move on to, um, so we have a, a sovereign debt bubble. The bubble has gotten so big, there's nowhere to run. It's global and we're at the end. So that's where we are. Any questions there? And then I can go into COVID and what, what I saw. Just one question. I think the sovereign debt uh, bubble it was explained to me by another investment banker by the name of uh, Leslie Mnookin. I think it's even worse here in Europe with the ECB than uh, with the Fed. Would you uh, agree to that? Yes, the, uh, the ECB um, is in much more dire shape than the Federal Reserve because they are not the world reserve currency. Uh, the Fed is the world reserve currency. So we, the U.S., is uh, has a lot more control over things than than Europe does, mm -hmm. and more levers to pull. Um, and you know, we uh, you have to remember, credit creation is is the glue that keeps us together. Um, many countries across the globe have borrowed in dollars, um, so that helps keep our um, system in the U.S. afloat. So let's I'll use Turkey as an example. Mm -hmm. Turkey will issue. Um, their own government debt, dollar-denominated. Um, corporations in Turkey will issue debt dollar-denominated. And what that means is the Federal Reserve, if they were to ever raise interest rates, which they're in the process of doing, <laughs> um, would cause a global liquidity crisis because as the cost of money goes higher, and dollars are withdrawn from the system, the dollar will rise and it becomes more expensive to borrow in dollars. So it's, it's actually, when the Federal Reserve raises interest rates, the unintended consequence is a, um, a crisis in another country that starts to have liquidity and capital flight problems. Mm -hmm. um, does that make sense? Absolutely, yes, thank you. Okay, so, so yes, it, and in Europe it's much worse. And I think, I believe, Europe has a different pension system mm -hmm. than the US. We have social security, but most people here don't trust it or think it's gonna work, so people make alternate plans. But I do believe in Europe, lots of folks rely on the pension system, correct? Exactly, and that is completely depleted. Yes, so the pensions, private pensions and government pensions are all underfunded. The liabilities uh, exceed the assets. And I'll come back to that at the end of my mm -hmm. talk because I want to pose something that's philosophical in nature that I can't prove, but it needs to be introduced into the global conversation. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I was expecting 
um, something to happen. You know, timing, of course, is key. Um, incidentally, in, in February of 2019, I made a, a personal to-do list for myself. And one of the items, the last item was prepare for what is coming. Because I just knew something was coming because this is what I do. I try to predict things. Um, in, uh, in, in 2019, October, November timeframe, there was a little known um, uh, crisis. It, most people don't know this, but there was a crisis um, in the central banking system and the bank system. There was a repurchase agreement crisis. This is overnight money. Um, and the Federal Reserve was doing strange things with uh, overnight lending. And um, the rumor was, and again, I can't prove this, was that there was credit, the credit was starting to deteriorate, credit, um, mean, credit prices, meaning you know, the, the uh, interest rates, the spreads on credit, especially the, the um, more suspect credits in corporate America and Europe were starting to widen. And there was a lot of um, corporate uh, credit hedge funds um, that had done what the Fed wanted them to do. They went and borrowed money and then levered up and bought all this debt. So, it was, you know, they were, they were doing what the Fed wanted, not, not directly, not under order, but, you know, what, what the Fed wants is credit creation. Well, there was a problem in credit in October, November. This is, again, rumors. I have no, I have no proof, but this, this is Wall Street chatter. And uh, the, the Fed was doing um, these massive uh, overnight uh, lendings to investment banks. And that's important because the investment banks have these hedge funds as clients. And so it was re really uh, an indirect loan to a hedge fund via the, via the investment bank. And you know, that's untenable for a central bank to be seen as bailing out hedge funds. Okay. So, so that we had that problem. And then lo and behold, COVID comes not soon, uh, too much after that, you know, months, months after that. Now, I don't want to get into the debate whether um, this was planned by central bankers. I have no proof of that. Or it was COVID was a convenient excuse for central bankers. But it certainly was because um, when COVID hit and we had the crash uh, in March, um, they under the cover of COVID, uh, granted themselves emergency powers and did unprecedented things and printed a uh, 65% increase in the money supply in the US, which is unprecedented, the largest single monetary increase in the history of the Federal Reserve. They also, um, with the help of uh, uh, Mnuchin, the then Treasury uh, Secretary uh, uh, of the Treasury, started to buy corporate bonds for the first time, okay? So isn't that interesting? It was a corporate, prob corporate credit problem in the fall, and lo and behold, all of a sudden, the Fed ends up buying some um, as the lender of last resort, so to speak. So, so the Fed and the central banks across the globe were bailed out by COVID. Again, I, I don't want to get into the debate about whether this was intentional or, or convenient. We don't need that. But um, uh, one thing that really tipped me off to the current um, global coordination we see today that I predicted in a series of tweets on May, uh, of May 3rd of 20, May 2nd of 2020, I wrote a, a, a thread, uh, a dystopian movie thread, and I said it 
in a, I couched it in those terms because people would have thought I was crazy if I said this is going to happen. Um, and I basically predicted what we're all seeing today in this series of tweets over time. And what really tipped me off was April 5th of 2020. Um, James Bullard, a Federal Reserve president, went on Face the Nation. And you got to remember, everybody was in fear. Everybody thought the virus was going to kill two, three million people in the U.S. and all over the globe. Those were the models being projected at the time. So we have to go back in history and remember what was going on. James Bullard gets on Face the Nation. And the um, I forget who the person who was interviewing, she asked him, well, given this virus and the fear, how are we going to reopen the economy? Because people won't want to go out and shop and go to their jobs. They'll just, how are we going to do this? And he said on April 5th of 2020, well, we have, because of technology, we have the ability to issue badges that could track immunity. And then, okay, this is April, 20, this is April 5th of 2020. And so a central banker, one of the presidents of the Federal Reserve, floats, I call, we call it floating the idea. He floats this idea. Then the interviewer says, well, when we come back to the next segment, we're going to talk about all the great surveillance technology that could monitor this. Well, you got to remember at the time, um, I was very suspicious of COVID because, um, you know, I started to realize that it wasn't as bad as people thought it was. The images coming out of China were clearly propaganda because nothing comes out of China that they don't want to get out of China. So people dropping in the street, massive spraying of um, streets. You know, I'm a, I'm a very suspicious, cynical man. It looked stage production quality to me. So I knew something was going on. Um, and I, I couldn't put my finger on it. But then I saw the Federal Reserve president. And uh, I started to, you know, look at what was going on, the, the difference between the real science and the proclamations from global governments and the WHO. And I started to see videos of Fauci predicting a pandemic in 2017. And, you know, uh, all of a sudden, Bill Gates is front and center uh, telling me what my health care is going to be um, and, and talking about vaccines. Um, I also noticed he put out a tweet in December of uh, 2019 that said, um, basically that he was bullish on vaccines. Very interesting prediction in, in, in December of 2019. Um, that's still out there. He hasn't deleted it. So uh, to, to give you an idea of what I do, I'm a stock picker. And those of us in the financial markets that are good, not everyone's good. And I'm not always right. So I'm not trying to say that. I've been wrong and that, that's part of the business. But we make that's with the capital of our clients and ourselves based on limited information and connecting the dots. So I don't need to wait for the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal to tell me what's happening because by the time they tell me, the opportunity is missed. So I make lots of, um, we call it the analyst mosaic, we call it connecting the dots. So what I'm describing to you is really a stock thesis for the globe. Okay, it's a it's a it's a mosaic analyst mosaic thesis. And so I started to see very strange things going on here. And I also want to point out that um, many of us in the financial community 
um, raised concerns about the comments from the federal, the federal reserve president. And that idea that they floated was then removed from the national conversation. It, we never saw it again. It was very hard to find the video of this interview. Um, luckily internet sleuths have found it again, but it was kind of removed from the national discourse. And in, in fact, if you just, if you talked about vaccine passports in the summer of 2020, which I did coming, uh, you were called a conspiracy theorist. So, um, I'm just a, I'm just a gentleman who, um, watch, watch what people say, not what they do. I followed the breadcrumbs. I created thesis. So the tweets that I wrote, I, I said to myself, if COVID is covered. Okay. Sorry about that. It's all right. um, if COVID, if COVID is covered um, for a sovereign debt bubble, let me write some tweets about what, how it would unfold and why they would do that. Well, if you have a sovereign debt bubble um, and uh, you needed to blame it on something else and you also needed to um, control the populace once they found out that the social contract had been broken, and by that I mean we're broke, the pensions aren't gonna be paid, okay? How do you, what do you do? You need to set up a system in, in, in place that creates fear, uncertainty, and doubt. You need to create a virus, you need to uh, make uh, systems of control, restrict travel, introduce the vaccine passport, which then leads to digital ID and potentially a reset um, of the currencies, okay? And then everybody behaves according to what we know is coming a socialist credit score. I also said, the, you know, I, I said the vaccine uh, in my tweets, I was very suspicious of, well, the vaccine didn't even exist yet, but I, I just, for the fun of it said, well, if, if there's a sovereign debt problem, um, and this is really why they're doing it, um, it's become, and again, this is a, um, I, I'm gonna describe now what I was gonna say later, but um, uh, this is a philosophical question. Again, I have no proof, but since uh, the creation of the credit system in 1913, the system writ large, not any one person, but the system is viewed a human as a center of profit. You know, we could, a consumer to make money off of. Um, with all the uh, unfunded liabilities, the amount of debt, the sovereign debt, the uh, pension debt, um, the personal debt, just debt, 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 and, and, and the central banks have nowhere to go. What if the system not any one person, but the system now views it's more profitable to kill a human being because of all the obligations that that human being has from the state. That's the philosophical question. So that's why in my tweet thread, I um, suggested that the vaccine would be um, detrimental to our health without even seeing it. It hadn't even been developed yet. It was, this is May of 2020. So as it's, and then I said that um, the, the people who are vaccinated would get sick, blame the unvaccinated. The governments would obviously blame the unvaccinated. We've seen all this. People are getting sick. They're blaming the unvaccinated. I also said that there'd be um, um, media censorship. I said they would um, um, not allow credentialed 
experts that went against the narrative to have a voice. We've seen this. So almost everything I've said has is, is come true. I just don't have any proof, but the proof is in the pudding. I thought this in May of 2020 because I, there's a sovereign debt crisis. And I said to myself, think like a criminal. If I was a criminal running the show and I had this problem, what would I do? This is what I would do. Now, this is all very speculative and, um, and, and, and you know, the, the proof seems to be coming. Your, the, the, the proceedings you have are putting together what I call the analyst mosaic and the pieces of the puzzle are falling into place. It's not relative uh, anymore, Edward. I know it's, it's no, it's not. But but you know, I for those who are still doubting, um, who may be listening to this, I'm all about changing the marginal mind. Mm -hmm. I think what what people need to say to themselves is, okay, the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times hasn't written about this yet, but by the time they do, you may be dead because you're on your fifth jab. So it's it's time. It's time for people to do what people on Wall Street do and use their gut and intuition and maybe start agreeing with us. I'm all about changing the marginal mind. Mm -hmm. I know this is horrific to think it might be going on. Every day that goes by, in my mind, it's not a question of um, did they do it? It's a question of they probably did do it, okay? And um, again, the, and. And not everyone's involved. Some people are useful idiots here. Yeah. I mean, politicians, there may be some politicians with direct knowledge, and there may be politicians that don't, but just, you know, they're not that bright. A lot of our politicians are not bright people. I agree. So, you know, the other thing I'd like to say is, you know, as this has unfolded in, into 2021, what did we, we saw? You know, the virus was proven to be 99.9% um, survivable for those of us that aren't um, morbidly obese or um, old with uh, multiple comorbidities, okay? So as, as this fact was there, we continue to see the draconian, tyrannical steps by these governments go parabolic. So that is also proof in the pudding that something is going on. And, and, and the global coordination of this, the messaging, uh, um, when, do, when do global governments ever agree on anything? Okay, rarely, but this they seem to agree on. And uh, voices in the medical field and scientists like Dr. Eden that you had on, Drs. Malone, McCullough, all over the globe um, have decided to courageously look at the data that they see, and because they're, in, you know, people with integrity and honesty, not driven by money and, and virtue signaling, they said, hey, this is there's something not right here. And then they, the reaction by the governments and the media, which is also involved in this, they're complicit in this murder that's going on. Um, they attack these people. So I watch what people do, not what they say. When someone when I'm told I can't listen to someone, I listen to them. I'm, I, that's my nature. I view, uh, I view um, anybody that I'm not supposed to listen to, I, I then go study them and make my own decision. So, the, you know, let's step back to 20, let's step back to the 70s. We had a swine flu vaccine. Um, the government did some shady things then. It was exposed on 60 Minutes. But you know what? The system wasn't as corrupt as it is now. And the signal 
was received early on that it killed 25 people, just 25. And it was pulled, pulled. Dr. Yeadon came out early. Um, lots of other doctors came out early um, and talked about this vaccine. In the normal 30 years ago, Dr. Yeadon would have been heralded as a hero and the signal would have uh, been received and this would have ended. So the, the fact that these signals are being ignored and suppressed um, says to me that there's a coordination from the media that we've never seen before. And I'm going to say something that I don't think a lot of people have said yet, but I'm going to say it. It, it, it seems to me that this could not be done without the help of intelligence agencies. And we all know that intelligence agencies um, during the Church Commission in the 70s were involved in mainstream media control. Mm -hmm. So um, it's my opinion that a lot of the people in our media and the people um, that may have been threatened by the agencies, bribed by the agencies or agency cutouts, it doesn't matter. But this, this, this coordination has to involve intelligence agencies, okay? I, I'm just going to say that. Um, um, so, you know, these are these, you know, who are these intelligence agencies? You know, they're, they're full of good people, but we all know how um, these operations work. 90% uh, of the people are good people. 10% are on the black ops uh, books where mm -hmm. things that shady things go on that aren't that, that no one that even senators and Congress people don't know about. So it's, it's something we all know. We've read books about it. Um, we know the CIA was involved in uh, um, the crack cocaine uh, um, drug dealing in the uh, 80s. There was a uh, reporter, Gary Webb, who exposed that. And then he uh, suicided himself with two gunshot wounds to the head, two, not one. Um, so the, look, we know this. So um, this may sound shocking to people, but look at what's going on. You don't, don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to say to yourself, something isn't right. And I know lots of people who a couple months ago thought I was crazy, don't think I'm so crazy anymore. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm also, and you've seen my work, I feel like if we can show that Pfizer committed fraud and get um, uh, Wall Street to realize they've been jabbed with poison, because, uh, you know, look, Wall Street is not a cabal. It's, it's a bunch of different institutions competing against each other that took the jab. Most of these people took the jab. Mm -hmm. um, and they don't like being fooled either. So if we can um, prove that Pfizer's fought, uh, committed fraud, all the identification goes away across the globe, and this whole house of cards collapses. So I'm, even though we've been talking about my analyst mosaic, I think from my actions... I can have the most impact in affecting um, Wall Street via the stocks of Pfizer and Moderna and proving it was fraud, which I believe 100% in my opinion. And the case is starting to come out that I'm correct. Um, and uh, unfortunately, the fruits of their labors are showing up in the insurance company results in the funeral home results. So we're at a very important point globally where the truth can't be hidden anymore. There's empirical evidence in the death count and, uh, uh, you know, different data points other than official government data points are coming to light. And I also want to highlight what happened in Germany uh, on Tuesday. Um, on Tuesday, a German insurer, 
um, went public. And this is very important. They basically said two things, uh, that they, through their own client base and the claims they're seeing, say that the vaccine injuries, forget deaths, they're not even talking, they're just talking injuries, have been underreported by the German government 10 to 1. Yeah. 10 to 1. And they said, this is very important, they said, we release this data because it's the ethical thing to do. Okay. Now, normally when an insurance company figures something out that they don't think their competitors have figured out, they keep it internal and then they do things, they offlay risk, they do pricing, they try to take advantage of it. Mm -hmm. It's called asymmetric uh, information. Well, finally, somebody, somebody had the courage to say, we had to release this because of the ethical, it's the ethical thing to do. And I applaud uh, this German insurance company. And I also hope it encourages other insurance companies to call this out. In the US, I did a lot of um, work recently on listening to the insurance uh, reporting that happened in the second week, the first week of February and second week of February. I also had a um, anonymous Wall Street insurance analyst who used to work for a big investment bank help me with the analysis. And uh, a lot of the, the co companies called out a rise in mortality in the second half, uh, that, and they called it COVID and indirect COVID. We know what indirect means. Um, uh, and uh, we also um, uh, we also heard them talk about um, a disproportionate number of young people were dying faster than older people in their in their in their cohort. And we analyzed group life insurance policies, which is a not individual, but the reason we did is because of the accounting recognition, losses will show up there first. And the thing to understand about this group, this group are people that are employed, working age people, and generally speaking, larger sized firms that can afford to give their employees a life benefit. Um, usually you get it when you sign up, you get your health care, you get your dental, and you get a $50,000 or $100,000 uh, death benefit, which never gets used because young people normally don't die unless it's a tragic accident. Um, young people are dying and they're not dying of accidents. So this is, and what happened in the second half of, um, in the US, what happened in the second half of 2021? Mandates and boosters. I rest my case. That's all we need to know. I don't need the, I don't need the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times to tell me. So this is what I'm trying to do. This is what I see. Um, hopefully this information in my analyst mosaic is useful to the um to these proceedings you have spoken to a whistleblower uh who uh was i guess somehow involved in the pfizer trials right correct so um because of my um sudden no notoriety through my affiliation with dr malone i was um went on the steve bannon uh war room show three or four weeks ago and I said, I want to be a lightning rod. And people took that to mean, oh, they're going to come after me. No, I meant I wanted people to reach out to me. Yeah. Uh, and she did. And she reached out to me because I used the word fraud. She hadn't heard anybody publicly say the word fraud. And so we started talking for three hours. Um, and then I 
suggested we get on a podcast uh, in the U.S. called the uh, Thomas Paine Podcast run by Michael Moore. And um, she told me that the, the fraud that she saw was so pervasive and there was so much of it, it was almost overwhelming. Um, but um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a math guy. And when she mentioned to me that her 1,000 patients of the, of the 44,000 that went into the clinical trial. She worked for a firm called Ventavia, which is the contracting outfit that ran the, cl the clinical trial. And she um, saw fraud, and the biggest piece of the fraud was unblinding of the data. Mm -hmm. So as you know, in science, an unblinded study is, is, is worthless. And um, her 1,000 patients were unblinded, and per Pfizer's own pro protocols, should have been thrown out. Okay. She brought this to the attention of her company. They tried to cover it up. She went to the FDA uh, on a Friday, I believe, at nine in the morning. By three that afternoon, she was fired. The FDA, and it was an anonymous um, contact with the FDA. Wow. I guess it wasn't so anonymous. Yeah. And then five days later, a Pfizer lawyer called her. Now, the reason we didn't hear from her earlier uh, is because she did a, a whistleblower lawsuit and she uh, you know, jo joined with the government to investigate this. She didn't realize how deep this corruption went and the FDA kept um, punting the football down the field and kept delaying her until it was too late. And she came public in November. At the, at, at, and her lawyer fired her because she wasn't supposed to go public because when you're in this, these whistleblower lawsuits, you're not supposed to talk. So she decided to talk because this is, um, she just couldn't, she couldn't stomach children getting this vaccine. So that's why she came out. And she's getting a lot of, um, Wall Street's listening to her. Uh, a lot of people are listening to her. And, um, you know, just her 1,000 patients could have affected the efficacy that they touted in the, uh, in the, in the, in the trials. 95% efficacy. Her 1,000 patients could have, just her patients could have blown those numbers up. There were eight uh, in the total study, which was only for 28 days, 28 days. This is, you know, you guys understand this. It's ridiculous. But um, eight patients in the vaccine group got COVID and 164 patients in the placebo group got COVID. That's how they came up with the 95% efficacy, um, which is mismarketing. It was a lie, fraud right there. Um, because we, it, the proof is in the pudding, it doesn't work. But besides that, if you take 75 of her 1,000 patients due to the unblinding that, you know, maybe the doctor didn't give them a test because he saw on, her, on their charts that they were vaccinated, did not test them for COVID, you've moved 75 of those 1,000 individuals over to the uh, vaccine uh, group, that's 50% efficacy. You move all 164 of the 1,000 over that's zero percent efficacy. Now that's just a thousand. So the, the trial's fraudulent on that map. And if you think that this kind of thing didn't happen on the other forty-three thousand sites or patients, well, yeah, I know what to tell you. Um, where there's smoke, there's fire. So we have fraud coming to light. We have unfortunately bodies and injuries piling up. So the question is, they can't hide it. So what do they do? 
Well, I just find it curious that we're now going to war with Ukraine the day the German insurer comes out. It's, it's a little too coincidental for me. So uh, can I ask you, like, do you find, like, for the uh, American market, I mean, are people already, uh, are the insurance companies, are they already asking for higher um, rates premiums. and premiums that you that people would yeah, have to pay? Uh, so I'm hearing anecdotally that uh, premiums are rising. And I, I talked to my father who um, used to work in the insurance industry. He was uh, the head of the real estate department for John Hancock. And he told me the way this works is pricing is going to go up for everyone initially. Um, once they figure out it's the vaccine, they'll ask questions, uh, not for the group life, but for individual high face amount policies. They'll ask questions whether you got the vax or not. Those who are still asleep will think it's a good thing that they checked off that box. Um, once the insurance companies either admit or figure it out, I don't think everyone's figured it out. I think there's a asymmetric information thing going on here, but um, that'll be used against you, but you'll never be told. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, I also talked to the insurance analyst and he suspects the lot. We had to analyze, we had to analyze the insurance claims via the loss ratio and the loss ratio is the difference between premiums collected and payouts. So that's how we came to the imputed mm -hmm. tremendous, you know, 21 to 57% increase we saw in the, the number of companies we studied. He said he suspects that it's actually higher because they probably got pricing in, in 2021. And he doesn't know that for a fact, but he thinks that, you know, they already started raising rates. Also, can you tell if um, the insurance companies in the US uh, are trying to unload that risk? That they have on their books well i, I do know that agon uh the dutch insurer uh -huh. did a transaction in the fourth quarter um well so agon in the third quarter of 2021 called out an increase in claims in the u.s they went from 31 million the prior year to 111 million which was a 258 percent increase and then uh in the fourth quarter uh, it was a 51% increase. And then in that fourth quarter, they did a transaction of 1.4 billion. And this was in their group life policies. And uh, they did a $1.4 billion reinsurance deal with Wilton Re, which is a reinsurer. Mm -hmm. And they, they, on the call, they talked about, they did it to reduce volatility of earnings. Well, volatility works both ways. If you, if you get less deaths, you make money. If you get more, you, you lose money. So I use the word volatility as they think death's going higher. Sure. Um, they did, they did, so they did this transaction and, a, and a, a sell side analyst, I went into the, the earnings call transcript, asked the CFO, why did you do this deal? It looks very unfavorable to you. And the, 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 the deal was high face amount individual policies, which I would take to mean anywhere between 500,000 and 20 million, these huge individual policies. Um, and they claimed that they did it to reduce volatility, but the, the, the analyst was confused because um, it just looked like a bad deal. But if Agon knows something and Wilton Reed doesn't, that is what we call asymmetric information. And they just, this deal that they did that looks bad, maybe a home run yes. in a year or two or three. Mm -hmm.
Additionally, on that note, when he was talking to this analyst, he said, well, you know, we are, and, and, and I think he was trying to get out of it without saying it. He said, well, you know, we are quite shocked. We're raising our expectations for COVID and indirect COVID deaths to 300,000 in the U.S. in 2022. And that's up from 2021. He said that on the call. So I couldn't find the number they had in 2021, but they gave a number for 2022 saying that's up from 2021. So um, question that needs to be asked, how is that possible with miracle vaccines and Fauci and others saying the pandemic's over? How is that possible? It's not. It's not. I was wondering, um, usually if a, pub in a company is, like, is public and you can buy it on the stock market, they usually have um, also information obligations. Wouldn't they need to come up with like some ad hoc information, you know, saying like what we discussed, um, you know, in the grand jury the other day, that um, there's a lot, I mean, these fraudulous, um, you know, like the, the trials and then also the production problems or at least, you know, these variations in the toxicity of the vials. I mean, that's become obvious and wouldn't it be, need to be something that they inform the their investors about? Have you seen any anything of that kind? Pfizer on their fourth quarter uh, year-end earnings release a couple of weeks ago um, didn't mention it on the earnings release or the conference call, but they then filed uh, their 10K, which is an SEC document. And some astute investors discovered that they had changed some disclosure language regarding risks around clinical trial data. So, so what does that say to me as an analyst, having seen multiple frauds in my career? It says to me, the lawyers are in the C-suite talking to the CEO saying, we got a problem. So it's 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 almost an admission. They know something's coming. They know they know something's coming. So to mitigate the damage from shareholders, at least they disclose this, and they don't they don't they don't make a lot of fanfare about it. But it takes some detective work. But it's a it's a big signal in my mind that Pfizer knows that there's a problem, and they know this because of Aaron Siri's work to get the FDA data. Uh, released. Again, I believe the FDA, like the rating agencies, is involved in this fraud because the moment I saw that they wanted to hide the data for 75 years, I immediately said, this is fraud. This is a cover-up. You do not hide things from the public for 75 years unless a crime has been committed. So I didn't need any other proof than that as an investor. Um, as, it's, as, as, as time has gone on, we've gotten more proof. We have Brooke Jackson. We have, unfortunately, the real-world physical results. Um, and uh, my goal, my singular goal has been to stop this vaccination program in its tracks, um, show that it's fraud. And uh, I feel if we can end the vaccine, vaccine uh, program via warning people about its its deadly nature this whole house of cards crumbles the whole thing crumbles yes, yes. this is um it's um the um 
end result of this, and this is not even the end result, what we can see now is so many side effects which are may even be intended. We're looking into this right now. So many people dying after vaccination. This cannot be swept under the rug any longer because almost everyone, no one back in 2020 knew anyone, at least not in my uh, uh, in my acquaintance, knew anyone who had COVID or suffered anything serious. Many people knew some people people who seemed to have had a cold or or the flu or something, but they didn't know anyone who had died of COVID. Everyone now knows someone who died after getting the shots. So the the big thing is, uh, you. I think you. You're doing the right thing. You're putting your finger on where it hurts the most: uh, financial markets, Wall Street. Are you seeing a response there? I mean, we've heard that um, that um, not Pfizer, but. Um, What's the other one? Moderna. I think their uh, share price um, imploded by 70% or so, but that's only a one-trick pony. They have nothing else but this one vaccine, I think, so-called vaccine. Is something happening to Pfizer in the meantime? Yeah, so Pfizer um, uh, has started a downtrend, and it's down 20-plus uh, percent now All right. from its high. And that's an – so that's got – so, and it's it's – Technically, look, there's some people don't care about fundamental information like what I'm telling you, but some people just follow charts. Mm -hmm. And so on the margin, it's in a downtrend now, and that will beget its own momentum and other people will hop on board. So that's my goal is to get this thing going down. And, you know, my goal is, you know, some people are so in their head and don't want to listen to scientists because they've been smeared as conspiracy theorists, but nothing... Nothing raises someone's consciousness more than the folks on Wall Street are nervous about fraud. Look at the stock. And then no one wants to be a fool. So that's my goal is to just change a mind, save a life. Because here's the problem as I see it. The truth is coming out fast and furious. They know they're caught. And when criminals know they're caught, because... In normal frauds, we have government regulators that step in. They get exposed. The government's in on it, so no one's coming to rescue us. That's the problem this time. And you see what's going on in Canada. Um, so I expect there to be a tremendous amount of chaos in the next you know, four to eight months globally, especially in the US, because um, as more and more people awaken to what's happened to them, they're gonna be angry. And that's why our Department of Homeland Security came out three weeks ago and said anybody who um, um, spreads malinformation or disinformation without defining it, that um, uh, rocks faith in the government institutions is a terrorist. Well, that's it. That. That is that is that is proof in and of itself that committed a crime because this yeah. is this is exactly. I mean, why would you say that unless you know you've committed a crime? I mean, it goes against all principles of what it is to be an American citizen. It goes against the Constitution, free. I mean, you wouldn't say that unless you know, and they know.
So we're actually, on very... you know, I'm sorry, but it just reminds me of this paper. Do you remember like the strategy? We had this panic paper where they would uh, suggest to people uh, where I mean, where the government was kind, kind of saying, oh, we have to uh, create this fear in the, the people, you know, by coming, conjuring up this image of the grandma dying like from suffocation, you know, so they used this as we could see like in real life. And then there was another paper coming out of the in, in, uh, Ministry of the Interior here in Germany, uh, kind of um, do you know, um, laying out paper, the strategy the paper was the false alarm paper. That's another uh, one. I'm sorry. That's the second one. Uh, the first paper was the panic paper, which w gave a clear instruction and nobody's ever doubted its authenticity, <laughs> a clear instruction on how to put the population in panic mode by explaining how to make children feel guilty for their uh, grandparents or, or uh, parents tortured death because they didn't wash their hands or didn't put, put their mask on. The second one that Vivian is uh, talking about is the false alarm paper. No, that's th I'm talking about the third one. The third one, okay. I'm talking about one, um, false alarm paper is also very interesting, but the this one is sort of a, um, you know, like uh, explains the strategies with regards to the pa uh, panic paper. And it has this interesting um, aspect in it that you need to, um, you know, watch out like w how the public is react to the measures taken and to make sure that no trust is lost and that's really strange because like when in beforehand why would you consider that people might be losing trust in the government when you assume that you know they wanted to do the right thing and maybe did the right thing in order to you know um, uh, work with the pandemic so it's kind of interesting already I think in March or May of 2020 they come out with this information that they expect the public to lose trust in the government government um, activities. I mean, already, like what you said, is pointing in the direction that they knew they would do something that's maybe not quite the right thing to do. That's not Lega Artists, basically. Right. And, you know, earlier in this conversation, I mentioned the, uh, um, uh, the involvement of intelligence agencies. Yeah. What you've just referenced is proof of, of their psychological operations yes. on the public. They admit it. We have evidence of it. So this is not a conspiracy theory. There's been a coordinated effort to instill fear in people. Exactly. Okay. Um, and you know, here in the U.S., I made a, I, I made a comment on Twitter. I said, if you have been relying on CNN and MSNBC as your news source for the last two years, you've had a psychological break from reality, <laughs> and you're mentally ill. <laughs> and that and, and, the, and these people, they, they wear three masks, they're triple jabbed, they stay, they, they, they don't want to hang out with unvaxxed, and even some vaxxed people. That I, I, what the damage has been done to people who don't, um, for whatever reason, have an innate sense of what the truth is, 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 is detrimental. And there's way too many of them in our in our all our countries, yes. and we know them, we see them, yeah. um, and it's 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 really interesting. I want to go back to something you said, Reiner, about um, you didn't know anybody who had COVID in 2020. Well, I live on the island of Maui, and um, the little uh, fun fact that I tried to get out early on was that COVID was here in the fall of 2019 on Maui. Everyone was getting sick. Um, and it was a bad bug that a lot of people took them weeks to get over. 
and you know, some people probably died, but none of my friends. Um, and it wasn't a thing because it didn't exist because the media didn't make it exist yet. Um, we got immunity on Maui. They shut down the island. And all throughout 2020, we didn't know, I, we didn't know anybody who got COVID for the most part, yeah. okay, on Maui. Then the introduction of the vaccines, all of a sudden COVID's everywhere, especially amongst the vaccinated. I have yet to get COVID. I've tried. I can't get it. <laughs> you probably have a good immune system. Our friend Bjorn. I, yeah, go ahead. I think I think I was exposed in November. I was a, a good friend of mine, seventy, and he would uh, cough on me all the time. And I think I probably my 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 body didn't present disease, and I have immune immunity to it. I think. Probably. Um, our friend mm -hmm. Bjorn Pivitz, who's also a, an investment banker, he studied law with me uh, 35 years ago in Texas. Uh, I went to UCLA and then he became an investment banker. Uh, he wants to ask you a question. Bjorn, go ahead. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Hi, Ed. Uh, hi. Um, I'm first just one comment up front. I'm very sympathetic uh, and, and can relate very well to um, how you explain your approach and, and what you've been doing in working on um, incomplete information and connecting the dots. I mean, this is what I have done uh, in my professional life. I don't know how many I've read uh, hundreds of due diligence reports. I've been in, in private equity and in venture capital. And uh, what usually happens in these things is you get uh, an executive summary and then you have a red flag report. And the red flags are just all the things that make you wonder there's some inconsistencies uh, in the numbers, in what management told you, in uh, there's a regulatory thing and uh, there's accounting stuff. There can be all kinds of things. And I'm really surprised that, uh, and I think you alluded to it in one of the interviews that uh, that you gave, I, I don't remember which one um, also, that how is it possible that so many people, so many professionals in the air, in the field, I mean, in this, in this um, industry, if you want to call the financial industry an industry, uh, who also possess these skills uh, and, and this toolbox, as I call it, have just completely ignored their uh, skills and have fallen for the narrative. I mean, that's, it's just one, one thing I was just flabbergasted uh, by. Uh, but okay, that's just a comment up front. There, there, there's two questions I, I would like to, uh, to raise. One is you said the government is in on it, no one's gonna help us, at least not the regulator. Um, and, uh, but I believe Wall Street is also in on it. Um, if, if you look at the numbers that are published, you can see that for Moderna and for Pfizer, uh, across the top three um, investors, uh, BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard, they each own 26, 27% of both Moderna and, and Pfizer, as of today. I just, I just checked it again, across their various vehicles. So obviously they they benefited from the from this from this rally, and also they have all of them. You mentioned it before. Implemented very harsh um, uh, vax mandates for their employees. So at least they are caught in cognitive dissonance. Uh, if we are benevolent, uh, <laughs> if we are uh, thinking more like a criminal, like you like you said, 
they have a financial interest. There's a conflict of interest. So, I mean, the question is, when are they going to wake up? So that's my first question. And the second, just I'll just do it in a package and you can answer both questions. Uh, about um, the insurance uh, um, companies, you mentioned Warren Buffett before. I mean, Warren Buffett is one of the big, he's huge in the, re, in the reinsurance industry. Um, and he's big friends with Bill Gates. Um, they have business uh, relationship together and they are on this, uh, uh, this how, how's it called? The, the, the pledge fund and whatever, uh, whatever it's called where they donate uh, allegedly um, part of their wealth to um, philanthropic uh, causes. Uh, but I mean, if the real, the real, the reinsurance industry is going to get the hit after the reinsurance industry at some point, right? So they're kind of like the central banks for banks. They are like the 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 instit institution of last resort in the insurance company. So, do you think he's willing to take a hit? <laughs> well, you know, maybe I don't. I don't know which. What uh, do, do you know the name of the reinsurer that he owns? I, I'm not. I forgot, but he was one of the. He was the biggest in the U.S. Uh, I don't know whether he's sold some of his uh, uh, holdings lately. He didn't follow it, but I was in Omaha. Uh, I don't know some ten years ago for this annual meeting and whatever. And I, I remember that one of the big pillars of his uh, business is reinsurance business, insurance and reinsurance. Okay. Uh, I, you know, I, that's something I should investigate and, and try to figure out. Um, he's not the only player in the space. Maybe he has knowledge, maybe he doesn't. Um, if he has knowledge, he's definitely gonna make sure his reinsurers don't take any bad deals. Um, <laughs> if he doesn't, if he doesn't have knowledge, or he hasn't figured it out, he's going to be left holding the bag. So that's something I need to look into. It might be very interesting to see what his company is doing. And if they're yeah. not doing deals, that would be a very interesting. Uh -huh. Yeah. So let's, let's look into that. Let's look into that. That's one. Yeah. Um, the, the second question uh, about Vanguard and these large holders, you know, I worked at BlackRock 10 years ago and I can't say anything disparaging about my former employer due to, due to my you know separation agreement but i can say this blackrock when i was at blackrock blackrock like any large investment firm has three types of investors uh, employed within the the firm you have most of the people don't like to take a lot of risk and they hug the benchmark and they kind of really don't make any um they don't do what you and I do and get ahead of the news because that entails risk and being wrong. Being wrong is part of this process. So most people I call um, the, 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 the sheep, the herd, okay? Then there are the people like me that were good that would generate consistent alpha. And then there were actually contrarian indicators at my firm that did the wrong thing at exactly the wrong time and usually had short careers, okay? <laughs> um, and, and so BlackRock, Vanguard, with, when you see these filings that show the amount of shares, it's not all, it's not all in one fund. It's spread in different yeah. strategies. Yeah. Different vehicles. As I said, there's six or seven vehicles for each of these. Yeah. yeah. And, and they're run by either, so uh, the, uh, BlackRock and Vanguard have huge passive businesses. So Moderna and Pfizer are part of an index, which they are. They will own it no matter what. 
Mm -hmm. um, uh, and if it's a passive index, they'll own whatever the benchmark weight is, and they don't care. It's not a, there's no human decision. If it's an active fund, um, they're all, they also have quant funds that follow momentum. So if, if Moderna and Pfizer were doing this, uh, they didn't ask why they would just go along with the trend. And when they start doing this, they'll do the opposite. So those are, those are quantitative strategies. Then there's fundamental people that do the research. And I'm telling you, I'm guessing, and I, you know, there's smart hedge funds. Well, quote, uh, well, they won't be smart after this, but they're quote unquote prior smart hedge funds that bought a ton of Moderna in the fourth quarter of 2021. That hasn't worked out so well. So, so what I think's happened is, I think this mass psychosis and virtue signaling and, 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 and conflating the vaccine with, you know, your identity and who you are, the group you're with, has created the biggest cognitive dissonance hallucination in my career in the investment world. So the guy who, or gal, who is a believer, who triple masks, is on their fourth booster, and holding Moderna and Pfizer down to zero, that's the ultimate bag holder. And, and I made a joke about that on Twitter. You don't want to be that guy or that gal. And there will be those people. There will be those people. You know that. You've been in the business. You, yeah. People... People, when people, I, there's a saying I learned from a business school professor that I've put out on Twitter. You can't rationalize, he was, a, he was an ethics professor. And he said, you can't rationalize facts to a, a person whose position is based on emotion. Okay. Emotion disables reason and logic. So a lot of people are very emotionally invested in the vaccine narrative. And, the va and if you're an investor at one of these firms, you're a believer and true believers um, their, their faith will be rocked, unfortunately. Yeah. So we need like a John Paulson type of guy, a contrarian guy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So my goal has been to, cause look, I'm a small voice. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not, um, I'm not a, a Bill Ackman. I'm not a, a, a Chanos. I'm not, uh, uh, some of these bigger name people. What we do, what I hope is to convince one of these people to, short the stock and then go to the Waldorf Astoria and do a big presentation with CNBC there. Okay. That would be the ultimate goal. Um, and they can steal the idea. They don't have to give me credit. I don't care. It's about saving lives. So I've talked about this with others. The goal is to have someone with a bigger, with a big enough media profile that the financial press can't ignore right now. They're ignoring me because, you know, they get all their money from Pfizer and, I've already been fact-checked by AP, but they didn't name me. They fact-checked the, they, they said there's internet chatter that the insurance companies are seeing higher mortality. It's incorrect. And then they gave some gobbledygook answers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've already been fact-checked without being named. Yeah, I mean, the short interest volumes are still pretty low. I mean, both Moderna is like between 4 and 5% or something, and Pfizer is just 1.23. But I'm just... Uh, waiting for the next disclosure date of the next uh, short interest volumes. I mean, I, if your st story catches on, I mean, we should see a big spike in those numbers. <laughs> right. And, you know, look, you don't need short sellers to cause the stock to go down. There's, um, I could, so there's, you've heard of a short squeeze. We all know what that is. Oh, of course. Volkswagen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's something, there's something called a long squeeze. And what that means is on the margin, collectively somebody people are starting to get suspicious and the 
actual holders of the stocks, the big funds are getting nervous. They see things, but they can't say it openly in their firm, but they sell a little bit every day. And that's, you know, so if you look at these stocks, they're slowly being sold by someone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And yeah. So, yeah, cool. Yeah, that's a cool observation. Yeah. Makes yeah. So, so it's called a long squeeze, and it's the exact opposite of a short squeeze. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you very much, Edward. Um, this was extremely important. I think a lot of people are going to react to this, hopefully in the business as well. Actually, I'm sure they will, because they don't want to be the ones holding the bag. No, you don't <laughs> want to be that, that guy or gal on your fifth booster holding Pfizer and Moderna down to zero. That's not good. That's not a good thing to do. I, I like the memes that they're doing now for you on there. Yeah. On Twitter or where, where was it? On Getter? I don't remember. Yeah, people, people are making memes for me and sending them to me. So, I, look, I'm just one guy. Um, I was, uh, you know, on a personal note, the reason I've been elevated is not due to me. Uh, it's been an act of God. I, I was praying in September uh, to be of service and through a series of coincidences was introduced to Dr. Malone. And, uh, from there, my profile has been elevated, and uh, I'm just happy to be part of this um, effort to expose what's going on. And I, I've met many other people who feel like God has called them, so that's my personal story. And we're happy that you're part of this uh, as well. More than happy, actually. <laughs> okay, when I come back to Maui to go windsurfing, uh, we'll have to meet. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Take care, guys. Yeah, thank okay, you, Edward. Bye. Take good so care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, our next guest happens to be another um, part of the population of uh, the Hawaiian Islands. Um, it's uh, Dr. Stephanie Seneff. Um, Stephanie, I'm, I apologize for having kept you waiting, uh, but maybe this was interesting for you. It was, definitely. Thank you. <laughs> so I don't mind. <laughs> Do you live on Maui as well? No, I'm I'm in Kauai, which is the smallest of the of the four major islands. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful place. All right, you'll probably hear the rooster crowing in the background here. <laughs> That's cool. Um, do you want to introduce yourself? Ah, uh, sure. Yes. So I'll just go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, I'm Stephanie Seneff. I'm a senior research scientist at MIT in Cambridge, Massachusetts, United States. I've been at MIT all my life, uh, ever since I started uh, college there many years ago, uh, got a bachelor's degree in biology, and then master's EE and PhD degrees uh, in uh, electrical engineering and computer science. And I spent most of my career writing uh, computer code to, as a precursor to the uh, Amazon Echo and the iPhones, Siri iPhone um, platforms. We, we worked on uh, very early stages of computer uh, spoken language dialogue with computers. Oh. Uh, about 2008, 2007, I got into I got worried about autism when I started looking at um, at disease uh, correlations between uh, health and toxic exposures because I wanted to figure out what was causing the autism rates to go up every year. They're still going up every year in the United States. Um, they're very they're shockingly high now. I consider it to be a pandemic, actually, an autism wow. pandemic. But we don't hear anything, at least an epidemic in the United States, I guess I should qualify. Mm -hmm. But uh, we don't hear anything about it. The, the government thinks it's fine. We've got you know, tremendous problems with the children. CDC just changed the 
uh, the rules on what what age should the child be expected to have certain language achievements they, they raise the age they're just like you know rather than fix the problem you just change the numbers so i published a book on glyphosate which is here toxic legacy mm. how the weed killer glyphosate is destroying our health and the environment this came out in june of this year or last year 2021 and um glyphosate was the was what i think is the major contributor to autism and um it's all over the food supply. It's basically Roundup, and people use it in their yards to kill the dandelions. And uh, it's uh, very heavily used in agriculture here in the United States. So um, I got interested in the vaccines. I got interested in COVID first because I do believe that there's a link between glyphosate and COVID. Because uh, COVID nineteen, as you know, people who are obese, people who have diabetes, uh, Alzheimer's, even comorbidities of various sorts, are at much higher risk of a bad outcome if they catch COVID nineteen. And those diseases are all going up dramatically in the United States, exactly in step with the dramatic rise in glyphosate usage on core crops. So I think glyphosate is a pervasive poison in our environment and that it is um, wrecking our health and then causing us to have a broken immune system. I have a chapter in my book on glyphosate and the innate immune system. And then I think that's uh, causing uh, certain countries that use a lot of glyphosate to have a harder time controlling COVID-19 than countries that don't. That's interesting. This I haven't, and I I don't think anyone here has ever heard this before. Uh, but you would probably um, get a lot of support from Judy Mikovits, who we spoke with a little mm -hmm. bit earlier, because she's uh, speaking along the same lines. And also, our professor, our one of our medical experts, professor, she's a biologist, um, uh, professor Camera. Uh, so uh, yeah, let us know. Let give us some more details about this. Uh, yeah, well, so basically the glyphosate, you know, I was looking at, if you look at the data for which countries are getting uh, the, the, the death rate from COVID is well, wildly different from country to country. And, you know, people have talked about um, air pollution being a factor and uh, glyphosate is a contaminant in the air. Um, so I think you're getting uh, poisoned by glyphosate when you breathe the air. I think there's a connection to uh, biofuels, the biofuel industry. And um, because we're producing, you know, the, all these, you, you basically grow the wheat crop and you, you harvest it, you spray it with glyphosate right before the harvest as a desiccant, not to kill the weeds. Then you harvest it and then you take the stubble and you run it over to a city and run it through a processing plant to produce all these different biofuels like biodiesel and, and bioethanol. You've got bio cooking, uh, heating oil, home heating oil, and um, biogas all these different biofuels biogas in particular is one that can leak out of pipes in, in cities that have old pipes under the underground it can leak out and, and contaminate the air and, and, and the study in brazil showed they were looking at uh, nanoparticles in the air and they found glyphosate remarkably high levels in the uh, areas over the agricultural fields where they were using it but also in the city where they weren't using it there was no agriculture but the city had levels that were almost as high as the uh, as the agricultural fields, and um, I suspect that it's getting into the air from the biofuels. This is a theory that I have. I can't prove it, but it's just a hypothesis at this point. But but it, there's studies from both the United States and Europe that show um, correlations between the nanoparticles in the air and the uh, risk of dying from COVID. Like for example, looking at all the states. In fact, at the county level in the United States, there was a study done out of Harvard that found a correlation, significant correlation. Whereas you've got air pollution in Nigeria, you've got really bad air pollution in Nigeria, but you don't have, you have very low death rates from COVID. So it's not just the pollution, I think it's the glyphosate contamination in the nanoparticles. 
This is, in fact, what Judy Mikovits said a little earlier today. Um, it's a common. She says it's not. It's not uh, the virus. It's the immune system, and that's being. Well, I guess uh, it's not a. It's not. It's not the wrong way to describe this. It's. Um, it's destroying our immune system by. Um, through the uh, toxins in the environment, and you mentioned one that is especially well known here in this country, um, and because one of the reasons why that is is because a German company by the name of Bayer just bought, uh, yeah, <laughs> and that's that may sink them. That may ultimately sink them. Um, it hasn't been a good investment for them. Not really, not really. Um, and the other thing is, of course, the vaccines, which uh, compromise the immune system even more. Uh, you know exactly. something about that as well, right? I do, yes. <laughs> Shall I start my slideshow? Yes, show? please. Yes. Yeah, may, I, may I have a question in between? Sorry. Um, if you would not know about COVID-19, uh, the things you just told us, if you just would not uh, have never heard of COVID-19 mm. and all the things you told us about the toxic uh, nanoparticles and all this, would it, don't you think it would exist nevertheless? You mean that we'd still have, be getting sick from it even without COVID-19, right? Yes, even, Absolutely. yes. Yes, I think because so. I think COVID-19 isn't just a, it's something which was constructed was was it's, it's a picture we have in our brain and i don't know exactly what it is you know i'm a lung doctor but i don't know what COVID 19 really means mm -hmm. it's very difficult to define for me well you know there is a lung disease that's there is showing up in people who vape people who smoke e-cigarettes uh, yeah. that one is very very interesting to me because e-cigarettes the base of the e-cigarette is glycerol and glycerol is a byproduct of the uh, biofuel industry. That's really the big major byproduct they end up yeah. with when they when they turn the, the, the biomass into fuel. I'm yeah. suspecting, and I have no clue whether this is true. It's they, just it's that just that this, glycerol is going into the cigarettes yeah. and causing a lung disease that looks a whole lot like COVID-19. Yeah, I believe that there are many toxic effects, and I think it's just this connection with some virus which makes me suspicious. They like to blame viruses because then they get off the hook with all their toxic chemicals, right? Sorry, you wanted to show your slides. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see if I can share a screen. Okay, let's see if I can maybe get rid of that guy. Is that okay? Oh, yeah. So, um, so the title of my talk is SARS-CoV-2 messenger RNA vaccines is the risk worth the benefit. And uh, here's an outline. I'm going to first give an overview. Uh, then I'm going to talk about the spike protein and neurodegenerative disease. And then exosomes, microRNAs, and heart disease. Spike protein and cancer are very brief. And spike protein and thrombosis also very brief. And then spike antibodies and autoimmune disease, and then a summary. So the bulk of it is the neurodegenerative disease and the heart disease. Um, so here's an overview. So I want to start with this paper that I published together with Dr. Greg Nye last May, uh, May of 2021, Worsen the Disease, Reviewing Some Possible Unintended Consequences of the Message RNA Vaccines Against COVID-19. And um, so this is just a very brief summary. It's a long paper with many, many references. Uh, we argue that they were very poorly evaluated in the review process, and there are many unknowns in their toxicity. And so we named a number of different potential adverse consequences including pathogenic priming, multi-system inflammatory disease, autoimmunity, 
allergic reaction to anaphylaxis, anaphylactic shock, which is probably due to the polyethylene glycol, antibody-dependent enhancement. We're still waiting to see if that's going to happen, but that's very scary because it could mean the antibodies are actually giving you worse disease than you would have without the vaccine after time, after, uh, after the positive antibodies fade. Activation of latent viral infections like um, shingles and um, Bell's palsy, neurodegeneration and prion diseases. I'll have a lot to say about that today. Uh, the emergence of novel variants of SARS-CoV-2 because I think the vaccines are actually driving the emergence when you have someone who gets vaccinated who has a, uh, a, a defective innate immunity. Um, the virus is able to evolve to perfect itself to get around the antibodies that are being that it's being directly exposed to. And then the, the potential for integration of the spike protein gene into human DNA is another possibility, which I won't talk about today. Um, so I want to just kind of give you a sense of what these vaccines are. And I can start with this is a picture on the left of the natural process of humans producing, having DNA, producing RNA from the DNA, moving it into the cytoplasm making protein here in this translation stage, and then chewing up the RNA molecule from the left and from the right, eventually causing it to stop making protein. But you can also regulate it, even though it's intact, with miRNA silencing, you could turn it off and stop it from making protein, even though it's still there. What they've done with these vaccines, they've very carefully designed them um, to be very robust against degradation and to produce spike protein at a very high rate. And so, for example, they've, they've stuck on this five prime cap that would normally be done in the human cell. And they stuck on this a long poly A tail, which is going to protect it from getting degraded from this side. They've um, added a very specially chosen human RNA, um, C prime UTR, untranslated region, uh, to, um, to prevent a silencing, this miRNA silencing. Very clever there. A particular human uh, C prime UTR that's extremely resistant to silencing, which means that it keeps on making protein without control. Uh, and then they change the nucleotides, adding this one methyl pseudouridine everywhere, wherever it's got uridine. There's the four basic um, nucleotides that make up the DNA in the RNA sequence. But they did this trick to keep it from to keep it from being able to be broken down. And then they changed the um, the code. Uh, they, they did what's called codon optimization. The actual RNA code is very different from the code that's in the original virus. Um, and that causes it to be to make protein very fast uh, without um, control. And so here's just a picture of these uh, proteins. Here's the original spike protein. Um, you've got the three prime tail with poly A attachment and the five prime cap here, which is important too. And they've chosen a very special design for this cap. So they've done all of this to make it look like a human RNA and to make it stealth so that it comes into the cell without the cell being aware that it's been invaded. So. Um, I've said all of this uridine. So here's all these methyl pseudouridines here. Uh, it also has a synthetic cationic lipid, a positively charged synthetic lipid that has been poorly tested for toxicity, mm -hmm. but is almost surely very toxic to cells because other ones are as well. It's, it just hasn't been adequately studied, but is likely a, a significant part of its toxicity. So it's a humanized messenger RNA molecule, a stealth entry system for a massive production of spike protein. Now, I want to talk... I, quite a bit about the germinal centers, because those are very important places where the um, action takes place. And basically, the immune cells, when, uh, when the body's going to make antibodies to something that's toxic, a protein, for example, that's toxic, uh, the immune cells congregate in these germinal centers, both in the lymph nodes and in the spleen. And that's where they produce long-lived antibody-secreting plasma cells and memory B cells. 
And so those are the ones that are going to have a very specific antibody that matches the spike protein. So they provide good protection against reinfection. But there's a process called somatic mutation that achieves a successful production of these um, antibodies that are particular types. And in particular, I'll say more about IgG antibodies, which is what the vaccine preferentially produces. And, but those antibodies can, um, bind the antigen with high affinity and they protect you from the disease. But this whole process can be dangerous because it can lead to uh, autoreactive clones that can cause autoimmune disease. Um, so this is a paper um, that talks about these nucleoside-modified messenger RNA vaccines. That's this uh, um, methyl pseudouridine change that they put into the uh, messenger RNA. And they found that that was very helpful for keep, you know, protecting it from getting broken down, robust synthesis of protein, and a strong antibody response due to the formation and maintenance of these germinal centers in the spleen. Um, however, another study showed that repeated exposure to antigen, which could be the spike protein, any kind of foreign protein, via vaccines resulted in increased susceptibility to other prion proteins that you could be exposed to, for example, from pathogens. This is very significant because the spike protein is a prion-like protein, and it's the antigen that can induce this uh, intense response in these uh, germinal centers that can then increase your risk to becoming susceptible to misfolded um, proteins and the kinds of diseases that come from that. And it was attributed to this expansion of the splenic germinal centers, which is what's happening with these vaccines. Um, this is a recent paper, very interesting paper to me, because I've been wondering how long does this stuff last? You know, clearly they've designed it to last a long time. This paper actually looked and found, um, still, they looked at messenger RNA and spike protein, looked for it in the, in the um, lymph nodes of people who had been vaccinated over time. And they looked out to 60 days, 60 days after the vaccine, and they still found uh, messenger RNA and spike protein in those germinal centers, uh, in those lymph nodes, uh, 60 days out, which is quite amazing to think that this stuff is lasting for at least 60 days. And also a much stronger IgG response was produced than you would get with disease. The disease that you have a mucosal exposure, you get things like IgM and IgA. But this very strong IgG response is characteristic of the vaccine. And that's dangerous because that's what can lead to platelet activation and blood clots. And I'll show this slide again uh, when I get to the topic on the platelets. So spike protein and neurodegenerative disease, this is my next topic. I want to first give the big picture. A natural infection starts in the nose and the lungs and never makes it into the general circulation if the immune system is healthy. Injection of spike mRNA particles, nanoparticles into the deltoid muscle bypasses the mucosal and the vascular barriers. So you've skipped two barriers and have already gotten into sort of um, the muscle domain, which is a, as far as the immune system is concerned, it looks like the immune system utterly failed to protect the barriers. The immune cells take up that messenger RNA nanoparticles in the muscles in the arm, and they immediately, they start making spike protein, which is also very unusual because the dendritic cells don't have the ACE2 receptors. They can't be infected with the virus, but they will take up the nanoparticles. They look like LDL particles that are naturally found, and all the cells pretty much know how to take them up. So the immune cells are getting infected with the vaccine. They start making spike protein. They can't stop themselves from doing it. And they kind of rush into the immune system to expose this protein to the B cells and T cells so we can get the antibodies going. Now, so that it, it's been shown in studies that the uh, tracing the RNA from vaccines that they end up, um, they stay in the, a lot of the uh, messenger RNA stays in the arm where it's injected, but they go into the lymph system, they travel through the lymph system and end up in 
in the spleen. Uh, there was a study that showed the highest levels in, among organs were in the spleen. And, and in fact, in women, the second highest levels were in the ovaries, which is also very worrisome to me, although I'm not going to talk much about at all about uh, reproductive issues. I think that is an issue. Um, the immune cells in the spleen release large quantities of spike protein. And what they do is they have to package them up into things called exosomes. These are little nanoparticles that the cells release when they're stressed, and they typically contain the elements that are stressing them. So these exosomes are going to be released in large quantities in the spleen from those germinal centers and then distributed throughout the body. And But they especially travel very well, the exosomes, along nerve fibers. So they're going to go along the vagus nerve, make their way up to the brain and also to the heart and delivering these toxic prion-like spike proteins to neurons. Um, and then you call it, they cause an inflammatory response in the brain that can induce neurological damage. So here's a paper, is COVID-19 a perfect storm for Parkinson's disease? And this paper is about the disease itself, but it, loss of smell is a very common early symptom of both Parkinson's disease and of COVID-19. Um, so the virus can gain access to the brain along these nerve fibers, starting with the olfactory nerve, but also starting with the vagus nerve from the stomach, from the gut. Um, and then the neuroinvasion of this uh, virus would upregulate alpha-synuclein. Alpha-synuclein is one of these proteins that misfold, and I'll be talking more about that in a moment. Um, the uh, prion protein is going to induce misfolding of alpha-synuclein. The spike protein is going to induce um, misfolding of alpha-synuclein because it is a one of these prion-like proteins that seeds misfolding of other proteins. And then because it's upregulated, when you get high concentrations, it's also more inclined to misfold. So you're going to get issues with uh, this protein misfolding, and that's going to be a direct path to, uh, to Parkinson's because that's what uh, goes on in the substantia nigra that causes damage there, which then leads to Parkinson's disease. And the neurons there actually have high levels of this ACE2 receptor, which is the way the virus, this spike protein gets into the cell. So uh, three independent case reports have described the development of Parkinson's disease following the, the virus. So they're talking about the virus, but I argue that it would be the same thing for the vaccine because it is the spike protein that's causing this. Um, this is from our paper, the one that I mentioned earlier. Parkinson's disease often begins in the gut as an immune reaction to prion-like proteins produced by pathogens. And that is exactly what the spike protein is. In fact, it contains six of these glycine zippers in its protein sequence, GXXXG, two glycines separated by three wild cards. And that's a characteristic signature of prion proteins. So the spike protein has six, the human prion protein has 15, but amyloid beta, which is one of the misfolded proteins linked to Alzheimer's disease only has four. So it's, it's, it's clearly, a, it has this characteristic. Stressed immune cells in the digestive tract and the spleen upregulate alpha-synuclein and release it packaged up in exosomes along with the foreign misfolded proteins. And then the exosomes travel along the vagus nerve to the brainstem nuclei and damage to the substantia nigra can cause Parkinson's. And you're gonna get a whole bunch of other symptoms from the other, other parts of the, of the nerve system, the nerves in the brain getting uh, damaged by the spike protein. Now we were predicting it would take years or decades before symptoms appear, but I've been getting email from several people describing family members who've developed Parkinson's uh, shortly after they got the vaccine or the Parkinson's got significantly worse just after the vaccine. So I think it really is uh, triggering increased uh, development of Parkinson's disease. So this is just a diagram of, of the, what's going on. The first step is immune cells in the spleen in those germinal centers, they're stressed, they're releasing spike, synthesis, uh, releasing spike in the exosomes along with the alpha-synuclein. They're carried up the vagus nerve uh, up to the brain, the, the uh, center of the, the, you know, the base of the brain 
and then the spike protein in the alpha synuclein are taken up by neurons in the substantia nigra, but also in many other parts of the brain um, to cause other kinds of uh, neuro, neural degenerative diseases. So, that, so this is a, uh, a very recent paper that talked about long haul COVID, and they suggested it could be linked to the effects of SARS-CoV-2 on the vagus nerve. And I found this paper to be really exciting because it's exactly what I've been saying about the vaccine. The vagus nerve is the center of the storm. And so they listed a number of vagus nerve symptoms that they would expect that could, would be uh, indicators of vagus nerve uh, inflammation and damage that are were found to be um, very common among the patients who are suffering from long haul COVID. And so there's this um, persistent voice problems, uh, difficulty swallowing, dysphagia, dizziness, tachycardia, abnormal heart rate, and orthostatic hypertension, low blood pressure, and also diarrhea. These are the symptoms they mentioned. Um, there's other symptoms like loss of consciousness and also shortness of breath um, that also are connected to the vagus nerve damage that we see in large numbers in the vaccines. But what I did here was I looked at these particular symptoms that they listed, and I looked in the, in the vaccine adverse event reporting system, the U.S. Um, vaccine event reporting system, and I counted for 2021, the year 2021, all the cases uh, where these were occurring, all the cases where diarrhea was occurring, over 23,000 cases in the case of COVID-19. And then I looked at all the vaccines, including COVID-19 for 2021 uh, and compare these two numbers. So here you see 97% of the cases of diarrhea in 2021 were linked to COVID vaccines. 3% were linked to all the other vaccines, the flu vaccine, the MMR vaccine, uh, DPT, all the different vaccines uh, only accounted for 3%. So it's a huge signal. And this is true for all of these uh, conditions. And I'll have some more charts like this later, but here's tachycardia, dizziness, dysphagia, dysphonia, orthostatic hypertension. All of them are like 97%, and um, orthostatic hypertension is very rare, but it's it, you know, also a very, very high percentage there. So this is just, to me, this says that uh, vagus nerve issues is a key part of what's happening with these vaccines. Um, so here's a paper, SARS-CoV-2 spike activates human microglia in the brain. This was a very important paper for me, done by some uh, people in India, and uh, they found that the cells that are transfected with this spike protein forced to make the spike protein, that they release exosomes, just as I would expect. And those exosomes are loaded with microRNAs. And they found two in particular that were important. And I'll be getting saying more about these later on. MIR-148A and MIR-590. MicroRNAs are very high-level short RNA sequences that control uh, protein. Uh, re they regulate protein synthesis. They are able to turn off the production of specific proteins to suppress specific proteins. And each microRNA has its own specialty. It's quite interesting. It's a very complex space. But I focused on these two because they were they were found in this study. Then they get internalized by the microglia, which are the immune cells in the brain, and. Um, and those microglia respond by inducing a very strong inflammatory response injuring the brain. Now, an important thing is the microRNAs disrupt type one interferon response. And that's an essential part of innate immunity. Um, this is a, 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 we have a new paper that's out as a preprint right now and under review where we focus on this issue, type one interferon response. Interfering with that means that it's uh, very hard for, um, the, the, the cells don't, the immune cells don't respond quickly when they get infected, and they also don't respond well to cancer. It can it set you up for both cancer and uh, disease, uh, infectious disease. And then they said these results uncover a bystander pathway of SARS-CoV-2 mediated, uh, SARS mediated central nervous system damage. 
through the hyperactivation of these microglia in the brain. Um, so this is just, a, I want to show this picture. Here's a donor cell that's making spike protein, releasing it into these exosomes. These exosomes are very fancy. They have all kinds of things in them, and they are really a communication network that the cells use to help uh, understand, share information about their state. And then another cell can take up these exosomes in multiple different ways here and, uh, and then react to them when, they, when the exosome delivers the microRNAs as well as the toxic elements that are contained in those exosomes, such as the spike protein. Mm -hmm. Um, so here's a paper problems with this vaccine spike protein. Is it possible the spike protein itself causes the tissue damage associated with COVID-19? That's what we're seeing. Spike is the most toxic part element of the virus. And in particular, this, uh, this SARS-CoV-2 has this unusual furin cleavage site, which cuts it up into two pieces, S1 and S2. And the S1 subunit actually just gets lifted off. So you have an exosome and furin is available externally. It'll, it'll attack the uh, spike protein that's displayed on the surface of the exosome, chopping off the S1 unit to allow it to just go anywhere by itself. And the S1 unit has the binding site that will um, bind to the uh, ACE2 receptors. And furthermore, the vaccine has, uh, has an engineered version of the, of the, of the um, spike protein that's been um, designed with a modification, like a, a GMO modification that has these two prolines that resist, cause it to not be able to fold the proper way to get into the membrane. So it ends up sticking on the H2 receptor and staying there and disabling it. This is really a critical issue, uh, both in the heart and the brain. And so it says that it'll, it'll get into the, into the endothelial cells lining the, the blood vessels in the mouse brain and it's a potent neurotoxin. So the, so the quote here, the spike sub, sub S1 subunit of SARS-CoV-2 alone is capable of being endocyte toast taken up by H2 positive endothelial cells lining the blood vessels in both the human and the mouse brain. And then it's gonna cause this microencephalitis that could be the basis for the neurological complications of basically long haul COVID, but also that's completely possible with just the spike protein S1 subunit coming from the vaccine. Um, and here's something talking about Alzheimer's being connected to COVID-19. So the symptoms of long haul COVID include brain fog, reduced consciousness, tingling and prickling sensations related to nerve damage. And so this is again, this binding to the H2 receptors in the brain, disabling them, the infection activates inflammatory signaling, oxidative stress. Um, and then it's been shown that reduced ACE2 activity in the brain, which is what's gonna happen when you have all these S1 units stuck to the uh, ACE2 receptors, it's associated with this hyperphosphorylation of tau, which is a characteristic feature of Alzheimer's disease. It increases the amyloid beta uh, misfolding and um, hyperphosphorylase of tau, which is what you're gonna get in a situation with animal models of Alzheimer's disease. So the COVID vaccines deliver spike protein to the brain via exosomes and can create this situation. Um, and this is a, um, an article by uh, J. Bart Klassen, COVID-19 vaccine associated Parkinson's disease, a prion disease signal in the UK yellow card adverse event database. That's the UK's equivalent of the vaccine adverse event reporting system at, uh, in the United States. Um, so they, he said all the COVID-19 vaccines on the market contain spike protein or its nucleic acid sequence, creating a possible catastrophic epidemic of prion disease in the future. And then this analysis should serve as an urgent warning to those mindlessly following advice of politicians and public health officials regarding COVID immunization. And so here's some data from, again, from 2021, the COVID vaccine versus all the other, versus all the vaccines and the percent COVID 
uh, very high numbers, all uh, greater than 90, uh, 90 uh, well, except for mobi mobility decreases, only 92%, 93, but it, basically everything greater than 90%. And anosmia, which is the loss of the sense of smell that's correlated with Parkinson's disease, um, almost all the cases of anosmia, 99.5% were connected to these vaccines. So these vaccines actually cause this characteristic symptom of COVID-19. And it could be that people are thinking they have COVID when actually they have vaccine damage instead. And so, um, so this is memory impairment. These numbers are small, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, but you have these indicators of them. Uh, dysphagia, this is an early symptom of Parkinson's. And of course, memory impairment, amnesia and mobility decreased. All these things are highly represented by the uh, COVID-19 vaccines. Uh, this is a new paper out, it's a preprint, hasn't been reviewed. Um, these three authors, including my friend, Luc Montagnier, who recently passed away, unfortunately, uh, toward the emergence of a new form of the neurodegenerative Kurzfeldt-Jakob disease, 16 cases of CJD declared a few days after a COVID-19 vaccine jab. And this was quite an amazing paper. And they have the individual cases, where they have a table where they describe all the cases, and they all developed um, the symptoms shortly after their second vaccine. It was all, I think they were all mRNA vaccines. Uh, that may not be true, but uh, I guess I'll back off on that. But they were uh, COVID vaccines. And um, six people were dead after three months. Another six died before eight months. And the remaining four are in really bad shape. So they're preparing to die. So this is a very debilitating neurodegenerative disease, which is a prion, which is a human equivalent of mad cow. So exosomes, microRNAs, and heart disease. Um, the big picture, the stressed immune cells release these exosomes containing the microRNAs, signal to tissue cells, and induce an inflammatory response. So they can travel along the vagus nerve to the brain, but also they can travel along the vagus nerve to the heart. And this MIR-155 is a microRNA that plays a significant role uh, in heart disease, and it's facilitated by the spike protein. Again, the S1 subunit detaches, becomes free, binds ACE2 receptors, which are present at high levels in the heart. And the suppression of ACE2 by spike S1 causes upregulation of angiotensin II, which then induces myocarditis, inflammation, and cardiovascular disease in general. And S1 has been found in COVID-19 patients long after the virus cleared, and is believed to play a critical role in long-haul COVID. And it's also been found vascular trypolin vaccines and it's MR, uh, MIR-155 overexpression is linked to worse outcomes in heart attack. So uh, here's an interesting paper about the exosomes um, and, and, and in the, the process of immune, of development of the antibodies. And you basically have this communication between the T cell and the B cell. This is a healthy cell and this is one that's been, in, uh, has a genetic defect that it can't make the exosome. So here's all these exosomes getting released they trigger B cell um, proliferation. So you get all these B cells down here. Whereas on this path, there are no exosomes and therefore the B cell response is much weaker. So the exosomes are very important for causing the B cells to produce the antibodies that they're looking for in the vaccine. And in particular, there's this MIR-155-3P, which is right there. That's a different MIR from the two I mentioned before, but it silences these, uh, these proteins that are involved in supporting B cell maturation. And it's um, it, MIR-155 <laughs> makes it work well, but it is uh, associated with many autoimmune diseases. And so uh, this was a paper regarding, paper regarding MIR-RNA-155 in the SARS-CoV-2 virus. 
uh, response, and it showed strong expression of the immunity and the inflammation associated with microRNA. This, this thing is associated with both inflammation and the immune response. Uh, both SARS-CoV and SARS-CoV-2 had a strong response, but SARS-CoV-2 had a twice, twice as high. Uh, in particular, it was releasing this interferon gamma, which upregulates MIR-155. So, um, so basically, SARS-CoV-2 is good at producing MIR-155. And um, so the va vaccine is probably doing that too. And um, this paper is showing that, that the S1 persists for a long time in association with long haul COVID. And that's because of this fear and cleavage site that allows S1 to get kicked off and circulate and bind to ACE2 receptors. And so um, it survives in the immune cells uh, 15 months after infection has cleared. So it's, it sticks around after the infection is cleared. Um, and this paper is talking about the free spike protein S1 particles could play a, a role in the pathogenesis of COVID-19 infection. The same story again, uh, just showing that it's, this, this could be an exosome produced by the vaccine with the spike proteins attached to it. The purine cleavage site kicks off the S1. The S1 then binds to these ACE2 receptors on a recipient cell and downregulates it. And that's going to cause inflammation, thrombosis, and pulmonary damage. Um, 11 out of 13 healthcare workers had detectable levels of spike protein or S1 in their blood plasma as early as one day and up to 28 days following their first mRNA vaccine, uh, peaking at about five days. So clearly S1 is becoming released into the, into the uh, circulation following vaccination. And this one was an interesting paper that showed that S1 by itself, forget the rest of the virus, just the S1, caused COVID-19-like lung symptoms in mice that had been humanized with its ACE2 receptor. It caused the immune cell infiltration, cytokine storm, impaired barrier function, all the things that the virus is causing, or many of the things that the virus is causing. How the spike protein can cause cardiac issues. So this is a, a, a paper showing that the spike protein S1 units causes the stress, binds the ACE2 receptors, disables them. This causes the accumulation of angiotensin II, which activates the macrophages. The macrophages then secrete abundant exosomes containing this MIR-155. And then those exosomes are taken up by fibroblasts in the heart, and they suppress their proliferation. And that's going to interfere with the healing process, leading to cardiac rupture. Um, and then another paper showed that these quote-unquote pseudoviruses, which are made up of only spike protein, cause the endothelial cell damage by down-regulating ACE2 in the endothelial cells. So those cells lining the blood vessels also have ACE2. They can be affected by the spike protein. Um, uh, this is a paper showing that MIR-155 overexpression is linked to worse outcomes in heart attack. And in particular, they looked at the um, levels in autopsy samples from 50 patients who had died from a heart attack. And they had two groups. One was short-term after initial symptoms, only 24 hours. And the second group was two to seven days. They died of a heart attack two to seven days after the onset of symptoms. But uh, they showed a tremendous um, increase uh, compared to the normal, this is the normal case of MIR-155, and then tremendous increase, in, especially for the people who got the heart attack later. MIR-155 builds up in response to these um, symptoms of heart, heart issues. Um, so here's uh, data on VARS, uh, in, from the VARS database on, um, on the COVID-19 vaccines associated, uh, compared to all the other vaccines for heart issues, the numbers are very, very strong. Myocarditis is one we've heard a lot about. 98% of the uh, cases were, were COVID vaccines. Cardiac arrest, arrhythmia, 
um, 98%. So there's all these basically 98% uh, cardiomyopathy, tachycardia, which is an arrhythmia problem, cardiac failure, myocardial infarction. That's the heart attack, almost everything, 97.9%. And overall, there were 15,000 different cases of these various heart-related conditions uh, from COVID, 97.7% of all the cases for 2021 for all the vaccines. Um, and this is just showing you the difference between 2021 and all the other years. It's really, I mean, I studied various databases actually for quite some time, uh, several years ago, and I was just shocked at the numbers of cases that are pouring in for everything. You know, COVID-19 is just overwhelmingly dominating the 2021 uh, data. And this is just, myocarditis was very rare up until 2021. Uh, Sweden, Finland, and Denmark have all paused. They, they still have not uh, stopped the pause, as far as I know, to not use the Moderna vaccine for boys and men under 30 years old. Um, and so this was two cases of people, adolescents who were just found dead. And I've been looking at the death database in VARES, and it's quite shocking how many of them are young people who really had no obvious symptoms, maybe a little bit of a headache after the vaccine, not that much, you know, malaise. And then their parents came and they were dead and found dead in their bed. It's just quite amazing. It's people that are dying stealth without um, symptoms beforehand. So people don't know why they died. And I think that relates to the um, vaccine spike protein traveling up the vagus nerve to the center in the uh, medulla oblongata is the center for controlling a breathing consciousness and a, the heart uh, beat. And that's going to get really severely disrupted if the spike protein is inflaming that tissue in the brain. So these two teenage boys were found dead in bed three and four days after receiving the second dose. Neither boy complained of any obvious symptoms. Uh, the unique cardiac findings in boy A included myocardial fibrosis, the scarring in, in, the, in the heart, and in boy B, cardiac hypertrophy, enlarged heart. Neither boy was positive for SARS-CoV-2. So spike protein in cancer. Um, this is an interesting paper that showed that the spike protein actually gets into the nucleus of a cell. And in the nucleus, it suppresses critical proteins, BRCA1 and 53BP1, which are really important proteins for repairing uh, DNA damage. And that's going to actually also interfere with, um, with the immune cell maturation process. Um, so that DNA damage, of course, is going to cause injury in, in anywhere it goes. Uh, any cell that gets DNA damage is in bad shape, and it leads towards cancer as well. Um, so there's a, a strong link between these microRNAs that are showing up in that in the study I mentioned with the India and people from India, they found these two specific RNA, microRNAs overexpressed in those immune cells producing spike protein. And glioblastoma is the most aggressive form of brain cancer. And um, this microRNA is linked to bad outcomes. High levels are risk indicator for shortened lifespan in the patients. It increased the, the cell growth, the survival, the migration, and the invasion. And this one enhanced the radio resistance in the glioblastoma cells. Um, its expression was higher in the high grade compared to the low grade gliomas. And it's also, it's overexpression. It's also linked to many other cancers, breast cancer, cervical cancer, clear cell renal carcinoma, and hepatocellular carcinoma. And again, I have data on cancer. So I have various terms that are connected to cancer, cancer lymphoma, leukemia, metastatic metastasis, carcinoma, neoplasm. Um, these, are, these are numbers. Now, of course, people don't often think their cancer is caused by their vaccine. So it's very rare for people to report it. So I have a feeling this is happening a lot more often than is indicated. Uh, but in all these cases, you know, very over 90% of the 
cases are from the uh, COVID-19 vaccines. Spike protein and thrombosis. I showed this earlier, this business about the IgG response was very strong in response to the vaccine compared to the disease. And a strong IgG response can lead to platelet activation and blood clots. And this is sort of how it happens. Thrombocytopenia um, is caused by, the platelets have this FC gamma receptor. And that receptor actually binds to the IgG, the, this thing that's overexpressed uh, in association with the vaccines. Uh, so when it's connected, when it's bound to an antigen, which means when it's bound to the spike protein, it will, um, it will connect to the uh, platelet and cause the platelet to ad adhere to the endothelial wall. So the platelets are going to basically stick onto the blood vessels and they're going to become activated. And there's this uh, protein TULA2, which normally would suppress activation um, and inhibit, um, it, it inhibits the platelet FC gamma receptor. And it protects from this uh, thrombocytopenia, which is you know, the loss of platelets. Um, but this uh, RNA specifically disrupts that protein and causes then, um, so the MIR-148A overexpression can cause to what's called a heparin-induced thrombocytopenia, but in the absence of heparin. And that's what we're seeing in these case, cases where people are getting thrombosis. Thrombosis is a very strong signal in, in the various database. Um, this paper showed the higher expression of this particular microRNA in, in the blood immune cells um, of the patients who have, are suffering from this immune thrombocytopenia correlated positively with a reduction in platelet count. So that's what's happening. People can have a very low platelet count or they can have blood, blood clots often going with that. Um, this was the, I showed this slide earlier uh, showing that the uh, MIR-155 gets overexpressed in particular with SARS-CoV-2 even compared to the original SARS-CoV. Um, and here's the uh, data on thrombosis. It's really quite striking. Um, all these different um, thrombosis. So there's all these different terms that involve thrombosis and these are just some of them. There's like 70 different terms but I only took the top, the top ones and added them up. Thrombosis, deep vein thrombosis, pulmonary, cerebral, portal vein, superficial vein, peripheral artery, mesenteric vein, venous thrombosis. Altogether, over 7,000 cases, almost all of them, 98.7%, so nearly 99% of the cases in 2021 were linked to the COVID-19 vaccines. Very strong uh, signal for thrombosis. A spike antibodies and autoimmune disease, my last section, substantial differences in SARS-CoV-2 antibody response are elicited by the natural infection and the mRNA vaccine, meaning that the vaccine actually produces fantastic, a fantastic antibody response, up to 10 times higher than people who recover naturally from the disease. And that does not really mean that they're better protected. Of course, the natural disease has all kinds of different ways that you can protect, uh, receive immune um, strength beyond just producing antibodies to spike. That's just a very specific thing that the vaccines do. And the high, um, the high antibody titers that you get from the vaccine open you up for autoimmune disease. And especially when this MIR-148A is overexpressed, uh, that's that uh, macroRNA that's showing up in those exosomes. And so here's a, a paper, very interesting paper about potential antigenic cross-reactivity between the, um, the, the, the spike protein and various uh, human uh, proteins uh, possible linked to an increase in autoimmune disease. And this is just an amazing list, cross-reaction between spike protein and tissue proteins. These are various tissue proteins that have a similar sequence as the spike protein. And these are some of the diseases that they're associated with. And there's a big list here, but lupus, autism, myocarditis, there's another myocarditis, brain metastases, Parkinson's disease, 
um, cardiomyopathy. So all kinds of multiple sclerosis, uh, nasty diseases are um, correlated, are caused by antibodies to these proteins that you can get through this um, molecular mimicry process. Um, and then this is just a, this is an amazing uh, paper with these IgG antibodies that are produced in high levels by the vaccines um, in response to spike. And they took these antibodies and they injected them into the peritoneum of pregnant rats. And then they looked at the offspring and they were highly damaged. They had acute re renal tubular injury, myocardial hemorrhage, which is uh, heart damage, inflammation in the brain, and many were born dead. So, and they also found the same antibody broadly, uh, bound broadly to human inflammatory tissues or to cancer tissues, likely increasing the severity of pre-existing disease. And we do see a lot of people who have some condition get the vaccine, the condition accelerates in its progression. And this is a, a paper on autoimmune hepatitis following COVID-19, two case studies. So there was a 35-year-old woman and a 71-year-old woman, and uh, they had antibodies detected the 71-year-old had jaundice for four, four days post-vaccination with a Moderna vaccine. IgG was markedly raised, massive eosinophil infiltration, which is typical of drug-induced liver injury. Liver enzymes are elevated, and then liver injury has also been linked to COVID-19. Um, I just want to have this one last slide, which shows Israel's uh, data over the over extended period from June 16th of um, of uh, the previous year up to um, January 31st of 2021. So this is going all the way back to 2020 and then 2021. And they had very, compared to what they had at the end of 2021, um, much, much lower uh, infection rates. And Israel is a very highly vaccinated country with a huge uh, increase here at the, uh, just in the recent past, um, one of the most highly vaccinated countries in the world. And this, to me, indicates the vaccines are not stopping the spread. And as I said, I think part of this reason is that the vaccines are inducing the emergence of these variants like Omicron um, that are specifically resistant to the vaccine antibodies. And Omicron is kind of like a natural va vaccine, in my opinion, because it's a milder disease, highly infectious. Uh, it's basically vaccinating the population as it sweeps through a, a, a community. Uh, everybody gets exposed. And uh, it chases away all the all the more virulent variants of the, of the of the virus. So, I think Omicron is a good thing. So, in summary, the messenger RNA vaccines are carefully crafted to induce immune cells to produce large quantities of the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. Spike protein is toxic and has prion-like characteristics. The vaccines produce a very strong antibody response in the spleen by activating germinal centers, and this increases susceptibility to neurodegenerative disease and to autoimmune disease. Exosomes traveling from the spleen to the brain may play a decisive role. Spike causes an inflammatory response in the brain, the heart, and the vasculature. There's much evidence from the VAERS database of vaccines causing neurodegenerative disease, cardiovascular disease, thrombosis, and cancer. The vaccines lose their effectiveness against the disease over time, especially with the emergence of variants. And thank you very much for your time. Wow, and we are done. I will stop that, share. <laughs> do you think all of this is caused by accident? I mean, looking at the numbers, it seems clear to me that any reasonable scientist who is involved in developing these so-called vaccines must have known this, must have expected this, unless, of course, he doesn't do his job. I, I don't know. I mean, I can't imagine how they could have thought that this was going to work. That's yeah. the thing that puzzles me. Um, they should have known because they certainly understood. Um, and I think they 
I don't see how they could not know. Yeah. There's the literature is there is there telling the story and yeah. Um, just I'm just uh, thinking of your last remark that those so-called vaccines may lose their uh, uh, their effects that they don't work anymore. But how much can they lose when they have a uh, if they have a relative, if, if they have an absolute risk reduction of less than than one percent, if we have such a good immunity yeah. already, uh, where is where? What they can't they really lose? lose there, is, there is nothing to lose. <laughs> right, they're just right. toxic. <laughs> right. Yes, I know. I think that um, I do believe that uh, right at, at the optimal point, um, two weeks after your second vaccine. You do have tons of these IgG antibodies, and they're going to bind to the spike protein and keep it from uh, binding to the receptors. Um, I think they would, in fact, protect you. I won't. I won't say they don't protect you at all, but the protection is short-lived, yeah. and and We meanwhile they're causing all this damage. And I think the damage can be long-term because once you get all those, I really worry about the misfolded proteins because the spike protein is um, mm -hmm. is seeding you know, the um, crystallization of the other proteins. And Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, those are all slowly developing diseases. I, we're predicting that the rates of these diseases are going to go up over time. People are going to get them at younger ages, um, and more people are going to get them. And it'll be a consequence of these, even if they sort of stop the whole vaccine pro program, recognizing its toxicity. You've got this period of time where people set themselves back quite a bit on their progression towards neurodegenerative disease. That's what I believe is going to happen. The damage is it's, done. It's so it's yeah. so difficult to 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 calculate the the effects because we the various data they they show that there is great dependence on the on the batches and on the on you have you have read this it's not constant that it seems that the contents of the the contents of the batches of the lots is not constant and so it's very difficult to find out uh, the rate of of side effects for for moderna and for biontech because we don't know what is in <laughs> it's very right. difficult i think i wonder if the, if the manufacturing process has not been properly refined and you've got different sites where it's being made And uh, they may have different degrees of skill in terms of doing it right, whatever way the original you know, design was intended, how to yes. make these things. And they could be really messing up and also keeping it cold. I, I really worry about that. People don't seem to you know, think that much about what if it isn't kept cold because you know, we have to keep it very cold, right? The whole time. And then you thaw it out and then you have a certain, I don't know how long a time you have before they declare it's expired, but now after it's warmed up, you're going to start getting some stuff going on there that's going to change. You know, some of those messenger RNA molecules are going to get changed. They're going to get shortened and um, start making uh, partial spike proteins. I mean, I just don't know. Um, and of course, also because it makes the, uh, it makes very fast and that can cause errors. So you end up with different mutations in the spike protein in the sense of that, that it wasn't copied correctly into protein. I think Mike, Mike Eden, Oh, sorry. I'm, I, I don't want to be impolite, but I have to catch the train. I'm very, very mm. thankful, very grateful, Stephanie. Thank you. Uh -huh. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so I just want that Mike Eden, he told us that it, it's really, it's more than uh, production uh, inconstancies. It's more than, he thinks there is some, uh, there is some you know, manipulating, there's some, They try out 
finding finding to toxicity to this like you do in in phase two triads normally and he, he found such structures in the in the in uh, counting the 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 adverse effects inverse and um, i think we have to have this in mind because you know it's such a short time and they call it telescope telescoped uh, studies what they do mm -hmm. so maybe they in the same time they try out new things when while they are just uh, having the chance to to blindly vaccinate 7 million 7 billion people so it's it's a big yeah. chance for all those who have something in the pipeline they can try it out now and i think it's it's rather risky that's really interesting. I have, I've heard that theory as well, that the reason why different um, lot numbers have different uh, re yes. reactions is because they've been manipulated. Some of them have fewer, um, you know, fewer messenger RNA molecules and some may have mm. different amounts of I mean, It just could be trying all kinds of different things because they don't know the answer. They didn't, they weren't, they rushed it to market and they want to find out exactly. I would imagine they'd like to find out what would be the right, you know, best one to, to, to do and how much do you need. And so to, to to have different uh, varieties of the of the um, and be able to trace a lot number so you can tell which ones did what and, and see yes. uh, and then figure out how to refine the, the algorithm for what is an, a best model for it because they, they probably were very nervous about having to make all those decisions so quickly you know exactly what goes into it um, and so I can imagine that they would like to offer different um have different Maybe. groups getting different we cannot exposures. we cannot prove it it's uh, you should have we should have to analyze the single vials and have a systematic uh, overview over this but i think nobody does it and, uh, yeah i know but it's we have, we have another, people don't do that yeah, <laughs> we have another uh, another topic that we discussed a lot this is the the fact that normally coronaviruses have contact with the upper respiratory uh uh, tract and the mucosa there and everything happens there defending yes. them normally happens in the in the nose and the throat and and now what we do now we go to the back door and we inject something exactly. and, and make some immunity somewhere in the body we don't know where because we don't know the targets really but we 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 find something here and there and so i think this this uh, this difference between the normal reaction on coronaviruses defending them and those very rare complications coronaviruses normally do even sars viruses uh, you know what they what they found there the, the epidemiologic uh, data from sars from 2002 they were selected cases from hospitals it when no coronavirus is an epidemic spreading rapidly over the whole population and they were just looking in in clinics they were just looking in intensive care places and such things and there was there was a uh, there was a, tr a trial made or a study made in i think it was made in seattle's in an in an old people's care house where they also said yes this is sars and then they they uh, tried to find out to identify with antibodies the uh, analysis they tried to find out which uh, viruses it really were and they found antibody against the old coronaviruses so this was a cross reaction with the pcr what what was made the false alarm there so i think there's a lot of things we we have to doubt and uh, but i I've, i'm very very thankful that you made this big work uh, some months ago where you 
where you said this is that the vac- that the vaccine may be more difficult, more dangerous than than the virus. Mm-hmm. I, I translated it in German and I published oh, it you. in German, and it was widely spread here in Germany. It was oh, well. Wonderful. It was uh, very often read. So you're well known here in Germany. Uh-huh. So thank you very much for your thank work. You. Thank you. Can I, can I ask one question? Like, um, because I understood that you could have targeted with the vaccine also not not this S protein, but you could have gone for this like E E gene or like the other one. I, I think it's N N gene or whatever. Mm-hmm. So would that have caused the same kind of reactions, or and would it have produced the same, uh, you know, this uh, micro um rnas uh, the the issues that you mentioned with this 155 or like these kind of things right right yes i don't know the answer to that i think the spike protein is the most toxic part of the virus and um it's a kind of a poor choice for the um for the vaccine it seems to me because it mutates very quickly and there's some internal proteins in the virus that are actually quite stable across different variants and in fact even still stable between the original SARS-CoV and the SARS-CoV-2 so um when you get the disease, you actually develop antibodies to those internal uh, proteins that are more um, effective. On the surface. That, that, you, that can't mutate itself out of, out of a jam as easily because those are more stable. So why would you have picked this S protein, this, this spike protein? I mean, is there any... I don't know. <laughs> it is on the surface. I think they're thinking in terms of, yes. um, of catching the virus right away because the ones that are inside, you've got to wait for the infection. One thing that worries me, and I didn't talk about this in the um, in my talk, but I have uh, in the paper that I mentioned, uh, the preprint paper, I can give you the title of that, actually. I have it here. It's quite a mouthful. Innate immune suppression by SARS-CoV-2 mRNA vaccines, the role of G quadruplexes, exosomes, and microRNAs. And um, I've been learning a lot about G quadruplexes lately, G4s, and that's another interesting story, but it's quite complicated. Um, I left it out of the talk because it's kind of hard to explain to the novice person. And, uh, um, but, there's a, but there's an issue, I think, and we don't understand exactly what it means. It's one of these things where I have friends who are experts on these G4s, and those are um, certain structures that are formed in the RNA uh, when there are a lot of guanines. And the thing is that the uh, they've designed the mRNA in the vaccine to have a lot more guanines than the original RNA that was in the virus. And that opens it up for these G4 structures, which will cause some interesting effects in the cell that are quite hard to quantify. So we, there's a lot of unknowns there, but we wouldn't expect it to be neutral and not cause anything. It's, it's quite sure that it's something that was constructed for many people worked on that, constructing such an instrument they are using now. It's nothing nature did. It no. wouldn't be successful in nature. If yeah. you don't inject it, it would have no chance to spread. Hmm. Well, that's really quite something. It's actually, I mean, this show, slideshow of yours is is actually quite a horror show, you know, I mean, with mm-hmm. this like huge amounts of uh, problems, especially created only by these Corona vaccines. I mean, that's uh, really this very, very disturbing, I must say, and also that um, although that's visible in VAERS, and I'm sure that the, the specialists at VAERS and other, you know, uh, FDA and all, I mean, they wouldn't i mean they must have done the analysis as well i mean out of obligation also for the products that they admit to the market and it's kind of it's really wild that they are not withdrawing it or like you know stopping it i, I remember exactly. there was there was something like the precautionary principle 
uh, but I think everybody forgot that. I know. It, would, it used to be that you just had a few obvious deaths from the vaccine and you would just take the vaccine off the market. And there's just huge numbers of deaths. I didn't show death, but that's also like 93% of the uh, of the deaths in the 2021 are connected to coronavirus, uh, to the to the, uh, the COVID vaccines. And um, I think that, that what's really scary to me is these young people who are being found dead when nobody expected them to die. They just thought they're just dealing with we, the vaccine. They've the, got some the, issues. Yeah, but we have a second explanation for that because there was this uh, there was this advice that you you need not aspire when you inject. Mm -hmm, I you heard just about can that. Put it, and it would if you do this with young men with strong muscles we have lots of blood and lots of veins and it's very very uh, very very uh, probable that you just inject it intravenously and then it goes to the right That's heart right. and there is there is the pacemaker in the right heart and when it goes to the endocard the the, the nanoparticles and the spikes co grow in the endocard of the right uh, atrium you may have an infection which disturbs the 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 pacemaker of the heart and then you yes. suddenly die you that's have a good such point. things that's an excellent point yeah but could yeah. it not also be because they designed these um these lipo nanoparticles in a way that they don't stay in this uh you know the the uh you know where the uh, you uh, introduced the vaccine into the body but they are actually designed as like uh, the you know the um ceo of of um BioNTech explained that they were designed to move through the body and then also go to these lymph nodes yeah, to, and all that. To like, the lymphatic system. Yeah. This is what you said. I, I think that's what yes. you said. So basically, I mean, it could also be, I mean, maybe that's an additional problem that you just mentioned, but maybe it's also already by design that it goes everywhere and then would also go to the heart and affect the cells. Yeah, it can there. get to the heart either by, directly by the blood <clears throat> if it got injected into the blood or it can go into the lymph nodes, go to the spleen, get producing the exosomes and yeah. traveling along we the had this, nerve fibers there was to the this heart. This Japanese study with the animal animal study where they where they try to find out where it goes with none of the nanoparticle goes and they find it in the spleen, they find it in the liver, they find it in the lymph in all the lymphatic system, and they find it in the ovaria. Uh, yes. Lots of them. Yeah. Yes, I mentioned that in my talk. That's really really yeah. that was very disturbing to me when I saw that. I was kind of yes. predicting that would be the case because that's those are all organs that are well connected to the lymph system. It's going to the organs that are well connected to the lymph system. And there yes. are even um, cases of swollen testicles, for example, for in men following the vaccine. Yeah. So I think okay. it's going to affect I am concerned about reproduction. It's hard to get data on that because it's going to take more time. But yes. there are a lot of miscarriages uh, in, in the various yes. database. We, and we had this we, we had this theory with with Mike Eaton when we when we tried when we asked the European Medical Agency uh, because we were afraid that if you have antibodies against the spikes, you may also may have antibodies against syncytine because it's uh, there's right. a similar structure in the spikes and in syncytine, which would have which would mean antibodies against uh, some some protein which is you you need it for pregnancy. It's so. Right. This, right. But we don't we don't have data. We I don't know whether I there know. is systematic observation of of the reproductive numbers now with vaccine and unvaccinated. I know it's, that's going to uh, come eventually, but that takes more time because you've got to wait the nine months, you know, for the yes. pregnancy. Yes. So we we're, it's going to be interesting to see how that data comes out. Um, I've also been interested in these actuarial data where, where we're seeing what forty percent increase in um, various uh, diseases dying from various. Uh, 
conditions that are connected to the vaccine, you know. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow, that's quite uh, a lot to digest. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yes. But it's it's great that you explained or both of you you know gave us this information. I think it's really very important that we look at all these things and uh, hopefully more and more people are gonna wake up to at least not continuing with taking any additional jab because it's I'm sure not improving the situation. We have here in the United States this eagerness to get it uh, to get it into the arms of the children under five years old, which I'm just so terrified of. Uh, they seem to be lots of mothers are chomping at the bit. They want to get their child vaccinated. It really puzzles me that they're not worried about what the vaccine might do to a child who's two years old or six months old. You know, it's they're trying to get that done. They, they ran into to some snags. Um, it's not clear, but I suspect it might be injury um, that they couldn't um, justify the, the injurious aspect of these vaccines into these children's bodies. Uh, now they've delayed, you know, the decision process. So they're many parents are eagerly awaiting the opportunity to get their child vaccinated. And I do not understand that at all. Oh, it's grotesque. Uh, okay. So, well, thanks so much for like laying all this out to us. And yeah, it's very important information. I'm curious to see your, the uh, upcoming paper as well. Yes. Thank you. Well, it's my pleasure. And thank you very much. You having me on. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye then. Bye. Bye. Ja, also wir sind jetzt am Ende unserer heutigen Sitzung angekommen und es war ja wirklich wieder allerlei. Uh, much information, uh, heavy to digest. On the other hand, it's very important that these things are brought to light and that uh, nothing can carry on in the cover, undercover. And at least the people who listen to this can take their informed decisions. Wolfgang, I think we are going to wish everyone a good weekend. I'd like to point out that we depend on donations for our work, including Oval Media, who do the technical production, depend on donations, and we would be happy to be able to get more support for our work. And uh, beyond that, I hope, despite the tough information that the audience out there will still have a good Friday night and a nice weekend, and we'll meet again next week. Let me say again, it's not the virus. Stay calm and stay well. If you do not limit ourselves to considering what happened in individual nations, but broaden our gaze to what has happened yeah. everywhere. Your protest, dear Canadian truck driver friends, joins a worldwide chorus that wants to oppose the establishment of the new world order on the trouble of nation states. Through the Great Reset, designed by the World Economic Forum and by the United Nations under the name of Agenda 2030. 
And we know that many heads of government have participated in the Klaus Schwab's School for Young Leaders, the so-called Global Leaders for Tomorrow. It would seem that Canada is along with Australia, Italy, Austria and France, one of the nations most infiltrated by the globalists. You understood this instinctively and your yearning for freedom was shown in all its coordinated harmony moving towards to the capital Ottawa. Dear truck drivers, you are facing great difficulties, not only because you give up your work to demonstrate, but also because of this adverse weather condition, long night in the cold, and attempts to be clear away that you face. But along with these difficulties, you have also experienced the closeness of many of your fellow citizens who, like you, have understood the looming threat and want to support you in protesting against the regime. Allow me also to express to you my support and my spiritual closeness, to which I join the prayer of your event may be crowned with success and may also extend to other countries. In this day, we see the mask of tyrant from all over the world fall, and unfortunately we also see so much conformism, so much fearfulness, so much cowardice in people who up until yesterday were regarded as friends, even among our family members. Yet, precisely because of this extreme situation, we discover with amazement gestures of a humanity made by strangers, signs of solidarity and brotherhood on the part of those who feel close to us in the common battle. We discover so much generosity, so much desire to shake us from this stupor. We discover that we are no longer willing to passively suffer the destruction of our world imposed by a cabal of unscrupulous criminals, thirties for power and money. In this relentless attack on the tradition world, not only your way of life and your identity have been affected, but also your possession, your activities, and your work. This is the great reset. This is the future promised by the slogan like Build Back Better. This is the future of billions of people being controlled in their every move, in all their transaction, in every purchase, every bureaucratic practice, every activity. Automatons without soul or wills, deprived of their identity, reduced to having a universal income that allows them to survive 
to buy only what others have already decided to put up for sale. Today, more than ever, it is essential that you realize that it is no longer possible to passively assist. It is necessary to take a position, to fight for freedom, to demand respect for natural freedoms. But even more, dear Canadian brothers, it is necessary to understand that this dystopia serves to establish the dictatorship of the new world order and totally erase every trace of our Lord Jesus Christ from society, from history, and from the tradition of peoples. Demonstrate for your right, Canadian friends, but may this right not be limited to a simple claim to the freedom to enter supermarkets or not to be vaccinated. May it also be a proud and courageous claim to your sacrosanct right will make you free. And may God bless you. Well, even these uh, euphemisms, booster, this word alone, it's like uh, strength through joy uh, in the Nazi history. Today, this has become so dramatic that even this Nazi claim is so uh, horrible. Ms. Faser, who is the Minister of Interior, the guardian of our Constitution, uh, can write uh, about uh, left-wing uh, radicals that are uh, monitored by uh, the Secret Service, and nobody is um, up in arms against it. But uh, there are certain opinions you can't voice anymore, and although, and I have to say, this really seems perverted to me, this gendering business, because you touched upon it, against the will of the majority. More than 80% of the population say we don't want that, but it's obvious you have a minority there of ideologists, most of whom are uh, government employees paid through our taxes as professors or well-paid uh, TV anchors who impose their private ideology onto the majority. And I say two things on this. First of all, the perps are the smaller uh, issue for me. Those who go along are the problem. As Luther would have said, I'm a Lutheran after all, they are fucking around with us. And fucking around, I just wanted to say it, fuck around with us. Because you don't you think that anybody of these ideologists, male or female, these anchors, male or female, talk like that in private lives. And that the uh, trade unionists, male or female, they don't talk like that in private life. <laughs> 